1974, David Bowie, Rebel, Rebel. And if you listen to the lyrics of that song, it's very much ahead of its time. The girl being described in that song sounds a lot like some of the girls you'll see today that are, are young. Like, uh, you know, your face is a mess referring to, I, I believe, like piercings in her face. I think that's what it's referring to. And uh, they can't tell if you're a boy or a girl. <laughs> the whole uh, gender non-binary nonsense that we're seeing now. So even though the song was portraying the girl in a positive light, it's pretty amazing listening and knowing that was more than 40 years ago. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being broadcast live and recorded on January 17th, 2018. The time right now, 8.52 p.m. Pacific time. This is the 24-year anniversary of the Northridge earthquake in Los Angeles. If you're younger, you may not remember this, but Los Angeles, especially the San Fernando Valley, but really all of Southern California experienced a very large and violent earthquake on January 17, 1994. And uh, I, I had my own personal story from that earthquake, which uh, maybe I'll tell after we do the intro. But today is the 24th anniversary of that, and I always think of that when we get to January 17th. I also think this is the day four years ago when I broke three ribs and when I fell down at Caesars. I, 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 it's either the 16th or the 17th. Anyway, that, that was uh, a personal anniversary of mine. So, again, welcome to the show. And uh, six days from the last one, we did one on Thursday last week. We're back to Wednesday, which is our normal day for the show, and I hope we're going to stick to for a while. The prior two shows were not on Wednesday, but I've been slowly inching it back to Wednesday by doing one every six days, and the next show is scheduled for Wednesday again next week. Uh, hopefully we'll find Calwatt tonight. I, I better try to locate him before he falls asleep. It's almost midnight where he is. Hopefully he has not fallen asleep. If he has, then uh, we'll have to we'll have to just uh, make do with Trader Ruski, who I believe will participate tonight. This is no answer. That's not good. Well, maybe his dog will wake him up or something. <laughs> I'm gonna text him right now. See if he's uh, still awake. I actually wanted his input in some of these segments we're gonna do, but oh well. Hopefully he will appear. We have a free roll starting in six minutes at 9 p.m. Pacific time. You have 25 additional minutes to get in there with a full stack. It takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It is a $73 cash free roll. You do get paid in cash in one of various ways. I can send you Bitcoin. I can send you a bank transfer. If you accumulate enough winnings, I can send you a cash or a check. And I can also send it to you in other ways that you might be able to think of where money can be transferred online through maybe a service that does that, uh, one you may have heard of, but that I'm not going to say out here. If you win one of the cash prizes, PM me Dan Space Druff on the forum or email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. That's all one word, all lowercase, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. You, of course, need to know the rules of winning the free money in the free roll. If you do not know the rules and don't follow them, then you won't win the money, no matter what place you finish. The rules can be found at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, exactly as it sounds, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. 
This week, the money came from four different sources, none of which are me. I almost never give money to this free roll. It's always from our generous listeners, which I appreciate very much. $25 came from Belly Buster. $18 came from OK Ralphie. That's O-O-O-O-K underscore Ralphie. $23 came from Trader Ruski, who hopefully we'll uh, reach shortly. And Simply One gave $7 as well as $50 more for next week. So that adds up to $73. $36 for first place. Second place gets 20 Third gets 11 And fourth gets $6. 36 20 11 and 6 are the prizes. We've given away more money on this show than any other poker radio show or podcast in the world. Look it up. You cannot find one that has given away more money. And we give away real cash, not just stupid money you can't cash out from some lousy online poker site. If you want to call in the show, we have the same phone number as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is that number. You can also text it anytime before, after, or during the show. I may read your text on the air, unless you ask me not to at the beginning, and I will respond to you. There's there's never a bad time to text me. So if you want to make contact, uh, text me. I will probably answer you. 775-372-8355, same as our main show phone number. We have the Mount, the Mount Charleston line, which is an old 70s rotary phone, which is located inside a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas. has a little bit of snow up there now. You can call that number at 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. No matter which number you call, make sure to show your caller ID or you will not get through. I guarantee it. We have the call to listen line, which can be used to listen to the show does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require the internet. It's very simple. You just call and you listen. It's a great way to listen to the show. Never buffers. It absolutely never buffers. It, it does not know the meaning of buffering. It, the call to listen line does not understand what buffering is. So unlike most streaming radio shows that you try to listen to, and then your connection kind of goes bad and it, it buffers and it freezes, and it's, it's very frustrating. I hate it. So I designed a call-to-listen line that doesn't do that. It just plays. It just plays without ever pausing or buffering. 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the number. It's located in a small shack in the town of Carroll, Iowa. And it's been up for more than two years. We're getting closer to a million minutes listened to on that line. But that's fine. Keep on listening. Keep listening all day and all night. It's fine. I don't pay per minute, thankfully. If you forget any of these phone numbers, just go to the radio page on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they are all listed up there. Here is the agenda this week, and then we will get going. Phil Helmuth appeared on a podcast, not this one, but on a podcast, one I hadn't really heard of before, and he stated that he does not understand why people hate Chris Ferguson. Oh, that's not the sound effect I was going to play. <laughs> I was going to play this. <laughs> yeah, so that was the... <laughs> I can't believe he said that. Anyway, we're going to play that portion of the podcast 
and I will comment on it. Thank you to a listener for bringing that to my attention. Bitcoin. I know some of you were bored by the Bitcoin discussion last week. I have good news for you. Even though we have a Bitcoin topic, it's going to be fast. It's going to be quick. And there's a very interesting update that even if you were bored by the topic, I think you will find interesting. We're not going to spend a long time on it. So if you hated Bitcoin radio over the last few weeks, uh, it'll be a very small portion of this show. Station Casinos and their Bad Beat Jackpot controversy. It's funny how we have two topics about Bad Beat Jackpots, but uh, Station Casinos is also refusing to give away their Bad Beat Jackpot in a different way. Uh, that ruling has been delayed. That is, the Nevada Gaming Commission is ruling on it, and it's been delayed. I'll explain why and give you the update on that one. Ignition, which is the site that sprung from Bovada, it's essentially Bovada. They claim to be a different company, but I don't believe it. Uh, they have the same player pool as Bovada and Bodog, if you can play on there. They have removed the ability to chat during poker games. And that bothers me. Chat has always been a very integral part of online poker. It really has. Without chat, it almost doesn't feel like online poker. It, it feels like a neutered experience. So I'm going to explain... What they're doing, or what has already been done, why they have done it, and I'll tell you some stories about online poker chats that took place in my life. Two men pled guilty in a Kansas underground gambling case, one involving a poker room, one involving sports betting, but it also involves a well-known poker player from Kansas known as Brandon Steven. He was not one of the people pleading guilty, but he is tied to the case. And we'll talk a bit about Brandon Steven if you haven't heard of him before. He's a pretty interesting guy. Lucky Dragon. Remember the small casino with the Asian theme that really was pretty much all Asians and they barely spoke English there and they're closing? Remember that whole thing? Uh, they're not just closing the casino. Now they're facing foreclosure. So I'll give you an update on that story. Some other... Nevada casino stories. Nevada casinos were stiffed for a very large sum of money in fiscal year 2017. That means from, uh, well, fiscal year can have different definitions, but in this case, it was from July 1st, 2016 through June 30th, 2017. They were unable to collect a pretty large amount of bad debt. $100 billion. Okay, not quite that, but pretty large. But maybe it's not as bad as it appears. We'll talk about the bad debt situation with Nevada casinos. And can you get away with it? If you try to stiff a Nevada casino, you know, take a marker and not pay it, can you get away with it if it seems like a lot of people do so every year? I want to have a discussion about casinos in... Las Vegas, and the revenue per square foot for various games. Which are the most profitable, which are the least profitable, and where does poker fit in? I'm not just talking about the amount the games bring in. I mean, uh, per square foot of space they take up, how much are they bringing in? So we'll discuss that. Some of it may surprise you. Some of it probably won't. Tropicana Atlantic City has apparently been stiffing players by 
mailing them offers and then refusing to honor them when they come in. Now, to be clear, this is not all players. In fact, most players are not experiencing this, but some are. And to be honest, from what I hear of the story, it's pretty unethical what they're doing in a few ways. So I'm going to talk about that and uh, give you guys some warnings about the TROP Atlantic City. Finally, another Atlantic City topic. The Golden Nugget in Atlantic City is going to offer live dealer Ultimate Texas Hold'em online. Not online poker. There's been some erroneous stories saying they're going to offer live deal online, live dealer online poker, which would be kind of interesting if they did. But uh, no, this is live dealer online Ultimate Texas Hold'em. They're not calling it that, but it's the same game. I'll tell you a bit about that. Something not on the agenda, but I have to tell you guys about, especially if you're fans of Ken Scaler. He is going to be on TV tomorrow. So set your DVRs. You need to find it in your local listings. He's going to be on Judge Judy. Ken Scaler has called into this show a number of times over the past year or so and kept saying, oh, I've got to talk to you about something. Uh, I don't want to talk about it on the radio. You know, when can I call you after the show? You've probably heard those calls. You've probably wondered what is he talking about. He even hinted that at some point we'll tell everybody the whole story. So what I'm going to do tonight, I'm not sure when. I didn't put it on the agenda. But at some point tonight, I'm going to tell you the backstory to Ken Scaler and his dispute, which is with a former roommate. It's actually a pretty interesting story. It sounds boring. Oh, you know, he's suing his roommate for back rent, which which is what he was doing. But it's a lot more interesting than that. Everything with Ken Scaler is a lot more interesting than it appears on the surface. Like he can take the most mundane situation and turn it into a freak show. That's that's pretty much Ken Scaler's entire life. I think he would, if they could build a reality show around him and just really just show his everyday life. Maybe cut out the masturbating in Starbucks part, but uh, you know, just show his everyday life. I think a lot of people would watch and be very riveted. He he has a very very fascinating life. Not always uh, positive, not always something you would want to emulate, but uh, fascinating. So this is again something that's fascinating. Yet it was somewhat frustrating for me, but. I'm going to tell the story out here, and then you can watch the resulting lawsuit, which was then picked up by Judge Judy, which will air tomorrow. Now, this is not live, so I already know the result of the Judge Judy case. I'm not going to reveal it out here. You're going to need to watch Judge Judy for yourself. And there's two reasons I'm not revealing it. Number one, I want you to just watch. And number two, uh, he actually had to promise not to reveal it prior to, I think he signed documents about that. So yeah, he told me privately, but I'm keeping his promise basically to them to not reveal the results. Very, very few people know the results of the Judge Judy case uh, who are not associated with the show. So you'll have to watch tomorrow. And then uh, maybe next week we'll talk a bit more about Judge Judy, which I, I haven't seen it. I was not there. I... Only heard the description from Ken as to what happened, and when I see it, it'll be the first time for me as well tomorrow. But uh, look up Judge Judy in your area. You can find which stations in your area carry it by going to judgejudy.com, and there's a way to check that through there. You can also see a little preview of it. In fact, I will play that right now. It's a 20-second preview. Now, on the radio, you can only hear it, but... Here you go. His rented room caused a ruckus. Are you allowed to have a roommate in your apartment? The answer is no. 
and breaking the rules put them both on the street. When they found out they brought eviction proceedings against you, they're evicting you for having an unlicensed tenant there. Next Judge Judy. Now, of course, uh, this this is pretty misleading because this makes it sound like that the lawsuit is against the building or you know, something about that. And it also sounds like they ended up on the street or that Ken, Ken got evicted. That's not true. He's in that apartment now. He he actually won the eviction, thanks partially to me. This is against his roommate who was there at the time. So I'll explain a little bit later in the show what this is all about. But that's tomorrow, January 18th on Judge Judy. Right at the top right of the screen on JudgeJudy.com, you can select your state. In the little drop-down, it says Watch Judy in your area. And then you can see when and where it's going to air. And then uh, you can go ahead and DVR it. Or just watch it live. I'm, I'm excited to see this. So that, why don't you announce that Ken himself may call in tonight. If he doesn't, uh, either way, I'm going to tell the story. But I'll give him a chance to call in. I, I prefer to tell the story with him on the phone. So let me get going here. The free roll started nine minutes ago. But you can still get in until 925 because there's 25 minutes of late registration. Uh, a word about Bitcoin. I'm not going to talk about the Bitcoin crashes and recoveries and all that. I mean, it becomes boring radio, but uh, there were a few crashes and recoveries this week, especially the last few days. But uh, Bitcoin, the transaction fees are quite high. So like if you win $7 in the free roll, it'll cost you – it'll cost me almost $7 to send you the Bitcoin. So that doesn't make any sense. So – if you win a small amount, you probably should not be requesting Bitcoin. In fact, I, I won't even send it to you if it's if it's too high of a percentage of what you've won. I'm not going to just you know send all the money to the miners of Bitcoin and have the winners, the free roll, get almost nothing. So you're going to need to find another way to get it. So keep that in mind if you win Bitcoin. Either you're going to have to let some accumulate for a while or you know, of winnings that I'm talking about or get it another way. If you win a small prize of the free roll, I'm not sending it in Bitcoin because the fees are too high. So, anyway, let's get started here with the Phil Helmuth topic. Because this, is, this is annoying, is what it is. It, it's something that just frustrates me. Now, Phil Helmuth is really, he kind of lives his life in a bubble. Phil Helmuth never sees the big picture. His entire life is based upon what he sees in front of his face, what directly affects him. His entire worldview has to do with that. Phil Helmuth is not introspective. He doesn't think about how other people's feelings might be. He doesn't think about how other people are affected by things that don't affect him. He really doesn't think about other people very much at all. That's just his personality, and that's what I've noticed over the years from both personal interactions with him and from observing his antics as have been reported in the poker media. And, you know, I, I've had a number of interesting personal interactions with him. I had it in uh, 2009 where I trolled him on ESPN about the UB scandal and they threatened to give me penalties. And then they cut it out of TV. I had it in 2010 when he came up to me and approached me out of nowhere. I was walking around by myself, and he was walking around by himself. He found me walking around, approached me, and told me he doesn't want me to hate him. 
and he's hoping that I don't hate him. And he, you know, he was asking me not to hate him, which I'm thinking that's so weird. This is a big celebrity in poker, one of the best known poker players there is. Why does he care what I think? He barely knows me, but <laughs> for some reason he wanted me not to hate him. Then uh, I'm sure he got to hate me again when at this year's World Series, when he did a raise by just doing a thumbs up motion instead of saying raise, and I was in the big blind. I called it a non-raise, and I won. One meaning, well, I won the hand too, but I also won the argument about it, where he got really, really, really mad at me, and we got the floor over, and the floor ruled in my favor. And uh, and then the funny thing was, there was an amateur at the table from Minnesota, not one of the usual Minnesota players I talk about who are pros, but this is like a, an amateur from Minnesota. And uh, he admired Phil Helmuth prior to that, and actually tweeted out to Phil Helmuth not to let this bother him, and you know, basically was kind of bashing me for what I did. And then a short time after that, Phil Helmuth berated him just because the guy put a bad beat on him. <laughs> so, so the guy realized that's why you don't defend Phil. Anyway, uh, my biggest problem with Phil up until recently was his handling of the UB situation. He stayed on as an owner of UB. I mean, he claimed to just be a sponsored pro, but even if you want to believe that, he stayed on and promoted them until uh, just right before Black Friday, like months before. And this was long after the scandal. And he just separated himself from it. He, he didn't want to hear about it. He didn't want to stop endorsing them. He didn't want to separate himself from it and, and uh, condemn them. Nothing. He just stayed on and collected his money until almost the very, very end. And he did not want to hear the facts that made it very clear that UB had stolen from people. UB was not paying people honestly when they claimed they were funding people, that UB did not really sell to a new owner. He didn't want to hear any of that or consider any of that. He kept promoting it. And to this day, he still believes that he did nothing wrong. And that's part of that bubble he lives in. And I'm not using that as an excuse. It's not you. You can't just say, "Oh, I'm living in a bubble. I'm not. I'm not watching what's going on around me." So that's okay. It's not okay when you're promoting a site that is stealing from people repeatedly. You can't say, "Oh, I didn't notice because I wasn't watching closely enough." Especially after it happened the first time. So that's that's the problem I have with Phil, and also his behavior at the table, while always uh, notoriously bad, has gotten worse recently. So. Phil's behavior in 2017, I don't know why it was so terrible, but he was worse than ever in the 2017 World Series. It just seemed like every day there was a new situation, which I wondered if I should take credit for it because he hadn't been seen behaving badly. I kind of entered near the middle of the World Series, my first event. He had not behaved badly up until that incident with me and the thumbs up raise. And after that, it seemed like every day he was berating people and causing trouble. And uh, there was one incident with Terrence Chan. There were so many others where he was being especially rude to people, including amateurs, not just pros. So his behavior was especially bad in 2017. So for all those reasons, I, I don't mind doing something like calling uh, a thumbs up as a non-raise when it's clear he meant to raise. I knew what he meant to do. But, of course, poker is a game not about what you mean to do, especially tournament poker. It's about what you actually do. So if you if you accidentally put out chips to call instead of raise, even if it's very clear you were trying to raise, it's a call. And everyone will call it on you, and that's the way it'll stand. It's happened to you before, okay? So 
Again, if you put thumbs up and thumbs up is not a valid way to raise, then that's a call. Now, I might let it go if it's an amateur or if it's uh, a pro who I like or really somewhat like. Just not to be a dick. You know, th- someone at least I think highly of or somewhat highly of or an amateur, I probably won't be a dick and really petty about that. But someone like Helmuth, he deserves it. Helmuth deserves something like that. So that's why I did it. And I was in the right. But like I'll let that type of thing go more for some people than others. And it's not collusion or anything. It's just like, do you want to call a rule violation against someone? And it's to the player's discretion if they want to call it if nobody else has. Anybody at the table can call it. It, it wouldn't just have to be me who's in the hand. But if nobody else calls it, I can think, okay, what do I think of this person? And do I do I want to make kind of a, a petty rule claim against them? And yes, that will sometimes have to do with what I think of them. And I, I'm sure that will happen. Same thing with me, that someone who doesn't like me will probably be much more likely to do that sort of thing to me than someone who does like me or someone who's neutral toward me. Anyway, we've talked about all that before. I had a whole show about this, or not a whole show, but a, a large segment about this on the show after that happened in the World Series with a thumbs up thing. But here's something new that was brought to my attention by a listener. He appeared on a podcast recently. It's called The Chip Race. I've never heard of The Chip Race before. You can find it on Stitcher, just like Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Poker Fraud Alert Radio, you can actually listen a number of ways aside from live. You can listen through iTunes, through Stitcher, through TuneIn, which is another app, which also can use, can use use can be used to listen live. And then we also have Google Play, or you can download the MP3 directly from PokerFraudAlert.com. A lot of different ways to listen to the show in the archives. But the Chip Race, I had never heard of before, but it's called the Chip Race Poker Podcast. I think it's sponsored by Unibet Poker. How come everybody has a sponsor except for me? Why is that? How come the Chip Race, which I've never heard of before, you probably haven't heard of before, how come they have a sponsor and I don't? How come every freaking fail podcast and nothing against the chip race i mean for all i know it's popular i just haven't heard of it but how come every freaking fail podcast has a sponsor and no i'm not talking about you adam schwartz and your two plus two poker cast but <laughs> i understand why you guys have sponsors but I, I find these like fail podcasts that have like no listeners that somehow have a major sponsor and i get jealous and it pisses me off Well, at least I have a non-poker sponsor in attorney Eric Benzamokin. I thank him for that. We'll play his commercial in a little bit. But the chip race, it's, uh, I think, about an hour, 15 minutes. On this show, in an hour, 15 minutes, that's uh, about the amount of time it takes to get through the agenda in the intro. (laughs) But... Somehow other shows get a full program. And listen to all they did in an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. Uh, this week, David and Dara, they must be the hosts, are, will be bringing you the exciting conclusion to their exclusive Phil Helmuth interview. They'll be talking to poker author and live tell Zachary Elwood, who, by the way, I think he listens to this show too. I guess I could probably get him on. 
former guest Carlos Welsh joins Dara in Strategy Corner to discuss an interesting satellite hand. And also on the show is back-to-back Megastax champion Irish poker pro Finton Gavin and Unibet ambassador Rauno Tahoven, who subs in for Ian at the news desk. All right, well, that's a lot to squeeze into an hour 15. Can you imagine me getting that into an hour 15? There's no way. I'd get to like like half of those things. Like, no, a half of one of these things is what I'd get to in an hour 15 minutes. So I guess props to them for squeezing this all in. Uh, Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening, Jeff? So I'm about to play, and, and tell me, by the way, Trader Ruski, if you can't hear it when I play it. Did you hear the laughter I played before? Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. 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 So when I play this, I want I I want you to comment on it too. So if you can't hear it, just speak up and say I can't hear it, and I'll and I'll fix it for you. But uh, I think it'll probably work for you. Anyway, I'm going to play the portion of this interview where Phil Helmuth talks about Chris Ferguson. You remember when Chris Ferguson won Player of the Year, World Series Player of the Year in 2017. Helmuth took a picture of him, uh, no, of him, with him. And Helmuth was very chummy with him. Helmuth was very, very friendly with Chris Ferguson, which upset a lot of people. That upset a lot of people that Helmuth was so friendly with Chris Ferguson after what Chris had done. But, of course, Helmuth, he didn't do quite the same thing that Chris did, but Helmuth was involved with a site that cheated everyone, too. So maybe it's appropriate they're friends. So I, I actually don't find it as outrageous as some of you did. I, I think it's kind of more expected. But... Here is Phil addressing directly why he doesn't understand the hate for Chris Ferguson. Chris Ferguson won 2017 WSOP Player of the Year. How do you feel about Chris, his achievement, and the negative response by many in, in the poker world to his return and now triumphant return? Well, I'm, I'm kind of pissed off at those. I'm pissed off at those other people. Okay, I mean, first of all, it's a very, very, very small minority of players. I have to stop it right here. He's pissed off at people who are angry at Chris Ferguson. He's he's actually pissed off that you're pissed off at Chris Ferguson. Why should you be? He was only on the board of Full Tilt that stole everyone's money that actually had no money on hand. Instead of having $300 million of deposits on hand, they had just about nothing. He was on the board there. He was one of the four people in control of that there. He doesn't understand why people are angry about that that they had they, they got their money eventually but it took so long and it had it not been for poker stars coming in to buy them no one would have gotten paid it would have been lost but even given that people got paid they had to wait for years without this money and for some people this was their entire bankroll so he doesn't understand he's he's not only not understanding he's actually pissed off that people are angry at phil helmuth or chris ferguson They'll be angry at Phil Helmuth, too, after this. Okay, I'm going to continue playing here. That attacks Chris Ferguson. It's just that, you know, when Chris walks around, I think he lives in Phoenix, Arizona. When he walks around, the public still shouts his name, Chris Jesus Ferguson. The public doesn't know any of this. So it's a very small percentage of the poker world that somehow is condemning him. For what exactly? Why is he being condemned? Okay. Uh, so his his argument here is that most people are not following the drama with Full Tilt and the fact that Chris Ferguson was one of the people responsible. The the average poker fan just says, oh, look, it's Chris Jesus Ferguson and doesn't know. So that makes it all okay because most people are ignorant to what he did. 
then it doesn't matter. As long as the minority who followed it closely, if most don't realize that he was involved in stealing the money, and most like him because they don't know, then it should be fine. But then, but then he's also saying, well, but the, what did you do? I don't know. So let, let's hear the rest of this. He, is so, he feels he's so innocent, he doesn't even owe an apology. And so, you know, here's an authentic guy who was never in it for the money. This guy was making, what, $2, $2 million a month? He was living in his girlfriend's apartment. He was bragging to me because he spent $25,000 on a car. He wasn't in this for the money. And now everybody's making him into something that he wasn't, something that he isn't. Even when I defend him, there's a, a haters, maybe 20 or 30 people just seem to really hate him. 20 or 30 people. No. No, no, far, far more than that. I, I will acknowledge that a lot of people don't know still. A lot of casual poker fans don't realize the story, even all these years later, even seven years later. But way, 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 way more than 20 or 30 people. But but he says that Chris doesn't know what he did wrong and believes he's innocent. That's true. That's actually true. Chris really doesn't understand what he did wrong. What about the fact that uh, he claims Chris does not care about money? Believe it or not, that's also true. The money that was stolen from Full Tilt, it was not stolen in the fashion of like, ha, 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 we're stealing your money, ha, 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 you know, we're, we're getting away with it. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like a, a premeditated crime. It was a crime of opportunity where it, the company was so poorly managed and got themselves into such a hole that the only way to save the company was to steal money from the players. And that's, of course, wrong. You can't do that. You can't steal money from other people to keep your company afloat. Even if you're like Chris Ferguson and you don't care about money that much. In fact, I, I guess Chris was owed a lot of money by Full Tilt, which, of course, he never got. But he, that was one of his defenses. Like, I was owed a lot of money, and I'm willing to just give that up. I'm not going to ever try to collect that. So, uh, you know, I never cared. I would have collected this money a long time ago. They could have paid me a long time ago. I never even took it. That, that was his defense. I believe Chris just is not really about money. And that's true, but you can not care about money personally, but then be cavalier about other people's money and steal their money to keep a company running that you're part of. And that's what he did. That's what Ray Batar did. That's what Howard Lederer did. And that is what Ray First did. They were on the board. Any of the four who claimed they did not know about this, they should have known. And it was their responsibility to know. And... I'm sure that all of these guys were much more aware of what was going on than they claim. And I, I really believe that they thought that they were doing something that they had to do or otherwise the company would crash. But you have to ask, why were there distributions going out to owners, supposed distribution of profits when the company was losing money very, very quickly? Why were they still distributing fake profits to people? Again, I don't believe that Chris uh, did this because he wanted the money. Again, he didn't collect a lot of the money that was owed to him. But he was part of the decision process. He was part of the board that decided to distribute these profits and also to steal the player money on deposit to cover company expenses until it was just about all gone. When, when Black Friday came down, it just so happened that the timing was coincidental that they were also almost out of money. Black Friday didn't cause them to have no money. It was the, the crisis was almost at its worst point when Black Friday happened to come down, and the government was just as surprised as, as we were. They, they really thought that Full Tilt was like poker stars and, and had a whole lot of money to pay them. 
So that that was a shock to everybody except for those very, very much on the inside there, or pretty much the four on the board were the only ones who knew. So this isn't about Chris's personal desire for money or about his personal greed. It was about the fact that he stole, he and the other three stole money that was on deposit that belonged to the players to keep Full Tilt operational. And that makes everything else, every other point he's making, irrelevant. It's a very small minority. And, uh, you know, and, and you've just got a bunch of haters. Well, you know, haters are haters, man. They're gonna, like, whatever you do, there's, there's haters. And I'm just like, I don't respect haters. <laughs> okay. Trader Risk, are you hearing all this? Yep. Yeah, okay. So I don't respect haters, he's saying. Look. Hating is a term that's being used these days. Oh, I have haters. You know, these are just haters. Well, sometimes there's a good reason to have haters. Sometimes haters are hating you for a good reason. Uh, back 75 years ago, Adolf Hitler had haters. But you're not going to question them. You're not going to say, oh, they're just haters. No, obviously they had a good reason to hate him. So when you say someone has haters, are they justified haters? Or unjustified haters. So an unjustified hater would be someone who's just trying to find fault with someone because they're jealous of them. So someone who hates, uh, let's, let's take like a guy like Doug Polk, for example, who hasn't really uh, done anything bad, or at least not nothing major that's bad. Okay. So Doug Polk, he's a, he's a, a successful poker player. He's a, a YouTube personality. Uh, you know, maybe some people hate him just because he's been successful, even though he's really done nothing wrong. There's really not a reason to hate Doug Polk, but some people, they find a way to hate him. They, they hate him because of the way he does his hair, or the tank tops he wears, or his general demeanor. It's okay to you know, watch him and say, hey, I don't really like this guy. I don't care if it's for his personality. But, but to you know, actually hate him or, or find reasons to hate the guy, that's being a hater. Where you're, you're manufacturing reasons in your head why you hate someone because you're, you're jealous of them in some way. That's what a traditional, quote, hater is. But not when you actually do something that makes you deserving of other people's hate. Then these people aren't being haters, they're being logical. And they're giving you the emotional reaction that you deserve. So these aren't haters because Chris really did something very wrong. And he has not apologized for it, and he has not attempted to even understand from the player's point of view, which is insane because he was once a a regular poker player too. He isn't just some like business guy that, that uh, started up a poker site and doesn't quite know what it's like to be a poker grinder. He was a pro poker player himself back in the day. Like back when he won the World Series of Poker main event. So he should understand what it's like to have your poker bankroll stolen. So for him just to not understand the anger toward him, uh, that's him really being in denial and being delusional. And Phil Helmuth, by extension, for whatever reason, these two have developed a friendship recently. Uh, now, Phil is just dismissing it as haters. Again, this is Phil not being able to see beyond like three feet, three feet in front of his face. That's what's going on here. You know, I mean, I, I want, I would like to teach the haters some positivity. I would like to teach the haters, you know, how to get rid of hate in their life. Hmm. Positivity by Phil Helmuth. <laughs> When you think of Phil Helmuth at the poker table, is positivity a word that comes into your head? 
Do you think, wow, what a happy, positive guy. He's a pleasure to have here. He makes everybody smile. (laughs) I could find about 15 stories from this past World Series where positivity was not what was coming from Phil Helmuth. (laughs) He can teach you how to be positive. That's funny. That is funny. He can teach you how to be positive. Phil Helmuth teaching you how to be positive is like Donald Trump teaching you how to be modest. Amazing. Trader Risky, how do you feel about all this so far? I, I mean, I think it's like he's he thinks that he did no wrong. So, you know, so that's why he's just completely clueless. And also, I mean, as far as Chris Ferguson goes, I mean, he was the one who promoted the site, who was a well-known name in poker, who let who got everybody to, I mean, he, you know, whether what happened at the end was his fault or not, or he didn't know anything or any, you know, or not, his face was on the building of this company. He should have been out there talking, apologizing just for that. You're talking about Phil or, or Chris or both? I'm talking about Chris. Okay. I mean, Phil's a lost cause. This fucking guy is so full of bullshit and such a scumbag. It's like really insulting and fucking ridiculous. This is, this is just such an outrageous interview because I mean, – And that's why he'll go on these shows that no one knows any facts. He's just a piece of shit. <laughs> it, it's amazing. He, he really just thinks these are haters and it's, it's just a small peop, a group of angry people on the internet. who He needs to teach them positivity. I mean I would think this is trolling people, but he's serious. You, you would think listening to this, Phil afterwards has a good laugh. Ha, ha, ha. I said all these funny, outrageous things and people are going to get pissed. No, he's not trolling. He really believes what he's saying here. That, that's the amazing thing. You know, he's trolling. Well, I don't think he believes he is, though. I think he really believes that he that the stuff he's saying. That's the sad I thing. I know, but factually, he didn't think he did anything wrong with UB. He's, if, if he didn't do anything with wrong with UB, then Chris couldn't have done anything wrong with with you know. Yeah, and I'm sure that's in his head. Tilt. I'm sure that's in his head that that he he went through the same thing with quote haters that gave him a hard time about UB. So, oh look, here's somebody else going through it. Like, oh, I went through this a few years ago. Now, now Chris is going through it. I feel bad for Chris. That's what he's thinking. I guarantee you that's what he's thinking. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm going to sell millions of copies of this book, and I'm going to help millions of people get rid of hate. Yep. And, you know, so I don't respect them. And, 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 and so what is Chris Ferguson's crime? Tell me, Dara, what's his crime? Okay, theft, embezzlement, uh, fraud. I think my sound got knocked off again. Oh, okay. He, he, he was asking, what is Chris Ferguson's crime? <laughs> okay, I can, I can answer that one. He, he'll never be prosecuted for them, but those are his crimes. Do wrong. Yeah, I think, I, th- I, th- I think a lot of the problem is that people don't really know exactly what happened, and he's just the most public face, I guess. And Howard made some attempt to come out and you know talk about it. But, uh, but no, I mean, what's the worst-case scenario? What do you think Chris could be guilty of? Okay, theft. Embezzlement, uh, fraud. Come on, one, either one of you. Give me, give me the worst case scenario. Uh, theft, embezzlement, fraud. Uh, hiring Ray Bittar. Okay, so he hired someone. All right, so I mean, what did he hire? He hired two hundred people. So one of them was bad. No, that's not what was going on. Ray Bittar was given 
an insane amount of control there, and apparently they weren't watching him very closely. They were on the board. Chris was on the board. Howard was on the board. Rafe was on the board. They were supposed to be watching it, so one individual, one unethical criminal like Ray Batar could not steal all the funds. And you can't just say, oh, we didn't know. We weren't watching. You're on the board. You're supposed to have access to everything and watch what's going on. And if you don't, then you are just as guilty as if you were doing it yourself, if you're on the board. This wasn't just hiring a low-level employee, one of 200 people who ended up doing something wrong. This was the CEO that the board was not watching. And I also believe that they knew a lot more and agreed to a lot more, including... Look, even if you want to say that this all happened behind Chris's back, that, that one day, you know, six days before Black Friday is the story, that they, they all came to the realization of what Ray had done. So on April 9th, 2011, supposedly that's when they all realized it. And then April 15th, 2011, that's when they got busted. So there's only six days to have dealt with it, and they, there's no way they could have fixed it during that time. Okay. How come after that, Full Tilt put out a message, your money is safe, don't worry? They put a totally untrue message out there that your money's safe when it was really all gone and continue to operate for rest of the world players when all the money was really gone. Now, they can't blame that on Ray Batar alone. At that point, they were very aware that the company was broke and pretending it wasn't so they could rob Peter to pay Paul. How can that be explained? It can't. Okay. So, so his crime is he hired someone who was you know, who, who may or may not have been bad. I'm not even speaking, I'm not even saying Ray's bad. I don't know. Sure. But, I mean, it was obviously never a Ponzi scheme. I mean, they wanted to take this company public. All the poker players laughed at the idea of Ponzi scheme immediately. Everyone knew that wasn't the case. Well, okay. Towards the end, it definitely was. Yeah, that's right. It, it didn't start out as a Ponzi scheme, but th- th- it was to, to keep itself afloat. Right. That was the definition of a Ponzi scheme. Right, right. You you don't have to start out as a Ponzi scheme to become one. That's the problem is just because these people initially attempted to run a legitimate poker site and did for some years and weren't doing things like this, just because that was how it started doesn't mean that if it changes to something else when times get tougher that it doesn't become something else. And it did. It became a Ponzi scheme. And... They did steal from players, and there's no getting around that. And they also lied after Black Friday, after the bust. They also lied to the non-U.S. players that they had all the money and that it was safe to keep playing there. I mean, they were trying to take this company public. So okay, what well, did just, you do wrong? Okay, well, just, what to, did you do wrong? Just, just to push back on what you're saying, and, and, and by the way, I think both Darren and I come from quite a balanced place on this one, uh, unlike some of the haters as you described them, but at the same time, there is an amount of personal responsibility that you know was taken by Howard, I guess, when he came out and did the letter of files. There has been uh, a deafening silence from Chris, who you've just said um, doesn't feel like he even owes anyone an apology. Well, why not speak in some fashion? So if someone doesn't take personal responsibility and another guy doesn't talk enough, then people should just write hateful things about him the rest of their life? Yes. <laughs> yes. If somebody steals money, if someone is involved in the theft of hundreds of millions of dollars from those that trusted them to do to run it properly and do the right thing, and then they steal the money to cover operational expenses, and the money's all gone because they lose all the money, then yes, people are angry, 
and expect some kind of apology. And if they don't get one, at the very least, then they will write bad things about that person. Yes, that's that's the right way it should go. No, no, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But it, well, I'm suggesting that. See, I love these hosts. No, 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 I'm not suggesting that. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm on a fair place here for, for both of you. <laughs> these hosts are just, they're, they're really sucking him off here. I'm surprised they even brought up that one point back about people expecting an apology. But Yeah, or, or they could have just said if they did exactly what Phil Helmuth did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It it did affect a lot of people's lives. There was a lot of poker players, friends of mine, who had most of their roles sitting on full tilt, and it was a it was a miserable time. Right. And the government, but the government, everybody knew the government took two hundred and eighty million away, so they couldn't pay. What? What? When did that happen? Where they took two hundred eighty million away? Where, where did they get that two eighty million? When they busted full tilt, they were broke. So where did the 280 million come from? Did did uh did the poker fairy come down and put 280 million dollars on a tree that uh, the government could then grab? How how did they take 280 million? I don't even understand what he's talking about here. This this is where Phil just says things with authority that are just totally untrue. That he might believe, but uh he just says these things like they're fact. <laughs> You know, Chris Ferguson surrendered $20 million of his own money to pay back the players. He obviously didn't do too much wrong. And obviously there's a group of haters that will, you know, I mean, I think because Daniel Negreanu seems to hate him for whatever reason. I mean, I don't even know Negreanu. I don't even know Negreanu controls a lot of people, you know. I mean, maybe, you know, and maybe, I mean, when I saw the hateful stuff, when I sent a picture of Chris Ferguson and I out and welcome back to the poker world, there was a bunch of hate there, and I was wondering, is this just five, six guys? I mean, who are these guys? People who lost their money on full tilt, had it locked up for years while they couldn't play poker. Uh, I like how he's blaming this on Negroni. It's weird because he and Negroni are friends, so I'm surprised he said that. I mean, they have their little public spats on Twitter, but they've been friends for a long time, and I'm surprised he would blame this on Negroni, unless they've kind of had a falling out and they're not really friends anymore. But... Uh, he's saying this is Negreanu's fault for, for controlling people. That uh, Daniel Negreanu, I guess, is leading a cult of poker players. And Daniel is then uh, controlling them and making them hate Chris Ferguson unjustly. I can't believe he, he really believes this. Time. <laughs> this is, I can't believe the stuff that, that he said. Even for Phil Helmuth, this is outrageous. You know, um, are these fake media accounts? So I, I think it's absurd. I think that Chris eventually will come public with a bunch of stuff. And I think once people realize that he didn't do anything or didn't do much. I mean, I can't even, when I say do, I don't even think he did anything. Oh, Freudian slip. Freudian slip. He didn't do anything. Well, he didn't do much. Well, 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 I, actually, he didn't do anything. <laughs> he caught himself there. He's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, if I admit he did anything, then it makes sense why people are mad. So I, I got to go back and say he didn't really do anything. So... He also is saying that we should give Chris Ferguson time to come out and explain everything and that he's sure when Chris does that we'll all feel much better about Chris. Okay, Phil, you're right. We've been way too quick to judge. It's only been seven years. We should give him at least, what, 14, 15, maybe even 20 years to explain. Seven years is way too long. Chris is just processing this right now. He's only had seven years to think about it. That's, that's not where, anywhere near enough time. To come out and make a statement. So you're, you're right, Phil. I'll give you that one. I mean, people were mad because the government didn't pay them back right away. They had roles caught in his sight. 
Well, the government confiscated $280 million, so... No, they didn't. What could he do? Lob- uh, what could he do? Uh, okay, not steal the money in the first place. Be honest, after they get busted and they have no money, that they should just shut down and not offer games to those of the rest of the world and pretend they still are holding their money. Uh, give up as much of his personal fortune as possible to make this right. Uh, be public and forthright with everything that happened and turn over all necessary information to convict someone like Ray Batar. Uh, tell the public what happened and explain it honestly. These, these are some things I, I can just think of off the top of my head. Be the government to give the $280 million to the players. And then, of course, that's exactly what the government eventually did. But anyway... No, that's not what happened. The government seized full tilt... And then in order to uh, agree, as part of the agreement with the owners of Full Tilt, not to prosecute them criminally, they gave Full Tilt officially to the government. So they made no claim to get it back. Basically, the owners of Full Tilt said, okay, you own it now. You can have it now as long as you don't prosecute us. That, That was the deal. So then the government owned it. And then they, the government turned around and sold it to PokerStars for $750 million, which then was used to pay back the players. Had PokerStars not come in to buy it, then this would not have happened. And then there would not have been – I mean the government would have owned it, but it would have been worthless or mostly worthless. And then the players would not have been paid. So the government was not holding $280 million for a long time. The government only got the money because PokerStars stepped in a while later – and agreed to buy it, which they didn't have to do. Enough of this. I'm probably going to, somebody's going to, there's probably like the 10 haters that hate him are probably going to attack me again after watching this. But. Yep. I'm one of those 10. Me and my nine friends. Just to bring things on, back onto a more positive note, a few years ago you were you came over to the Irish Open um, and it was a really big deal, obviously, for people that you were, in, you were in the country. And I was actually at your table late on day one, but you were very... All right, I don't... I, I, Jet lagged. I think you'd gone to. to t- no, I don't even hear this. I, th- I thought it might be about this topic, but sounds like he's changing the subject here. So, uh, I, I'll be honest here. I didn't listen to this before playing it on this show. This was brought to my attention yesterday, and I said I would cover it on the show. But I actually wanted to have my initial reaction on here, not a feigned reaction after I've already heard it once. So I wanted to have the same shock at some of these statements on the show that you'd hear from me hearing it the first time. I didn't want to have to reproduce my emotions from the first time I heard it. So I was was playing it for the first time, so that's why I wasn't sure when to stop it. And I do that a lot when I play these clips because I want this to be a real show. I I don't act like a phony on here. I don't put on a phony persona. Uh, Those that have met me in person will acknowledge that I'm the same person on this show as I am in real life. And I I like, in these type of segments, to actually hear it along with you for the first time. So my reaction is completely genuine. Uh, so, Trader Risky, any closing thoughts about this? Well, it's just, you know, he understood the seven years. I mean, I guess this has been probably like a dozen years since for Phil, maybe he feels he should have more time. But... That's perhaps that I had to say. Okay. 
So this is pretty outrageous. If you want to hear the interview or more of the interview than uh, what I played, you can look for the Chip Race Poker Podcast. That's not Chip Reese, Chip Race. I wonder if it's called that because of Chip Reese. Probably not. The Chip Race Poker Podcast, and you can find it on Stitcher. So if you just Google Chip Race, Chip Space Race Poker Podcast, then it will come up. The Stitcher link will come up. You can play it directly from the Stitcher website. You don't even need the Stitcher app. Or if you have the Stitcher app, you can just search for it on there. So that is uh, pretty outrageous. That was a very dumb interview. I wish the host called him out on this more, or at least if they didn't want to attack him, at least have a friendly debate with him about this. But it seemed like they they threw in a few weak protests to what he was saying, but uh, didn't really follow up when he would shoot down what they would say. And especially, I'm assuming they're based in Europe, right? Yeah, they seem like they're based in Ireland. Uh, they, right, they have so the, they really stole from all their listeners in right, Europe. Right, right. That was the stealing, you know. Yeah, right. There's no there's no way that Chris and Howard can defend that one. Because, as I just said, after Black Friday, they pretended like they still had money and kept operating. Where, uh, at that point, nobody could plead ignorance anymore. I don't believe that there was full ignorance anyway, but... Uh, for sure, after the Black Friday bus came down and they looked and they saw they had no money, for sure, I mean, even Howard admitted in uh, the interviews with him with Poker News that they were aware, like about six days before Black Friday, that there was no money left. So how did they explain why they lied to the European players? They can't. So anyway, I want to move on to the next topic here, the Bitcoin topic. We had a long segment last week, and we've had a few segments on previous weeks, about Bitcoin and the bad beat jackpot that they were stealing. A very quick recap, Bitcoin, which was the first online poker room that was using Bitcoin as a currency, and they go way back, I think to like 2011, that they first had a, a fail with a tournament where they were allowing people to register without any funds in their account. And because it was a networked tournament, that basically Bitcoin owed each buy-in back to the network. So if anyone registered and played with no money in their account, then Bitcoin was going to have to cover it. So this was on the Winning Poker Network. They were part of their Winning Poker Tournament Network. Not the cash games, but the tournament network. So that means that if you played a tournament on Bitcoin, you would be playing against the same people as you'd be playing on America's Card Room and others on the Winning Poker Network. So that happened in December, and presumably because Bitcoin didn't feel like covering that very large liability on their own because of what happened, even though it's their fault, uh, they were off the Winning Poker Network's tournament network. And without that, they realized that their cash games were very small and it was not worth continuing to run them. So they claimed that they sold their site to new owners, which I don't believe, and that the new owners were not going to honor any, quote, promotion. Well, first they were going to close down the poker room on December 25th, and that they were not going to honor, quote, any promotions from the previous ownership. Well, what they called the promotion was the 43 Bitcoin bad beat jackpot, which was player-funded. They took that out of each pot the players would win, 
to fund the Bad Beat jackpot to where it got as large as 43 Bitcoin, which at the time was worth about uh, you know, anywhere between and $700,000. It's worth a bit less now because Bitcoin dropped, but uh, yeah, it's still worth several hundred thousand dollars right now. So they said they're just not paying it because it was a promotion, which of course is BS. That's just theft, and that's very much against the whole concept of a Bad Beat jackpot. In fact, whenever a poker room closes... It is very, very standard practice, and in fact, the law in many jurisdictions that the bad beat jackpot must be paid out before the poker room is allowed to close. That is the law in Nevada, that is the law in New Jersey, that's the law in most places that have a poker room with a bad beat jackpot. And there's a reason for that, because otherwise it's stealing, because this is funded by player money, and it should go back to players. And it's not for the card room to just take if they decide to close. So Bitcoin at first tried to take it. There was a lot of outrage about this. And Bitcoin also had a long history of other shady things they were doing, but none quite as bad as this. And they were being very stubborn about it. Then one of their biggest public critics, a guy who goes under Twitchy Seal, who used to play there until he was banned for being too critical of them publicly, uh, he listens to this show every week. And he was pressing them about this matter. And and surprisingly, recently, they changed their minds and said that they would pay out the Bad Beat jackpot and were consulting Twitchy Seal, saying that they want him to come up with a way to do it. But then they were being very uncooperative with him. So even though they claimed they wanted him to direct the process, uh, they were not giving him visibility into anything and being very stubborn and difficult when he was trying to ask them questions. So that was the last we heard. That was what we reported on last week. We had Twitchy Seal on the show, and that was where it stood. Well, big change. Big, big change. Now, remember, they shut down their poker on December 25th, so that's why they couldn't just award the Bad Beat Jackpot, because there's no more poker on there to award it. And there was even a question of how could they possibly distribute it fairly, and how can we be sure they're really distributing it if you know they claim to first they're going to just give it back to all the different people they raked it from, but uh, that seemed like a lot of – there were a lot of different ways to cheat people in doing that and, and under-refund the whole thing. So – and there's also questions of whether they had all the records of who had contributed to it. Anyway, here's a, an update which was very nicely posted today on January 17th. Very nice of them to wait until Wednesday so we could cover it on the show and be very current. The headline is – as follows, poker to return to Bitcoin.ag. Wow. After all this, they're bringing back poker. <laughs> Come full circle. Poker to return to Bitcoin.ag. In our attempt to calculate and repay the bad beat jackpot contributions precisely to those players that contributed to them, it was determined that each contribution cannot be determined with 100% accuracy. So this, this is why they wouldn't tell Twitchy Seal whether they had that, all that information. He kept asking them repeatedly, do you have the raw data of who paid what? And they just wouldn't answer him. So now we see why they don't. Without this 100% transparency and accuracy, we believe the redistribution was unacceptable. During this review process, we consulted poker executives and players and all confirmed that the most transparent and best way was to open poker back up and lower the requirements of the bad beat jackpot until it's earned by the players. Lowering the requirements mean that you know, you don't have to hit like a really freaky bad beat hand. It doesn't have to be uh, you know, uh, quad aces over straight, straight flush or better. You know, it, I don't know what it was before, but something that makes it easier to hit is what they're saying. 
Our goal is to do the right thing and remain fully transparent. Therefore, poker will open back up to everyone and the bad beat jackpot requirements will be lowered. As a result of this change in direction, some staff members will be leaving the company and will be replaced. Hmm. I don't understand why that would be, but <laughs> why would opening up poker again, which was just open throughout most of December, why would that force staff to be replaced? Players will have full access to ring games, table games, jackpots, tournaments, and more. We are modifying the rules of the Bad Beat Jackpot in order to make sure they are crystal clear, and we, expected a po- we expect a posted update to the rules by Monday, January 22nd, and we expect poker to resume in, the f- in full the week of January 26th. We want to thank everyone for the great feedback and assistance in this matter. We are dedicated to making Bitcoin the, s- the best place in the world to play. So that's a real interesting turn of events, that they're going to reopen poker. They're not saying – I don't know if they're going to keep it open – but at least for right now, it's gonna. They're going to reopen poker, which, by the way, I suggested that was something I was saying that maybe they should run poker again, or run a tournament, or run something to distribute the money fairly, and open it up to everybody who had ever contributed to it, or ever played real money on the site. But anyway, they're going to reopen poker at least temporarily, and allow people to keep playing until the bad beat jackpot hits, and they're going to lower the requirements. That really makes me think that this really is just temporary, but maybe not to where the bad beat jackpot will hit fairly soon. They're not specific on that yet. They claim in five days on the 22nd, they'll let everybody know about that, but that that's the most fair way to do it. And then after that, presumably they'll be done with the bad beat jackpot. They don't say that either, but okay. If this is what they're doing, fine. But, but, I hope there's no shenanigans here, such as rigging the bad beat jackpot for certain people to win who might be friendly with them. So here you have 43 Bitcoin, which even with the degradation in value of Bitcoin in recent times is still worth uh, a little less than 500,000 US dollars. So what if this is manipulated? What if they manipulate their software to where friends or relatives or maybe even them under phony accounts win the bad beat jackpot. And what if the reason they are lowering the requirements, let's say they've changed it from uh, you know quads over quads or better, what if they change it to you know aces full or better losing, or uh, kings full or better losing, something like that, where they think it'll hit after a reasonable amount of time. What if they're just doing that so they can get it over with quickly, this little cheat they pull, and there won't be question on how the jackpot hit so fast. Otherwise, questions could be raised, hey, how these people hit it if they've barely been playing. This way it doesn't require grinding, grinding, grinding. You know, this way it's not a shock if it hits the first day or the second day or whatever. So what, what if that's the plan? So while they can't control who wins it if they're operating it fairly... I really hope that there's some visibility into who wins it. And if it really is some mysterious account that appeared out of nowhere that wins it, then it's going to be very suspicious. So we will see. I don't want to accuse them of too much yet, but then again, they did try to steal the bad beat jackpot right from the start, so I have a right to be very skeptical. But if this is done and done fairly, then I'm okay with it. And I want to give credit to Twitchy Seal and those who showed vigilance about the situation to press them, press them, press them, and basically 
make them do the right thing because initially they were going to run off with it. Trader Risky, do you think that, uh, if you had to guess, do you think this is going to be done fairly or do you think there's going to be some shenanigans? Well, I think rigging the bad beat jackpot would be rough, would be tough. But I don't know if they can have money now to cover things, you know, now with Bitcoin's going down. Well, the bit- uh, they could be in a worse spot than they were. I'm sure they are. Well, at least you know, the Bitcoin they ha- at least the Bitcoin they have to pay out is worth less too. So they they have to pay 43 Bitcoin and that the, the fact that Bitcoin has gone down that that part doesn't matter. But I, I know what you're saying that if this hurt the overall health of the company that can hurt them, but Twitchy Seal was assu- was insisting that they were part of a a larger company that was secretly owning them. So he actually said that he thought that they had plenty of money and plenty of budget. And he didn't think that they were really struggling as much as they claimed they were. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens when they reopen on the 26th. If if you are someone who has played on Bitcoin, if they really do lower the requirement low, then the question is, uh, provided it's fair at that point, is it smart to play on there to try to win it if it's some low requirement? Like let, Let's say it was absurdly low. It's not going to be. Let's, let's say it was uh, uh, a f- any full house losing. Which, which won't be, but let's say it is, okay? And to win 43 Bitcoin on a small site. Well, I, I Provided I believed it was being done fairly, I would register on there. That, that's a great gamble to win something like that for a, a full house losing. So depending upon how tough the requirements really are, depending upon whether uh, this is really being done fairly, it, it may be to the player's advantage to actually go on there and try to win it. And I hate to say, oh, you know, give them business, but you have to wonder that too. And you have to wonder how many people will come over there and start playing just to win this and then leave. So. But it, there's no perfect solution. So that's, that's probably the closest good solution they, come up, they can come up with is reopen the poker room and run this until it hits. I still don't trust them. The whole way they've handled this has been very, very shady the whole way. So I want to talk about Station Casinos and their Bad Beat Jackpot mess. You think that Bad Beat Jackpots can only uh, be stolen by a shady online poker site and not by a brick-and-mortar site in Vegas? Well, incorrect. <laughs> it it happened at stations in a different way. This one wasn't directly stolen, but it was just not awarded when it should have been. So what's so weird about this is station is they're being such hard asses about this when they're really not benefiting because this again is player money, so it has to be distributed. So the only benefit they're getting from denying this payout through what they claim was a very petty rule violation is keeping the bad beat jackpot higher and encouraging more people to play there. But I don't think that's worth it. Whatever additional business they get from people trying to hit that jackpot, they're losing much more business in this bad publicity that's being covered everywhere, including by the Las Vegas Review-Journal. And uh, These are locals' casinos. All they're doing is making themselves look like assholes. So I, I just don't understand. It's not like they're trying to avoid paying you know, like $120,000 of their own money. They're, avoid, they're avoiding distributing player money. That has to be distributed anyway. That's what's so weird. Anyway, 
a ruling was supposed to have come down on January 14th on the situation. To review the situation, there is a bad beat jackpot that station casinos were running that were... It, it was one that was station casino-wide for all of Las Vegas. So it would go up with every hand played at any of the poker rooms at any of their casinos in Vegas. And then when it would hit, everybody who was playing at the time would get a piece of it. So that was that was a way they were trying to entice people to play is, hey, you get your table share, even not only if you're just not at the same table, if you're in any station casino playing poker when the Bad Beat Jackpot hits, you get a piece of it. So that was enticing people to come play. And it finally hit. It was a $120,000 jackpot. It's a capped jackpot. I don't know. Maybe they stopped collecting for it, but whatever it is, it... it uh, it gets to 120000 and it stops going up. Maybe they stop collecting for it. Whatever it is, it had to be hit at some point. And it was. There was a straight flush over straight flush situation where uh, Avi Shamir, clearly an Israeli guy, uh, held, held the worst straight flush. And Leonard Schreeder held the better straight flush. And this was on the river. So... All the cards had been put out. So, Shamir was to get 62,126, and Schreeder was supposed to get 31,063. And these were, I'm not sure what game they were playing, but these were not high limit games. This is a lot of money for for anyone, for, for both these guys to have won. So the controversy occurred when Schreeder realized what was going on and at some point on the river showed his cards before the hand was over. So Schreeder was so excited that a jackpot had hit here that he showed his cards before the hand was over. I think maybe before he completed the betting or whatever it was. Uh, he he realized that the jackpot was hitting and that he was going to win the second most amount, which is 31000 Well, technically, that was against the rules. And they refused to pay the jackpot for that reason. Station casinos had the rule that you are not allowed to discuss the bad beat jackpot. You know, you can't play for the jackpot. You can't encourage other players to take certain action. And you can't reveal your holdings or you are not eligible for the jackpot. The jackpot becomes dead at that point. That was their rules. The reason they do this is because they want the jackpot to hit naturally. They don't want people actually playing hands they otherwise wouldn't to try to get the jackpot. Like, Let me give you an example. Let's say the jackpot's very high, and everyone at the table just agrees that they're all going to just limp and then check down every hand and uh, wait until the jackpot hits uh, and, and only... So you know things like that, where you or, or or discuss it during the hand, like hey, if you if you're possibly getting a straight flush or better or quads are better, then uh, you know let everybody know so we don't run people out. So you know this way people don't get run out who might be able to hit a backdoor straight flush. So let, for example, let's say someone's holding uh, pocket sixes and the board is nine six six with two diamonds. Okay, and uh, the person, someone at the table has uh, 10-7 of diamonds. Now, they're probably calling 
a lot of bits there anyway. But uh, let's say the person with a quad says, hey, I've just flopped quads. Um, I, I don't want to run you off the hand. I, I realize you probably have a big draw. I, I could really put you a decision. You, you may end up folding your 10-7 of diamonds because you may be convinced that you're drawing dead at some point if they're both deep stacked. If they're not deep stacked, then obviously no one's folding that. But what if they say, okay, I have quads here. I'm not even going to raise you. Let, let's just uh, check that down. Or let, let's even make it like this. Let's say it's like 9-6-6 rainbow with a 9 of diamonds. Someone has 10-7 of diamonds. And say, look, I'm not going to bet you off because if you had 10-8 of diamonds, I want you to be able to take, you know, take two diamonds off and maybe hit that backdoor straight flush and beat my quads and then we hit the jackpot. So that's, that's what they don't want. They don't want people to artificially not bet and let the hand get to the river just so the jackpot hits. That's the reason for the rule. However, once all the cards are dealt, once it's out there, and obviously a straight flush is never folding, so, uh, yeah, two-card straight flush is never, never, never folding. Especially knowing that, at the very worst, they lose and then they win the jackpot. So either they're winning the hand, or they're losing it and then winning the jackpot, which is even better. So there, there'd be no reason anyone would ever fold a straight flush. Ever. A two-card straight flush, you're either winning the hand, or you're getting the jackpot. Either way, you're great. Either way, you, you, know, you want to put your money in. So, yeah, it is on the river. So people were saying, look, it was over. There was no chance this was going to affect whether the jackpot hit or not. And Station said, nope, they violated the rules. They're not getting it. And people were really pissed about this. There was like just about nobody on Station Casino's side about this. When did he show his hand? After the river card? Yeah. Before the betting? Um, it, it, yeah, it was, on the turn? It was after the river card. Okay. Yeah, it was not on the turn. It was on the river card, and I I don't know exactly when, but it was some point when the river was out there and they both had a straight flush. So in, in which case, there's there's no chance either way they would have folded. When each has a two-card straight flush, there's no chance anybody would fold because either way, uh, nobody's folding. So the Nevada... Gaming Control Board was called down there to rule on the situation. And initially, uh, a Nevada Gaming Control Board member named Terry Johnson, uh, or sorry, that came, Terry Johnson ruled on later, but the, the person who came down there, uh, some officer who came down from the board, ruled in favor of the players. And Station said, no, we want to appeal this, and that's what this whole thing's about. So the decision was supposed to come down on January 14th, but it has been delayed. Now, what's interesting is that uh, this is where this Terry Johnson guy comes in, who's part, part of the Nevada Gaming Control Board. Uh, he feels that perhaps that the station's bad beat jackpot rules were not valid, because they may actually be against the law. Because uh, Nevada Gaming has its own rules, and Terry Johnson is looking into whether they uh, they have a right to even say that. But if, if the winner of the hand has already been decided, as it would have on the river, that uh, they may not be able to set such a rule. But they may only be able to set such a rule if it would affect the winner of the hand. So, 
who said uh, Johnson also wants the hearing offer to review and clarify evidentiary materials submitted in the case. He also asked for, asked for clarity which rules, stations, bad beat rules, or standard standard poker room procedural rules were were used to reach the determination from the hearing officer that the jackpots be paid. So, even if uh, this a winner of the hand, this uh, Leonard Schreeder, even if his actions were against the rules of the station, uh, his own actions didn't change the outcome of the hand, and in fact, the only person who could have been harmed by his actions was himself. Why? Because he was the winner of the hand. So by showing his hand, um, you know, this, this could cause him to get less action, but uh, I guess action would have to be... I guess he could go all in and the other guy would have to call to win the jackpot. So I don't see how he could be harmed anyway. But and I don't know if anybody was still in the hand on the river besides the other straight flush. But basically they're saying there's no way this could have changed anything. There's no way that uh, anyone could have been harmed by this except for him. Because let's say there were other people in the hand in the river. Well, uh, if those people folded, then they've done the right thing. They've saved money. So there's no way that his actions could have caused, cost anyone any money except for himself. So that's, that's the argument there. So here's the weird part of this whole thing. Why is it delayed? Aside from you know, getting clarity on whether station's rules were, were valid. The other reason for the delay is that paperwork was apparently filed with the Nevada Gaming Commission by this Leonard Schreeder, the one who won the hand and who's due to get 31000 but has not received it. There are papers filed that he's dropping his action against the stations. So people are saying, wait a minute, why would he drop it? He's been trying to get this the whole way. Why would he drop it now? And it's not like they've settled. They haven't paid anyone. So why would he drop it? So... It is now being assumed that he somehow submitted his paperwork by mistake and was accidentally dropping it. So they're referring to a procedural error that needs to be reviewed. And the error is believed to be him dropping his action against the stations. They think that he just made a mistake in the paperwork. So they're, they're delaying it also so they can figure out whether he really meant to drop his claim against them, or whether he just did so in error, which they believe that he actually did in error. But it's not weird <laughs> that that he somehow accidentally is probably dropping his his case there, and then they're holding up the whole thing so they can make sure of that. So, but why would that even matter if they're doing a judgment on it anyway? Um, th- that's a good question, but uh, I-, I think because. In order to get the money from station, each person who's affected needs to make a claim through the Nevada Gaming Commission and say that uh, they are due this money and station's not paying it. Now, the question is, those that don't make this claim, uh, are they entitled to the money? And if not, what happens to it? So that's the part I don't quite understand. But that And did you say anybody playing in the game at all the station casinos gets a piece? Yes. So that must, is it like hundreds of people? So, uh, they claim it's only 80, so I guess the poker rooms were pretty dead at that time. 
And I guess they don't all have a poker room, but whatever. They claim there's 80 people who are going to get $565 each. Got it. I thought it'd be more than that, but that's that's what's being reported. So what what time of day was it hit? I'm not sure. Yeah, it might have been like two in the morning or something. Yeah. So I want to talk about ignition poker. We'll we'll see what happens with the station. I'll give you guys updates as that, as that goes on. But I want to talk about ignition poker and something they've done, which bothers me. And then after that, we'll we'll do a Ken Scaler topic. I'll try to call him if he doesn't answer. I'll just uh, I, I give him time to call, and he hasn't called so. Let me text him right here. Uh, I can't wait for Judge Judy tomorrow. That is genius. <laughs> so if he if he doesn't call, I'm going to do the segment without him. But I'm going to talk about Ignition in the meantime. Ignition yesterday, either yesterday or the day before, but I noticed it yesterday, did something very stupid. And I think it's it was intended, I believe, to make the playing experience for recreational players more pleasant. But I believe they accomplished the opposite, and it's going to hurt them. It was stupid. I wonder if they're going to keep this, or if they're going to realize how stupid they were. So, the chat box on Ignition, while it still appears to be there, is not what it appears to be anymore. If you try to click on the area where you don't normally type something, it will immediately bring bring up a menu of pre-selected things you can say. So you can no longer type there. It will not let you type in the chat box anymore. So the chat box has been removed. Or not removed, but it's been changed to where you can no longer type in it. And instead, it's been replaced with the following generic statements you can make. You can, you can choose one of these. They are good luck, exclamation point, unlucky, exclamation point, Good game, exclamation point. Ha 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 ha. Well played. Well played with W and P both capitalized for some reason. Wow, exclamation point. Z, 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 like someone's not acting quickly enough. Nice hand, exclamation point. And thank you, exclamation point. (laughs) But wait, wait. Let's say those nine statements do not accurately describe what you're trying to convey. Well, then they also give you six emoji faces that you can use instead of those above phrases. So you can use a smiley face, a red angry face, a sad face, uh, six standard emoji faces that you can use instead of those. And that's on Bovada now too, right? Right. Well, it is. Yeah, yeah, the whole network. Bovada, Ignition, Bodog, whatever you play on in that network. That is now the way the software works. So no more chatting. You can pick these generic phrases. So why was this done? Poker chat has existed ever since the very beginning of online poker. Planet Poker, which was released in 1998, had a chat box. Paradise Poker, which followed shortly thereafter, they had a chat box. Party Poker, Poker Stars, all of them had a chat box. Every poker... Game you can play has a chat box online. That's just a standard part of online poker. You can chat. Now you cannot anymore. Now you can use these stupid pre-written phrases. Very generic pre-written phrases. And that's it. So, 
It's being assumed that the reason they did this is to prevent fish from being berated and having a bad experience there. So if a fish puts down a really bad beat on someone, instead of the pro or the good amateur telling him that he's a moron and how stupid he is and making fun of him for the way he played, uh, now you can't say that anymore. Notice there's nothing derogatory here. Good luck, unlucky, good game, ha 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 ha, well played, wow, zzz, nice hand, and thank you. There's no, like, moron, retard, stupid, idiot. <laughs> you can't pick those. They don't exist. You can only send one of those. So, there's nothing very negative you can say. I guess the worst you can say is something like, ha 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 ha, if you take a bad beat, but that's still kind of like a jovial reaction. So I think they believe that they were preventing fish from being berated and that the fish will be happier and that if the fish can't be insulted for their play, that the poker experience will be much better for them. But is that true? Now, it's true that fish don't enjoy being insulted. It's true that uh, sometimes people who are very obnoxious in the chat box towards fish uh, will drive the fish away. But guess what? Guess what I noticed from my many years of playing online poker? There are many fish who enjoy the chat experience and enjoy some sort of uh, trash talk, even if it's kind of more gentle trash talk. But uh, they enjoy kind of the rivalry of having a chat enemy they're playing against. And I've had that before. I have both uh, recently and and more often uh, in the past kept games going, very good games going, because I was making it fun for the fish by being kind of like his gambling rival, that I, I didn't try to make it seem like I was a nit who was, uh, who, who was trying to exploit him and trying to keep him in there so he gave away all his money. Uh, instead, I was acting like a crazy gambler who was, you know, who, was, who was like him, who was playing, you know, playing wild and then you know, being very brash and, uh, and, and being you know, just not really insulting, but, but kind of uh, like a little bit frustrated and angry when I lose and then make some comments and they make some comments back to me and we'd, we'd, we'd insult each other, but nothing like terrible. And, and the fish would enjoy this because they, they, it was an engaging experience for them. Not all fish enjoyed this, but if I got the idea that someone was enjoying this from the way they were chatting, I would play it up and then we, we would have our rivalry back and forth. And uh, it would keep them in the game, and it would keep the game good. On Absolute Poker, before the cheating took place in 2007, I started and kept going many games at 4080 with my infamous Electro account, which was a very brash account that typed in all caps and acted like that, and, and the fish loved me. Even though I was killing them, I was the most successful player on, in the Limit Holding games on there during that time. They loved me because it was fun. They had, I was like the obnoxious guy they were playing against. They were being obnoxious back to me, and we were both you know, saying things back and forth. And in fact, you know, my reactions when they would beat me would make them so happy. They would, they would get excited that I'd show frustration and that uh, um, you know, we'd, we'd kind of taunt each other when we'd win. And that was fun to them because they, they wanted to win to taunt me, and then I'd taunt them, and they'd, get, they'd say, oh, I can't wait to beat him next so I can do this back. That's what they were thinking. Now, I didn't do this to every fish, but if I noticed someone seemed to be into that, I would do it. And I'll tell you, these fish are playing for entertainment, most of them. So this is entertaining. Even if they lose, they, they, get, they had fun doing it. Where they don't have fun is where everybody just sits there quiet and takes their money. That's not fun. So, even if you want to take away the trash-talking and kind of uh, brash behavior that can 
occur in the chat rooms. Even if you want to say that's not good, which I disagree with, but if you want to say that's not good, they still like to chat. They still like to talk. I've also had it where I can tell a fish doesn't want to be insulted, but they, they like to make comments about a hand being a bad beat, like if you bad beat them. You, you can bad beat fish, too. It happens all the time. So you, know, you bad beat them, and they make some comment about it, and then you make some comment back about it. Or, or, the, you know, or even something as simple like, like LOL you know, when you two out them on the river, and then you, you say, well, you know, the, you know, perfect revenge. You did that to me 15 minutes ago. Things like that. Like you, they, they like talking. Even if it's friendly talking, they like talking. This makes it to where nobody can talk anymore. You can't have a conversation with these nine phrases. So this is going to make make online poker very boring for everybody. It's going to remove something that was good and exciting and interesting about online poker and change it into a very generic and by-the-numbers exercise. So this is not going to please the fish. They think it will, but it's not going to. The the fish are going to be very bored by this. They're going to feel like their ability to communicate has been taken away. So people are trying their best on there to still use these things to kind of troll so they'll just keep saying, you know, well played, well played, well played over and over or unlucky, unlucky when they bad beat someone, like they'll they'll keep putting that over and over. That's the, the best thing they could do, I guess, to, to still keep the same spirit alive, but it's not the same if you can't type your own words, when you have to pick these one of these nine stupid phrases. So, that has changed and I think with a lot fewer fish than there used to be on Ignition and Bovada, this is going to make it even worse. The, the ones that are there are going to not like this, and some may leave. I don't even think they're going to consciously leave for this reason. I don't think they're going to, well, I'm not playing poker on here anymore because I can't chat. I don't think we're going to get that. I think they're just going to have a less enjoyable experience and won't understand why they don't enjoy it as much and will not redeposit next time they bust. Not all of them, of course, but some of them, I think, will just have a less enjoyable experience without being able to chat and just will subconsciously not want to bother again and won't. I have a long history in poker chats. Uh, on Poker Stars, before anyone knew who I was, which may be tough for some of you to picture, because I've, I've been known as Dan Druff for a very long time. Dan Druff and Todd Wittellis have been very easily equated for over a decade, well over a decade. In fact, many people know me just as Dan Druff. They don't even know my full name. But they can picture me. They can picture what Dan Druff looks like. And, you know, they, they know Dan Druff as a real person. Like Chris Moneymaker is one of these guys. He knows Dan Druff quite well. He doesn't, every time I meet him, he's like, I'm sorry, I, I forgot your name. And it's like, <laughs> I know you're Dan Druff, but I, I don't know your real name. So I tell him every time, but whatever. Like, for quite some time, into 2005, from 01 to 05, basically, Dan Druff was a very active player on the middle and upper limit limit hold'em games online, but no one knew who Dandruff was. I kept it a secret. I played live too, but I never said I was Dandruff. So no one knew. This only became known once I finished third in the World Series of Poker at that $1,500 limit event. At that point, I revealed it. So, uh, prior to that, 
I had I hadn't even thought of playing tournaments. I just wasn't a tournament person, so I never thought I would have to reveal who I was. So I talked a lot of trash in the chat room, partially just knowing that I'd never really have to face any of these people. Not like I was afraid of them, but like it, it's just awkward when you like talk a lot of trash to someone online and then meet them in person. I'm not worried someone's going to like beat me up for it, but I, I just thought that it was something I wouldn't have to face the embarrassment of anything I said in person because they would never associate Dandruff with, with my real name. So I, I talked a lot of trash in the PokerStars chat room. And one of the things I came up with, which wasn't really talking trash, but it became very well known associated with me. I guess it's kind of politically incorrect by today's standards. But in the early 2000s, this really wasn't yet. Uh, when I would lose a hand, I would say gay, but I would split it up letter by letter. So I would type G-A-Y every time I took a bad beat. And I did that so often on PokerStars that like everyone got to know it. Everyone got to associate it with me. In fact, other people started typing G-A-Y whenever they lost hands. It was a very big thing on PokerStars that I had started. It was mainly me doing it, but other people were doing it too, and I was very well known for doing it. But when I say I was, Dan Druff was. I was not known. Like Dan Druff's real identity was not known. So... Once I was known, that <laughs> people were like, uh, you know, you talk a lot of shit in that chat room. And, uh, you know, Greg Mueller, I remember I, I used to go back and forth with him in the chat. He used to play there. He wasn't originally FBT. You know, he calls himself FBT. This is his online name. But before FBT, he used to play as Mr. Lashapal. I don't even know what that means, but that was his name. And me and him used to go back and forth. And... Somehow he got to believe that I threatened to kick his ass, which I didn't. Like I, that was never my routine. I was never threatening, but uh, somehow he believed that I had. So when I met him in person, and yeah, you know, Greg Mueller, he's a big guy. He, he used to be a hockey player. He's like six foot four. He's like yeah, you know, he's a big guy. So uh, when I met him in person, like he was convinced that I had been threatening him on there, and I had to tell him that like, he he wasn't. He he kind of took it as a joke, so he wasn't that mad. But he's like. You know, you were threatening to kick my ass on there, and I, I was trying to explain to him I wasn't. But, like, for some reason, that stuck with him over the years. To even when I played, he sat next to me at the final table of the 2013 uh, 10K Limit Hold'em event that I made, or 5K Limit Hold'em that I made. He was next to me, and he mentioned that again to me that, uh, you know, b- before everybody was known online, that I threatened to kick his ass, and that Jesse Martin threatened to kick his ass, which I also have a hard time believing. That's the, and he and Jesse Martin are friends now. But he was laughing about that, how you know the two of us were threatening to kick his ass, and that once we saw him, we didn't want to do it or something. And I, I tried to explain it to him again, like, I didn't say that. But uh, I, I guess he mistook all the trash talk that somehow he believed that's what I said. But – and he wasn't known at the time either. I mean, he played, like, a commerce – he was kind of a known commerce player, but he wasn't really a very well-known player at that point either. So – in the chat room, I, I, I did a whole lot of trash talk in there. I was very, very active in the chat room, and I already mentioned the absolute poker stuff I did under the Electro account. Uh, on Cake Poker, I used to you, you could change your name every week there. They let you do it once a week, and you didn't change accounts; you just changed names if you wanted to. But I, I did something that was so tilting to people on there, so I kept doing it just because everyone hated it so much. I changed my name to Jim Rockford, the main character from the Rockford Files. And every time I won a pot, like every single time I won a pot, I would type, this is Jim Rockford. Uh, leave a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Or something like that. I, I put whatever that message he puts at the beginning of his... Let me, let me bring that up. This is at the very beginning of the theme, 
his answering machine. Hold on, here we go. Is this it? That's that's the thought. I'm trying to get the answering machine. Let me bring this up here. Here. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. That's it. Leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. So I used to just say that every time I won a hand on Cake Poker. This is Jim Rockford. Leave your message at the tone. I'll get back to you. Leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. Whatever it was. I, I just kept saying it over and over and over. Every time I want to type that. And people just went nuts. They, they couldn't stand it. So, so, and I did this because people got tilted. Because they, they started playing worse against me when I would do that. And then they started saying it like back to me when they beat me. So they're like, there's all these little psychological games you could play in the chat room. You really could. And on Absolute Poker, something else I did, which I've talked about before, is that uh, I had fans on there because Railbirds could chat. And I was a very active player there. So a lot of Railbirds would sit there for hours and hours watching me and would cheer when I'd win. I wasn't asking them to. I didn't know who these people were, and they were mostly like kids. But they, they were cheering whenever I'd win. And it, I, I felt like when I was playing on there that I was you know, at the home court. I felt like I had a, a crowd cheering me, and it actually helped. I noticed that with these players cheering whenever I won, not only did it make me feel good, but it made my opponents feel like crap when they'd get mocked whenever they'd lose by these, these uh, railbirds. So I did something that I never did before, and that was when these players who would cheer for me all the time, the regulars who would do this, They'd occasionally ask me for a little bit of money, you know, $10, you know, hey, can you ship me 10 bucks? People, they used to beg all the time, these Railbirds, but this was the one exception where I actually would send money to Railbirds. Anyone who was a routine member of the audience there that would cheer for me, if they asked for $10 every so often, I'd sip, sip them $10. It was worth it to me to have them still there. There was no agreement. I didn't say, hey, stay here and keep cheering for me. I'll send you 10 bucks. But I would just do this. Because uh, it was kind of like positive reinforcement for what they were doing. And they would be there for hours and hours and hours every day. One time I even paid $10 for someone to bomb the chat. Because there were certain railbirds there mocking me. And I, was, I, was, I wasn't doing well that session. I, I was losing. They kept mocking me every time I lost. Ah, you suck. And, you know, so it, it was actually kind of annoying me. And there were a number of them doing it. So I started just going period, 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 like period, enter, period, enter, just scroll that off the chat. So then they just kept retyping it. And I, like, I can't concentrate on perioding the chat. I've, I've got to play here. And then I realized, wait a minute, these people will do anything for money. So I said, hey, who wants $10 to flood the chat with periods? So, so they're like, no, 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 come on, nobody accept this. So then one guy's like, sorry, guys, I don't want to have to do this, but I need the money. So someone, someone volunteered. And I sent him ten bucks, and he started perioding the chat, <laughs> and uh, and the, that shut out all the negative railbirds. And then what ended up happening is someone complained to support, and support came in, and support turned off like a bunch of people's chat, including mine and the guy who was perioding it. And I'm like, oh crap, I got to get my chat back. So I emailed them, and I tried to figure out like what excuse am I going to use. I can't, I can't admit that I paid someone $10 to, to flood the chat. So the, the excuse I used to support was that one of the Railbirds was using racist names in there, which there were you know, there's some guy using the N-word in there, which 
yeah, I wasn't offended by, but I, cl- I pretended in the support message that I was. I emailed support and said, yeah, there was a guy who kept using the N-word there, and it was offending me. So, uh, so I asked one of the other railbirds to just do- keep doing periods to get that off the screen so nobody had to look at that. So then supports it. Well, that how you first met One Step? <laughs> yeah. So that's so they uh, yeah One Step would have done that for free. He didn't need ten bucks. But uh, anyway, once they actually, I said, so can you please restore a chat of me and the guy who was doing the flooding because you know we were just doing this to get the racist stuff off the screen. So they actually bought it. I said, like, look back, you'll see that this other guy, you know such and such guy was typing that word, and so they looked at it and said, okay, yeah, we see that. You're right. Okay, so. Uh, uh, don't do this again, though. But uh, this time we'll change it to a warning, and we'll give you guys both back your chat. So the the the, the racism excuse worked. I, I pulled the race card, and got my chat back. Then uh, there was the most impactful, not financially but uh, personally impactful, poker chat situation I had, and that was in two thousand one. I actually had sex because. Of a poker chat. So, I didn't have any girlfriend at this time. This was in uh, the summer of 2001. And I was playing on True Poker, which still exists. It's on the Winning Poker Network. And there was a girl... So there was a, I didn't know it was a girl. There was, was a person using their robot character. You could choose these characters, these 3D characters you play at the table there. There was a robot character that was almost, almost always selected by guys. And there were actually a number of women playing on there, but most of them were older or f- far away. But there was someone playing a robot character that I had been chatting with for a while, and they were thinking it was a guy. And then I put a bad beat on this robot character, and I said, sorry, sir. And the robot says back, actually, you mean sorry, ma'am. I said, what, you're a girl? And they said, yes. And I said, and that person was listed for being from Las Vegas. I didn't live in Vegas at the time, but I, I, you know, I went a few times a year. So I, I asked them, so, so you're a female living in Las Vegas. I said, are you, you know, how old are you? And they said, they're 28. Well, I was 29, so that sounded good. And we ended up talking, and uh, by the end, you know, we had a very good conversation like through the chat room. In fact, there was, what was funny is like when we were done talking and like she gave me her email address to email her, some other guy goes, you know what? I, I was kind of down tonight and feeling crappy, but you know, watching your guys' conversation was hilarious and you know, it was very uplifting. I feel really good right now, so thanks, you guys. <laughs> some dude thanked us for our conversation there because it was uh, like entertaining and uplifting to him, which I thought was weird. And he, was ser- he wasn't being like sarcastic. He was serious about it. But anyway, I, I then emailed her. And she quickly sent me her phone number, and I called her up, and we talked, and you know, we had some pretty good conversations. And she said, "You seem pretty cool. When you come to Vegas next time, uh, you know, give me a call, and we'll meet in person." Now, I happened to have a trip planned to Vegas about two weeks from then, so I told her I was coming in about two weeks, and I would see her. Now, back in two thousand one. While people did have pictures online, it's not like today where you just go quickly snap a picture on your phone and it's like super easy to send a picture of yourself. And where most people have pictures online anyway in some way, like on social media. Uh, that type of stuff didn't exist back then. So, you know, yes, you could take a picture of yourself. There's no smartphones in no one. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to scan a picture of yourself and then like email it to the person. So she emailed me 
some pictures, but it was very hard to see that much. Like she sent me one skiing picture where she has like big sunglasses on and you know, like uh, a hat. It was kind of hard to see much about her face there. I remember like I, I couldn't see very much in the pictures she sent. Um, I mean, I could see from her body that she wasn't like 300 pounds, but other than that, I couldn't see much. And I forgot if I sent her, a, I probably did send her a picture. I don't remember which picture I sent. But back in those days, it was still somewhat of a leap of faith to meet someone online, looks-wise. Because the pictures were not always available, or if they were, they weren't always that good, and it wasn't trivial to just like take a new one. So, I I drove to Vegas uh, in two weeks. Again, this was not a trip just to see her, but that was a added bonus of the trip I already had scheduled. And it, so during the time I'd been talking to her, I learned some things about her that were interesting. She was actually a slot machine advantage player. Kind of like what Alan Kessler does, where you know there are certain slot machines that if you play them at the very right time, that they're actually positive expectation. So she did this, her roommate did this, or it was a male roommate that she, I guess, was involved with a long time beforehand, but was no longer involved with. Uh, she had some friends who did this. And she also, you know, was a poker player, but but also was a poker dealer. And she dealt at the Mirage. So uh, she had uh, never seen blackjack card counting in action, though. So she was interested to see that. So that was one of the things we were going to do, is I was going to have her uh, come and sit next to me and and watch me uh, card count. Which I thought was cool. I thought, okay, you know, not only am I meeting a girl, but she has an interest in watching blackjack card counting where, you know, most girls either don't want to watch that or if they do, they don't really understand or want to understand what's going on. So I, I drove to Vegas and, and I met her and she was decent looking. She wasn't like super hot, but she wasn't ugly. And, uh, yeah, and she told the truth about herself. She, there were no lies in the pictures. They, they were accurate. They were kind of hard to see, but they, they were accurate pictures from what I could see. And so she, she she watched me play blackjack, and then uh, we went back up to my room at the Las Vegas Hilton, which is now called the Westgate, and we ended up messing around there, and uh, we ended up having sex, and we had sex that night, and the night the next day, and the next day, so we spent like the whole weekend together in my room there. We didn't even leave very often, to be honest. And then like something weird happened with her. We didn't have any kind of falling out, and and uh, you know the weekend was very good, and we both enjoyed ourselves a lot. And, you know, it, it was clear, you know, I didn't live in Vegas and, you know, she wasn't looking for a relationship and, you know, I, there was none of that. Like, it wasn't that she was going to be my girlfriend, nothing like that. But it, I was going to see her again. But then, like, her phone disconnected, like, about a week later. And it wasn't because of me. Like, she was just, she vanished from everywhere. She vanished from the poker site. She just kind of vanished. Her phone was disconnected. And we didn't have any kind of falling out, and I wasn't stalking her, and I wasn't calling her over and over. Like, it, it, believe me, it had nothing to do with me. And that was that. I never bothered to you know try to track her down. But I figured over the years that I would see her around Vegas, especially once I lived there. She lived there for quite some time, and I, I was sure that she'd end up dealing to me at some point. Or no, never, never saw her again. Never saw her or talked to her ever again. Which is fine. It's just kind of weird. And this has now been almost seventeen years. I don't even know if she would look anywhere near the same as she did 17 years ago. I look different than 17 years ago. I don't know if she'd even recognize me at this point. 
I sound the same. If you if she heard my voice, she'd hear the same voice. I sounded identical to right now. But I look different. So yeah, I ended up having sex because of the True Poker chat room. And that was the only girl I ever got involved with or messed around with in any way from poker. Online or otherwise. The only one. So I'm going to miss the poker chat box. And while I don't use it as much these days, like on Ignition, players don't have names anyway. So it, it, it just kind of leads to less chatting in the first place. But still, I, I did like chatting on there sometimes. And I'll tell you something else. Sometimes I could tell that someone was a fish or at least a, a semi-donk because of their chat. Like I've noticed the guys who seem to whine all the time, especially the ones who whine when the play made against them wasn't bad. Like where an experienced good player would, would know that it's not unreasonable they got called down. But when I see someone whining about every bad beat they take when it's very some of them were very reasonable to have been called down, that's when I know, ah, I bet this person isn't that good. And, and usually I'm right, so that's another thing I'm going to lose. Trader Ruski, did you ever play much online, or uh, is that something you never really did? I mean, I didn't play much until I don't even know what year. But I got, I mean, late when it was pretty much down to Poker Stars and Full Tilt. And I mostly played on Poker Stars. Like, I didn't play the real early times. My cousin, who you met, did. Okay. I also once met a hooker in the Poker Stars chat, <laughs> a, a hooker from Orange County. And what happened was, uh, once in a while, I would sit down at like a one cent, two cent game at Poker Stars with like $40,000 just to screw around and then just like raise every hand. Because I'm talking about one cent, two cent limit. So I did that one time, and there was some girl there that was actually at the table with, with a very attractive picture. Like an attractive girl looked around you know, 20, 21 years old. And uh, somehow, like I, I said something like, "I don't believe that's really her," and I think it's a dude. Because usually, the the girls on poker sites are not really girls. Like you saw a girl on a poker site with a, a female name and a very pretty picture up. It, it almost always ended up being a guy. But she insisted, "No, no, no, I'm a girl." She says, "You know, do you have Yahoo Messenger?" I said, "Yes." She said, "Well, okay, you know, add me on Yahoo Messenger. Here's my name, and I will." get on cam and show you me. So I said, okay. And she turned on her cam and I looked and uh, she didn't do anything dirty on the cam, but she, yeah, sure enough, it was a real girl and it was the one in the picture. She was very pretty. Now I, I was uh, in a relationship at that point. This is like in 04, 03, something like that. So I, I wasn't looking to be with her anyway, but you know, we just became friendly. And at the time you could still chat in the, uh, you could railbird and be a chat, you know, chat in the thirty sixty game. So she started coming there and railing me and, and cheering for me, and uh, so we were friends for a short time. And during this time, she revealed to me that she was actually a hooker, and she directed me to her website. And I looked at the website. And I saw that, uh, well, two funny things. First of all, she put on the website a disclaimer that 
she's not selling sex, that you're paying for her companionship and time only, and that anything that happens sexually between you two is between two consenting adults. <laughs> so you're not buying the sex. You're just buying her time when sex happens to occur. Like, that's going to make it legal. <laughs> so she put that disclaimer up there. And then uh, the funnier thing to me was her, her rates. So one hour was uh, $300. Two hours was $500. So you get a discount for the second hour. And then three hours was $800. So the discount went away. It was another 300 for the third hour. So I'm like, well, that's weird. Usually it'd be like a bulk discount. Usually like for every hour it'd be less. Or I could see like the third hour being the same as the second hour. But why, why would the price go back up after two hours? If you're getting a discount for the second hour, why there's not, why is there no discount for the third? And then the better question is, why would anyone buy three hours when it's just more cost-effective to buy two and then see if you need the third one? So I wanted to ask her this, but I, I just kind of felt like, I don't know, she'd be insulted in some way. So at first I didn't ask about this. Like she showed me the website. I'm like, oh, a nice site, whatever. Like I, 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 did, I, I was also kind of fascinated in hearing about her stories. And like how she became like a, a hooker poker player, and I guess that what was going on was that uh, she was doing this to give herself a bankroll. Like she, she loved playing poker, but she kept losing, so this is the way she was funding it. So finally, like a short time after that, I'm like, why am I holding back her? This is like this is a prostitute. Like, <laughs> like why why am I sparing her feelings so much? This is a prostitute I don't even know very well. Like, like, why am I afraid to say this to her? And it's, it's not that offensive. I thought maybe I'll even give her some advice that she should charge less for the third hour. So the next day in, cha- in Yahoo chat, I, I said to her, you know, uh, I noticed something on your website. Uh, the third hour is the same price as the first hour. So, so why would someone buy the three hours if they could just buy the first two and then get the third only if they need it and so she didn't understand and said well no no it's you know three hours eight hundred dollars they want all three but if they only want two they pay five hundred i go no 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 no. i understand that but do you understand if you're making the third hour the same cost as the first hour there's no point to book a third hour they might as well wait if they need it and if they only need two then they save 300 bucks so so wouldn't it to be be to your advantage to charge less for the third hour like like just charge the same 200 and she still wasn't getting it. She's still like trying to explain to me that three hours cost more than two. And I kept saying, no, no, that's not what I'm saying here. But then she finally got it and she got really mad at me. I said, wait, wait, you're making fun of my website. I said, no, I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to tell you this is uh, what, what you're doing isn't cost effective. I, I think the average John is not going to like this. I think he's just going to book two. And she, she got so mad at me and said, you know, you want, you're a fucking asshole. Don't ever contact me again. And she blocked me. So that, that's what I got in response to trying to uh, help a prostitute be a better businesswoman. All thanks to the Poker Stars chat room. I wonder what happened to her because now it's been a lot of years since then. Now she's she's older now. She was like early twenties then, but now she's got to be mid thirties. Anyway, sad day that Ignition's chat is gone. Okay, I want to tell the Ken Scaler story before we get to the rest of our uh, agenda here. Ken is not calling. Very disappointed about that. 
Here's the Ken Scaler story, and if, if you don't like Ken Scaler's story, you probably want to fast-forward the segment because it's going to be a while. Because it's kind of a long story. I, I'm going to try to stick to the main points here without making it too long. But uh, there's a lot to this story. And it will give you some insight in the relationship I have with Ken Scaler and how it, it can be exasperating at times. Because in, in some ways, I, I'm kind of taking care of him. Because he, he makes a lot of stupid mistakes. And uh, he'd be out on the street or maybe even dead if it were not for my help. I'm not exaggerating here. Like He, he gets himself in a lot of stupid situations. And I, I've got to balance between helping him out because he's my friend and not helping too much to where it enables irresponsible behavior. I've got to kind of balance the whole thing. So, Ken Scaler lives in Sherman Oaks, California, south of Ventura Boulevard, which is known to be a nice area. People in the San Fernando Valley talk about living, quote, south of the boulevard, and that's kind of like a status. So, Ken Scaler, who is working crappy minimum wage telemarketing type jobs is, is, and looks kind of like a homeless person, you wouldn't expect him as a south of the boulevard guy. But he is. He lives in Sherman Oaks, south of Indifferent Boulevard. The reason he can afford to do this is because he's in a rent control building. He has been in the same one-bedroom apartment since 1995, which is now uh, over 22 years. In fact, I think he moved there in March. Uh, it's going to be almost 23 years very shortly. And rent control in Los Angeles means that they can only raise the rent a very small amount. I think 3% is the maximum each year, no matter what happens to the market. So if rents shoot up, tough luck on the landlord. If it is a rent control building, then anyone there cannot be raised more than 3%. Now, once that person leaves, then they can charge whatever they want on the open market for new tenants, but they cannot raise the rent more than 3% for existing tenants. In addition, uh, during some of these years, they just weren't raising his rent. So they weren't even doing the 3% every year. So, as it currently stands, Ken's one-bedroom apartment, for those of you that don't live in... uh, Los Angeles or New York or some area which is expensive. This is going to sound crazy, but his one-bedroom apartment, which is just a standard one-bedroom in a building that's kind of a standard large building, nothing special about it, but because it's south of the boulevard in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, that one-bedroom would go for $2,100 a month. And we know this because very equivalent one-bedrooms are being advertised online for that building for $2,100 a month. He pays $1,100 per month, almost about about half. So as you can imagine, these landlords are not happy about having the rent control tenants, but they are not allowed by Los Angeles city law to just give them notice, unlike uh, non-rent control tenants where you can give them notice any time to leave once their lease is up. Uh, leases in rent control buildings are considered uh, perpetual, as far as the tenant is concerned. The tenant is not obligated to stay, but as long as the tenant wants to stay, he can never be asked to leave. 
Well, he can be asked, but they can't ever force him to leave unless he commits some kind of violation like non-payment of rent or something else where they can perform a legal eviction. Now, it does not take a genius to figure out that landlords will try to find excuses to evict long-time rent control tenants so then they can rent the unit for market value and get a lot more money. So the court system takes that under advisement when a rent control case comes up. The judges in Los Angeles are reluctant to evict rent control tenants or uphold an eviction being filed because they know a lot of times these are being done for financial purposes only and a lot of times are done in a shady fashion to basically find an excuse to get someone out because they're not paying very high rent. So let's go back to Ken Scaler. The stuff I was telling you just about, like generic stuff about rent control in Los Angeles. But let's go back to Ken Scaler. His mom used to help him out paying the rent, but she stopped doing that. So Ken Scaler is now completely on his own. His mom does not pay anything for him anymore. So he decided that uh, he needs some help paying the rent. And the way he started doing this was by getting roommates. And this goes back a number of years now. But the problem with these roommates, as you might imagine, would be that uh, this is not exactly a good situation for roommates. There's only one bedroom. Ken Scaler is very messy, very dirty. Uh, this is not the type of situation most people would want. When, when you Typically, if you're going to be a roommate, you're going to want your own bedroom. So if you're... If you're looking to rent a room, you're going to look for a two-bedroom place, where, or two-bedroom or more place, where you get your own bedroom. You're not likely to want to live with someone else that you don't know in a one-bedroom place. And if you are, you're probably going to want to pay very, very little money. Well, the problem was that Ken needed you know, half of 1100 but he couldn't offer that person their own bedroom. So what he did to kind of solve this was agree to give that person the bedroom. That whoever the roommate was could have the bedroom and he would sleep on the couch. But that's still very unpleasant because then you have the other person sleeping on the couch. So, so you can't use the living room. You know, it's like whatever way, whoever takes the bedroom, the other person is in the living room. You've got to, you know, someone with all their stuff out in the living room. It's, it's a very unpleasant way to live. So really, who would want to live in those circumstances where it's two people who are strangers sharing a one-bedroom place. One of the people is very messy. Who would ever want to live that way? Well, these would be people who otherwise are very desperate. Ones who would fail a credit check. Ones who might have a criminal history. Ones who are deadbeats and probably going to stiff the other person on the rent. That's the type of person who will enter that situation because they don't have a choice to do any better. You're not going to get a normal person wanting to live in that type of situation. And I've told Ken that over and over, and he never listened to me, and over and over he kept getting one after another as far as terrible roommates, some of whom were were violent with him. They would punch him and throw stuff at him, uh, ones that just wouldn't pay rent or underpay rent and just say too bad, and if he complained, would, would, would attack him. Awful situations like that. And I got him out of so many of these. And for a while, he got lucky in that 
I was always able to kind of get these people to leave in some way. I'd come up with some plan. I'd call them up and bluff them that, uh, that something's going to happen and they'd leave. Like I'd claim all the, you know, that, that the electricity is going to be turned off and all the furniture is going to be taken out. They'd get, you know, they'd get concerned and leave or, um, or just the whole thing would become so unpleasant with my phone calls to them. <laughs> they would, they would finally get sick of it and leave. And th- these weren't innocent people. These were, these were assholes and criminals who were taking advantage of Ken and, and basically, you know, just not paying and sometimes even hitting him if he complained about it. These were just horrible people with, with, with terrible histories. And it was amazing in many cases that these people left. So many times I thought he was going to be stuck having to go through the formal eviction process, which takes a long time and is expensive. Uh, every time they ended up leaving on their own. He, he, he ran super well for a while. But, you know, not completely, because these people would, would owe him a lot of money and never pay. And, and, you know, every time he'd regret having those roommates and every time he would then get another one and assume it's going to be different. So in 2015, he had a horrible roommate who was just a deadbeat. This person wasn't violent at all, but a super deadbeat who, who, who would constantly lie to Ken about how he's going to, you know, he has a, a huge trust fund that's going to be released very soon and he just needs another month and he stalled and stalled and stalled and, and Ken believed him he even convinced Ken to stop calling me because he was he was you know convincing Ken that I was just too skeptical and I was going to you know uh, ruin the whole thing and that this guy had so much money that was going to come out soon. anyway that was a fiasco and that guy finally left on his own but after that one I said to Ken look this has happened like four times now one roommate's worse than the next Believe it or not, the best roommate he had up to that point was actually a convicted rapist on the sex registry. <laughs> I kid you not. An actual rapist. And not, not one who committed date rape. I'm not minimizing date rape, but I mean like an actual rapist who like just like jumped out and, and, and raped a woman. <laughs> like, like someone who really just grabbed a stranger and raped her. This guy was living with Ken. He was actually the best of the roommates because he didn't cause any trouble. He actually paid the rent. And uh, he actually didn't cause any problems, but then he couldn't afford it and just got up and left on his own. So as a roommate, this guy actually wasn't bad. But then Ken found out afterwards that he was a rapist because something came to the house in the mail after the guy was gone about uh, being a sex offender. And then Ken looked it up and found the whole story with this guy. So the best of all the roommates was a stranger rapist on the sex offender registry. That was the best one. I'm not even kidding. So... Here we were in the fall of 2015, and I said to Ken, all the stuff I just told you guys here, that his unit just is not compatible with having a normal roommate. It's never going to happen. He needs to give up on it. So he kept insisting, no, 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 we'll just be really strict next time. You know, I'll get you involved in the process. Uh, You can call up the person with me, whatever prospective tenant that uh, might want to be my roommate. You, you know, you if you have to approve too, or else we won't have them. So, like, he he promised me all these things that uh, he's going to be more careful next time. He put an ad on a Craigslist, and I, yeah, Trader Risky, I'm hearing the mute coming off. He has something to say? No, sorry, I was just I was just going to say, does he? Well, Craigslist is like laughing he said that, but did was he giving them the bedroom or the yes, living room? The bedroom. He took the living room. Okay. So, so anyway, I. I 
I was very skeptical, but he put out a Craigslist ad, and, and we, we called back a few of these people. And it was always the same story. This is how the conversation would go. Uh, we talked to them. You know, They saw how much rent it was in the Craigslist ad. But they would totally ignore the utilities part. They, they, they would just like not see it or pretend or, or just make themselves not see it. It was really weird. So we'd be talking about it, tell them to rent. You know, can you afford this? Yes. What do you do for a living? They'd say such and such. You know, I, I'd be asking them questions. And i say, so you realize it's going to be half the utilities and, and in the summer that uh, the cost of air conditioning in the valley, which is pretty hot, uh, goes up. So the, the bill will be higher in the summer. You know that, right? What? I got to pay utilities? I said, well, yeah. Well, why should I have to pay utilities? Well, because someone has to pay them and, they, you know, you've got to pay your share. I didn't know about utilities. I can't afford this. So what? Between this and the rent, it's going to cost me over $700. Why would I ever want to do that? I go, look, who, who should be paying your utilities? Are you saying that, that, that Ken should pay for your utilities? So that, that's the way so many conversations went. Like as soon as we got to the utilities, they'd flip out. So we got nowhere. And I was telling Ken, look, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to get a roommate that's sufficient. It's exactly what I told you. So then I went on a cruise. And uh, even though I was reachable on the cruise, I actually set up a voice over IP phone number that I could be called for most of the time. And I could actually answer the phone and talk. Um, it, it was still not... I couldn't be reached all the time. It was depending on how the internet on the ship was. So... Uh, Ken called me sometimes, but not other times. But anyway, uh, you remember Colleen, the, the crazy Colleen, who uh, the artist who he was involved with at some point. Uh, she sh- she hadn't been talking to him in a long time, but she showed up at his door one day. She, she had heard that he was looking for a roommate, but without any warning, she showed up at his door with a guy, a guy named Eric. And um, she said, this is Eric. He needs somewhere to live. And uh, he's on disability. He gets a reliable disability check every month. And Eric used to have a drug problem, but uh, he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't want to do drugs anymore. He just wants to live somewhere where there's not going to be drugs done, where he can be sober. And the problem is he was living still with drug users and uh one of his roommates got high on drug and be- drugs and beat him up the other day. So uh, he wants away from that. He just wants to be with a nice person who's going to just leave him alone and, you know, someone who doesn't do drugs and, and he just wants away from all that. So Ken said, well, you know, that's, uh, you know, I've got to talk to Todd about this. You know, I agreed with him. I'm not going to add any roommates here unless, you know, everything's okay. And you know, there's people who don't want to pay utilities. And so Ken starts explaining this and Colleen says, no, 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 you don't understand. Eric is willing to pay $660 a month. So that should more than cover the utilities because, you know, Ken before was asking for like 500 or 525, something like that. I think the, the rent was a little bit less then because it was in 2015. It hadn't been raised to 3% a few times. So I think he was paying a thousand something. So I think, it, I think he was asking for 520 in the Craigslist ad. So here, this guy just comes offering 660 and Ken, his eyes just bugged out of his head. Oh my God, $660. I, I wasn't going to get that from anybody else. Okay, I take it, he says. So he agrees. The guy moves in. I have no idea. No rental agreement signed. Nothing. Just the guy moves in with the agreement he's going to pay 660 a month. But he didn't hand him 660 right then. Uh, I don't know if he did or not. But he must have given him some cash or he just was not going to turn it down. Yeah, so, so, so the guy moved in. I had no idea. 
By the way, someone's trying to call me. When I'm, let me tell you something. Someone's trying to call me during the show over and over again. I'm not going to say who it is, but if I'm in the middle of a story like this, there's zero chance I'm taking your phone call. Absolutely zero chance. I appreciate the phone calls, but someone, they've called like, like five times in the last few minutes. Okay, going on here. So this roommate uh, moved in. I didn't hear about it. And then Kim was kind of afraid to tell me. So like a few weeks passed, and I'm barely hearing from I get back from the trip. He still isn't calling me. I, whenever Ken just disappears, there's usually some reason for it. And that's because he doesn't want to tell me something that's going to frustrate me. So finally, I, a few weeks later, I find out that this guy has been moved in. And Ken explains the whole thing to me. He's paying six sixty a month. We were never going to get it from anybody. Colleen assured me that he's a nice guy. He, uh, you know, he, he, he explained the whole thing about the guy's uh, former drug addiction. He just wants to get away from that. And I go, okay, well, you've been living with him for a while, you know, a few weeks now. What is he like? Well, he's paid his rent on time. Well, is he a nice guy? Well, you know, he's not, he's not exactly my type of person. He's not exactly a guy I'd want to hang out with, but, you know, he's fine. I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is, this is already bad news. He, if, if things were going well personally between the two of them already, even if they weren't friends, Ken would have said great things about him here. And here he's, like, already kind of covering for some kind of problem. So, but I'm like, oh, what a pain in the ass. I go, you know what? Screw it. I'm, I'm not getting involved this time. I'm, just, I'm tired of this. Ken can just suffer if something goes wrong with it. So I, I, I washed my hands of it. I said, I'm, I'm not even a, you know what? I, I'm tired of this. This is what I mean by like enabling. I, I don't, I don't want to even get involved here. He snuck this behind my back and did it. Fine. I'm not giving my help this time. So I stopped even concerning myself with it. Well, I don't know, about two months later, maybe, maybe a little more, a few months later, more than two, a few months later, Colleen called me and she was very upset and said that uh, Eric was complaining to her that Ken is super messy, won't clean up anything, that the place is just so filthy he can't stand it. Uh, you know, can I, can I please talk to Ken and convince him to stop being this way? I said, well, you should have warned Eric that this is what Ken is like. You know, what, what did you tell him? So anyway, she just said, please, please, can you tell Ken, you know, to to stop being like this, to clean up after himself, and to you know, it's causing big fights between them. So I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So I called up Ken, discussed it with him. And Ken, yeah, he acknowledged that he was messy there and that the guy you know, had a point. But uh, he said that this guy is deducting a lot of money from the rent for this reason. And now just not paying the full rent because Ken's being messy. I go, oh boy, here we go again. This happened before. But other roommates had pulled this on him too, where they were like fining him for not keeping it clean enough, which they can't do. So I said, okay, give me the guy's phone number. I'll call up and talk to him. So she gave me the guy's phone number, Eric, and I called him up. And boy, was he hostile to me. The guy, like, he wasn't all there. He wasn't coherent. It was impossible to reason with him. I could tell, like, the drugs he had done, or maybe it was some condition he already had. I understood why he was on disability, because I couldn't have a coherent conversation with him. And he was just getting mad and shouting at me. And I was very calm. I wasn't argumentative. I was trying so hard to, like, you know, be friendly. And even when he was flipping out, I was just trying to say, like, Eric, Eric, let's calm down. Let's talk about this. Like, I was trying so hard to keep it all calm. And he started threatening me. Come on, man. Come down here. I'll fucking kick your ass. Come down. I'm going, what the hell? I'm, I'm trying to, I said, look, I'm trying to help here. I'm just trying to, like, come to some agreement between you two. I, like, like, I'm, I'm it, it was crazy. So, finally, he hung up on me a number of times. I called back Colleen and said, look, this guy is insane. I, I can't deal with it. This is, again, back in, like, probably late 2015, early 2016. 
Well, um, I talked to Ken. And so, look, I don't want to talk to this guy anymore because he's just flipping out on me. But the, I've thought about it. And the truth is, if you're super messy here and, and you're just not able to clean up after yourself, and uh, you know, maybe you should give him a discount. So maybe tell him he can pay six ten a month and, and instead of six sixty, and, and then in return he'll be the one to clean. So I said, pitch that to him, see if he'll accept it. So Ken calls me the next day. Okay, I pitched it to him. He accepted it. This is all better now. I said, okay. But I already knew Ken was living with a, uh, a whack job. He was living with someone who, uh, who was crazy. So even though Ken really was messy there and the guy had a legitimate gripe in this case, uh, he wasn't living with a rational person and someone who, you know, at one point of the, on the phone got threatening with me. So I'm thinking, okay, this is not going to be a good situation, but I, I'm not going to get involved. That's it. You know, I, I, I've ended my involvement. So, some would argue he, the other guy's living with a crazy person, too. But just saying. <laughs> so, so that's the way it was. And then, as I said, I was not getting involved anymore. I was just, I knew this was not an ideal circumstance, but I, I, I was worn out. After all these different roommates that I helped him get rid of and got involved with, I, I just, I was done. I mean, especially after he promised this was not going to happen again, and it happened again. So I said, uh, you know, I, I did all I was going to do. So what was happening, and of course he never told me about, was that the roommate pressured him very quickly to keep lowering the rent. So the 660 became 610, which I knew about, which became 560, which became 525, which became 500. In addition, remember the utilities. Well, before when he was paying 660, yeah, it, it made sense why he wasn't paying for the utilities. But, but now it was 500, which was, and, and also the rent was going up 3% every year. Now Ken also had to pay the utilities. So Ken was having to pay almost $600 for his share of the rent, not have the bedroom, and pay all the utilities. And Ken actually likes being hot, so he never runs the AC in the, in the summer. But this guy did not like being hot. So this guy ran the AC all the time, and the bill went so high, and Ken would have to pay the whole bill every month. And if Ken objected to it, the guy got pissed and, and threatened him and, and would punch him. And uh, you know, So that's what was going on you know, for, for all of 2016 and part of 2017. The guy got the rent down to 500 was paying none of the utilities. In the summer, Ken was barely getting anything from him because much of the money that was being – of the 500 that was being given to him, Ken would have to go pay back out to the electric company. I knew about none of this. I asked about none of this. Then I got a frantic call from Ken in early May of 2017 that there was a notice posted on his door. I think it was on May 8th, but the notice was dated May 5th. And the notice was a three-day, I think, perform covenant or quit. It was a, a three-day or quit notice, which means that uh, you're in violation of your lease in some way and that you have three days to correct it or otherwise they will evict you. This is a standard process that has to be completed in order to file an eviction. You always have to give the tenant three days to fix whatever or quit. Quit meaning you get evicted. So... The three-day notice was stating that he has an unauthorized roommate there and that the roommate had to leave within three days or quit. Well, there are a few problems here. First of all, the notice was dated May 5th and posted on May 8th, so the three days were already up. And that was not an accident. That was done on purpose. Why? Let's go back to the whole thing about the rent control. They wanted Ken out because he was paying so little rent. So they gave him a three-day notice three days after they dated it to make it look like the time had already passed and they could immediately file the eviction. How can they get away with it? Well, because uh, you don't need to serve a three-day notice. You just have to post it. 
or hand it to the you, you, there's no proof from a third party as to what data was really given. So it's your word against the tenants, so that's, a, that's a one trick that's used. So they had known about the roommate for a long time. They had known since near the beginning. And they never once asked for him to put the guy on the lease. They actually had the right to raise the rent by 10% once they put him on the lease. Uh, by rent control law that you can, if there's a roommate there, you can raise it by 10%, but they, they didn't ask for that. They never asked to put it on the lease. They were very aware he was there. In fact, sometimes the roommate would let the landlord in for inspections or for maintenance. So they were very aware the guy was there. And by this point, in May 2017, this guy was there for 20 months from September through May, September 15 through May 17. So clearly, uh, the landlord knew there's no way this guy was hiding for 20 months, even in a large building, especially since he was the one home during the day. Remember, he's on disability. He never, he basically rarely left the house. Uh, the, he was the one always to let the landlord in. So they knew he was there, but th- this is how they got the idea to evict him. Uh, they kind of forgot about him. They weren't. They, just, they kind of like weren't actively thinking about him, so I say. And there had been some management changes, like the new managers, they, they may have thought that the guy may have been on the lease, whatever it was, like they, um, it was still the same ownership, but the, but the managers had changed, so they just weren't actively thinking about this roommate in Ken's apartment, uh, because it's a large building. They knew he was there, but they weren't really thinking about him actively. So, in April, this guy, April 2017, this guy was having some dental problems, and he, he tried to call up to get some assistance uh, financial assistance from you know, whatever agency was was handling his disability and you know, g- getting him some kind of dental visit to get this uh, stuff corrected because he didn't have the money for it. And they were giving him the runaround and uh, whatever it was, he was getting unhappy with the situation about the, the ability to go to the dentist, which they were not uh, enabling for him as quickly as he wanted. So he shouted on the phone, in his crazy tone of voice, you don't fucking understand. My mouth, it's fucking, it's just, it's just so much pain, I can't stand it. If you don't fucking get me to a dentist, I'm going to kill myself. I will fucking kill myself if you don't get me to a dentist right now, is what he screamed. Really loud at the top of his lungs. Well, a, room, a, a, a neighbor heard this through the wall and called the manager and said there's somebody next door who says he's going to commit suicide because his mouth is hurting too much. And someone's not getting him into a dentist. So the manager then called the police. And the police came down with the manager and they talked to him. And he, he explained to the police that he was just saying this is hyperbole, that he was not really going to kill himself. But it's just he's in such pain and he's, he's tired of fighting with, with, with the, uh, whoever is at this, the county or the state that manages this about it and that they're dragging their feet and his, his mouth hurting so much. So he, he explained that it was just him exaggerating to maybe make them move faster. So the landlord said, okay, well, you can't do this. You're disturbing other tenants. He said, okay, they left. Well, the, the manager went back and said, wait a minute, who is, you know, who exactly is this guy? What is his story? Like, how did we ever approve him? So they, they went back and looked at Ken's lease, maybe for the first time since this new management had taken over, and they saw he wasn't on there. Now, Los Angeles city law states that if they are aware of another party who's living on the premises for 60 days or more, if they're aware of it for 60 days or more, it doesn't matter how long they've been there, but if they're aware of him being there for 60 days or more, 
then he automatically becomes a tenant. That It doesn't matter if he's on the rental agreement, that at that point he is a tenant. And they had known about him since near the beginning. So even though Ken never got permission to add him, which he, he needed to, since they'd been aware of him for far more than 60 days, it didn't matter whether they knew he was on the lease or not. They, they were aware he was living there. They didn't bother to check. If it had been more than 60 days, he was a legal tenant by Los Angeles City Law. The only problem is proving that they knew. There's one thing about them knowing. There's another thing about proving that they knew. So anyway, they looked it up and saw that he was not on the rental agreement. And therefore, was an illegal tenant in their uh, opinion. They also noticed that Ken's rent was very low. And the building was being sold at that point. The building was in the process of, it was for sale. And to show you how much getting rid of a rent control tenant is worth when the building's for sale, let's look at the difference of what they were paying. Ken was paying $1,000 a month less than market value. That's 12000 a year. In eight and a half years, that's $100,000 difference in rent. And a rent control tenant who had been there for more than 20 years is likely to also be there for the next eight and a half, especially if they're not old, like Ken is not. So um, it is worth six figures to get Ken out of there. It really is. I'm not exaggerating. It is worth six figures to get Ken out of that apartment in real money. When you're, when you're selling the property, they have to disclose how many tenants are rent control and how little they're paying. Uh, if they could get Ken out of there before the sale completes or the, before the sale is made and the price is agreed upon, they will actually get more money, probably by a six-figure margin. So, obviously at that point, they realized that they had a golden opportunity. They realized that they found an illegal roommate, that there was no proof that they knew about it all this time. So all they had to do is, is uh, give a three-day notice that's backdated. They didn't want to give the guy a chance to leave. They said, oh, this is a, a perfect way to get, get rid of Ken. So they backdated a three-day notice, which, of course, is very illegal, but there's no way to prove it. Denied knowing that he was there until, until this uh, you know, situation with that police phone call. Figured that Ken could never prove that they knew he was there. And on May 8th, uh, told Ken that he did not adhere to the three-day notice and that they are evicting him. They had a very, very obnoxious attorney, a very, very short guy like a, with a Napoleon complex who was super obnoxious to Ken on the phone, who was uh, performing the eviction for them, and Ken was in a panic because Ken is obsessed with that apartment, and he thought he was going to lose it. He thought that was it. He was done. So... Not too long after that, he he was served with eviction papers, and there was an eviction case, and uh, it looked like Ken was probably done. Now, I said to Ken, well, wait a minute. They've pulled a lot of shady things here, and, you know, of course, the, the courts are very skeptical about these evictions of longtime rent control tenants, and this is not like non-payment of rent where it's straightforward and they can get rid of the person. This is uh, a, quote, unauthorized roommate who's been there for close to two years. They're going to have a hard time in court convincing a judge they didn't know about this guy. So I said, you need an attorney here for sure to go up against their attorney. Well, the courts directed him to an attorney service called the Eviction Defense Network. 
which by its name sounds like exactly what he'd need. And it was the Eviction Defense Network was supposed to be uh, – it's it's a privately owned law firm, but it, that they were specializing supposedly in handling eviction cases for those who could not really afford representation. So I thought this is perfect. Until I read the reviews on the Eviction Defense Network, and they were very bad. Starting from the very first interaction, people complained that you'd go down there for a free consultation – wait four or five hours, and then when they would see you, they'd sometimes tell you, oh, we've reached our maximum for our free consultations for the day, so this one's going to be $250 if you want it. <laughs> Just because enough people got ahead of you, now you're going to be 250 for this consultation. So that they would immediately take money from people, and then they would do very little work. They'd claim that they're going to take care of it for you, but they're they very hard to reach. They did very little work, that they were awful. Bad review after bad review after bad review for this eviction defense network. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there's just some kind of bribery involved with how the courts are suggesting to go to them because uh, the reviews were horrible. And not just few. I read so many bad reviews. And, of course, reviews are, are written by individuals, so I, I can't say for sure that these things are true. But it, you can go take a look. If you go on Yelp, you can go take a look at Eviction Defense Network, and there's 44 reviews. Uh, I thought I saw more than that, but three stars. And a lot of them are one stars. <laughs> one guy named Marty G. And it's, it's not uh, it's not Marty Judonk slash Tide from the site. Alto, 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 beware, 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 beware. He writes like a million times, beware. And he writes this whole review about how awful they were. Uh, another one wrote, Shithole of a place with circus ringers as attorneys. Don't trust this team. They're not professional. Another person named Marie R. wrote, Attorneys are ethically bound, one, to advise the defendant of case developments, and two, to respond reasonably promptly to a defendant's request for information. After, re- after hiring EDN, I have not received one status update in over two months. I have emailed and left voicemails and did not receive a response. I have no idea whether the other party has been contacted and have since had to move. I, now, these are recent reviews, but I, I saw one just like this from earlier in the year. So... I said, no way. This is a, a complete waste of money, and Ken's going to lose if he uses these clowns. There, there are so many bad reviews, so many one stars there. Like the three stars, is, is because there's, there's a bunch of five stars there to counteract it, which I wonder if they're even legitimate. But there are so many one stars. It's not like it's like mostly three stars. It's, it's mostly like ones and fives, which is always a very bad sign. So I was uh, very... Uh, put off by this eviction defense network even though they were suggested by the courts so I didn't know what to do I said to Ken this is terrible maybe put a Craigslist ad to try to get a cheap attorney who will you know, do a lot of work for a little money maybe one who doesn't have much work right now I, I didn't know what to do because I thought Ken probably needed a lot of you know a lot of probably a lot of legal work was involved in defending this and I didn't know who to go to and then I was reading on through the Eviction Defense Network's reviews and found someone mentioning something called BASTA. Someone wrote, uh, don't go to them. If you want someone to really defend you and not treat you like crap, go to BASTA. I go, what is BASTA? So I looked up BASTA. BASTA had amazingly good reviews. And if you look up in Los Angeles, if you just type in BASTA in all caps, you will see uh, 
amazingly good reviews for Basta from uh, a whole lot of different people. Uh, and I found the few ca- the few times there were bad reviews, it was from people that had situations that had nothing to do with Ken's. Like it, it, Basta only does evictions. And they only do evictions for specific people, you know, in low, lower income, lower income people, and rent. In, in if, if your rent is eighteen hundred dollars a month or less, like there are very specific requirements, and if you don't meet those requirements, they won't take your case. So there are some angry people who gave them bad reviews because their case wouldn't be taken. But it looked like from everything I read that Ken qualified. That Ken was low income. Ken had you know was paying less than eighteen hundred dollars a month. They preferred rent control cases. Ken was rent control. You know they they preferred cases in Los Angeles City. Ken's in Los Angeles City. It, it looked perfect. And for everybody, they actually represented five star, five star, five star, five star. I mean everywhere five star. And upon Google and Basta, there were the only bad things I read were from landlords that were losing to them. There were landlords complaining about how Basta is so good at what they do and how Basta can pull so many tricks that it's impossible to beat them. I said, okay, I, I know who to hire. And I saw that Basta does this all for a very, very, very low flat rate. There's some questions on how they get funded. There, you know, for some re- The amount that Ken paid, there's no way it could have covered all the costs here. I mean, for sure that they have to be getting money from somewhere, and I had thought maybe it was the government. I thought maybe it was uh, outside, you know, charitable funding. I, I don't know what it was, but for uh, there's something about the requirements they have as far as uh, only taking very specific tenants that uh, are low income and the rent is less than a certain amount. There's some reason they have those requirements. They must have to do with their funding, but who cares? I, I don't care how they get funded. But the point is, they were by far the best choice. They were exactly what he needed. A cheap attorney service that also is really, really good. And that does it all for a low flat rate. So I went down there with him and, and sure enough, like they they were what they seemed to be. And uh, they charged $800, which I mean, if you saw how much legal work they did and very effective and good legal work they did for him, uh, they must have done five figures worth of legal work. I'm not even kidding. For this $800. It was insane. So there's no way they're making money on charging $800 per person for this. They're getting funding somewhere else, but this was absolutely perfect for Ken. So he got Basta. Now, usually when Basta's on the case, usually landlords back down from these bogus evictions like this one when they know they really don't have a case and when they know they're up against a very, very tough law firm that specializes in this. But Ken's building, the, the management kept fighting because it was worth so much to get rid of him. They were willing to spend you know, 30k trying to fight this if they would gain 100k from getting him out. So they kept fighting and fighting. And I think they, I don't even know if they fully understood that, that Basta was a flat rate thing, that Ken wasn't paying money. So I think they were a little perplexed how Ken's attorneys were just working so hard and fighting so hard for him and spending so much time on this when, when he's you know, someone who doesn't have any money. But that's what was happening. So I won't bother to get into all the legal wrangling back and forth. It's, you know, the segment's already long enough. But uh, suffice to say, uh, Ken eventually won. Uh, he, in, in August, finally, a, uh, a settlement was, was reached, and the settlement was that Ken could stay. 
that the uh, roommate would that they would be evicting the roommate separately, but that uh, or basically not separately. That basically the ruling was that uh, Ken could stay. The roommate against the eviction. The, the sorry, the eviction against the roommate was upheld. So he was evicted. Ken was not evicted. And uh, there are a bunch of other small things that uh, like yeah, that were agreed to, such as that they they had stolen Ken's parking space because he was never using it because he doesn't have a car. So they just took it took it away from him, which is totally illegal. So they had to agree to return his parking space. And some minor things like that were agreed to as well. So. This dragged on, as I said, from May, June, July, and August, because Basta was fighting it. And um, when Ken won this, or sorry, before Ken won this, the way evictions work, if you don't know, that if you're in the process of being evicted, they cannot accept rent from you. Because once your landlord accepts rent from you, that is the legal equivalent of them dropping the eviction. And then they'd have to start over. So once you're in the process of being evicted, even if you're still in the unit, they cannot take rent from you. However, that doesn't mean you get to live there for free. What that means is that your rent is accumulating and that win or lose in court, you're going to owe the back rent. So either if you're evicted or if the eviction is uh, dismissed by the court, you still owe the back rent for the entire time while they were holding the eviction proceedings Unless the judge says otherwise. So the roommate figured out that the room that the rent he paid Ken for May was not going to go to the landlord immediately. So the this this asshole roommate decided on his own that he shouldn't have to pay rent at all. That if Ken isn't paying the landlord immediately, that he shouldn't have to pay either. Which is ridiculous because this guy was renting from Ken, not from the landlord. That, that's why this whole thing happened. So no matter what was going on between Ken and the landlord, he, he owes the rent to Ken. But he didn't see it that way. So not only did he demand the $500 back from Ken that he'd already paid for May and, and, uh, and, and uh, threatened violence against him if he didn't give it back, and eventually Ken backed down and gave it back, but uh, he refused to pay rent for June, for July, for August. Wouldn't pay any of that because... An eviction was was in process, and uh, why should he have to pay? And so Ken said, well, yeah, but if I lose, I still have to pay. If I lose, I'm going to have to owe them the money anyway, and they can come after my my paycheck. And, you know, he's explaining to the guy that he's going to owe the money either way. And the guy's like, no, they never go after you. I've done this before. I've walked out on apartments before. They never go after you afterwards. You can just leave. And Ken's like, no, they, they will come after me. And he's like, no, they're not going to. Don't worry about it, dude. I'm not. I'm sorry if I need to go find a new place. I need this money to move out. So sorry. I, I'm only going to pay. So the guy said, I'm only going to pay you the rent if I end up staying here. If we, if we get evicted, then I'm not paying. If we stay, then I'll, I'll hold this money to the side and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you all the back rent once this is over, but only if I'm staying. If, if if I'm leaving, if either they evict both of us or if they uh, only evict me or, or if you just tell me you want me to leave, then I'm not paying you anything. And, and basically, uh, so Ken's like, well, no, but that means you'll have lived, lived here for free for many months. The guy's like, oh, well, dude, that's the way it is. So that's what the guy did. The guy stayed in May, in June, July, August, and September, even after the eviction was over. It took a while to actually get the guy out because the, they have to have the sheriff come there and, and uh, 
change the locks and, 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 you know, formally remove the guy. That's the way the eviction process works. Once it, so the sheriff was backed up in the month of September. So the guy, the sheriff couldn't get there until uh, October 1st. So basically for the entire months of May, June, July, August, and September, the guy lived there rent-free, wouldn't pay a dime, refused to leave, and thought he was in the right. Crazy. It's one thing to say, look, I don't want to stay. I'm not giving you notice. I'm just getting up and leaving now. Give me my $500 back. This guy is saying, no, I want to stay as long as I can, but not pay a dime of rent unless you're going to let me live here going forward. And if you won't, or if they won't, I'm just going to live here for free and then ditch out. Goodbye. That, that's what the guy did. So, Ken, I, I told Ken he needs to file a lawsuit against this guy to, uh, to get the money back. Which is, you know, five times 500 for those five months. So Ken filed a lawsuit. And I told Ken, look, you've got to get this guy served quickly. Because once this guy moves out, once he's evicted on the October 1st, you're not going to be able to find him probably to serve him for this lawsuit. So you're going to, at the very least, you need to find him and serve him before he leaves. Well, then the guy disappeared. He didn't take any of his stuff. He just disappeared. And Ken found out in mid-September that he slipped in the unit. Ken wasn't there, but when the guy was alone, slipped in the unit, banged his head, and was unconscious. And they had him in the hospital. I think he banged his head. He wasn't quite unconscious yet. You know, he called someone. They Anyway, he ended up in the, in the hospital. And he was totally incoherent, even more than usual. He was unable to have any kind of conversation with them. He was showing uh, big-time concussion symptoms. So <laughs> the guy was there for weeks, and, and it, October 1st was approaching, and uh, the eviction was going to take place. So I said to Ken, I hate to tell you, I think you're going to have to serve him in the hospital. So Ken hired a process server. The process server went down and served the guy in the hospital. And uh, there was a court case scheduled for uh, October 31st, or October 30th, something like that, end of October, which seemed like enough time. And by then, the guy had been evicted. On October 1st, they formally evicted him, even though he wasn't physically at the property anymore, but they changed the locks, and he was officially no longer a tenant there. But uh, Ken had gotten a call from Judge Judy that they went through the court records, as they do. Judge Judy likes to go through all the court filings and see what seems like interesting cases for them to have on the show. Judge Judy said, hey, this looks like an interesting case. We'd like to have you on here. But we need your agreement. We need uh, Eric's agreement to do this. So Ken said he'd be happy to. The problem was Eric, uh, there was no way to reach him. And apparently in the hospital, uh, the hospital staff told Ken that he's incoherent and that he won't even understand this. So at first I thought this was great. At first I thought, you know, before the Judge Judy thing, I said, great, if this guy can't even make it to court, Ken will win by default and can could just collect the money and then that'll be done. But uh, so I said to him, maybe you don't even want to go on Judge Judy. Maybe you just want to go to regular court and just win this by default. But then at the last minute, the guy was released from the hospital and was coherent again. And... By this point, uh, you know, he contacted Ken 
This is before the court case in late October, like days before. And he said he agreed. But this is like over the weekend, and I think it was going to be on a Monday that the court case is supposed to take place. So he actually called Judge, can call Judge Judy at 8 a.m. Not Judge Judy herself, but the show. Said, yes, we want to do it. I finally got a hold of my roommate. But our court case is at 8.30 today in half an hour. So the show instructed him how to drop the case. and see, so You have to drop the real court case in order to go on Judge Judy. So that same day he agreed, and then half an hour later dropped the court case, which was that same day. And then very quickly they got him onto the show, like in early November. I actually probably would have come down and watched it in the audience if, if they would have let me, but I was funny enough on another cruise. Just a coincidence that two major things happened with this while I was on cruises. So I was unable to watch this uh, Judge Judy appearance. So now Judge Judy, if you look at the description of the show, like on your TV guide, or if even if you watch this preview I played, it appears that Ken got evicted for having an illegal roommate and that now he's trying to collect money that the illegal roommate owed him for rent. That, that's, what, that's what it's trying to say. That, uh, In fact, it even says in the description on the TV guide, if uh, when a rent control tenant goes against a large apartment complex and loses, uh, he tries to come after his illegal roommate for, for money owed. Something like that. But that's not true. He went against a large apartment complex and won. And by the way, the building was sold. So the sale went through. This wasn't just me assuming it was for sale. It went the the sale went through and it was being negotiated and there were inspections going on in the building by the uh, prospective buyer who ended up buying it while all this eviction stuff was going on. So th- this is definitely why it was all happening. So the landlord was being very very sleazy, but Ken won. Ken beat it. Thanks to uh, me finding Basta for him. I also loaned him the $800 to give to Basta. He didn't have that either. So I will not tell you what happened with the Judge Judy case. It, it already took place in early November. I know the result. Now, the way Judge Judy works is that uh, each person is guaranteed a $500 appearance fee, no matter what happens in the case. You will not walk away from Judge Judy with anything less than 500 extra in your pocket. In addition, any money that is awarded to the plaintiff, the defendant doesn't have to pay. The defendant uh, pays nothing, and the show pays the plaintiff. So for the defendant, the reason to come on is obvious, that uh, not only do you get $500, but uh, anything ruled against you, you don't have to pay. For the plaintiff, there's a little bit of less incentive, because yes, you get $500 no matter what, even if you lose, uh, but... The second incentive is that uh, you don't have to collect from the person you beat because you know, even if you beat someone in court, collecting the money from them can be difficult and someone like this Eric guy can be difficult to collect from. So this way Ken gets the guaranteed judgment from the show rather than having to collect it from this deadbeat. So they went on the show. I will let you guys see what happens tomorrow and then next week we'll discuss it a bit. I already know the result, result, but uh, I have not seen the show. I will not reveal anything as to what happened. Should be interesting, though. I suggest you watch it.
JudgeJudy.com. Trader Risky, you there? Oh, yeah. I yeah. can't wait for Judge Judy tomorrow. Now, you may wonder, what, what's Ken doing now, now that this guy's out? Does he have a, a roommate now? It's been a few months since then. Um, I, this is what I told Ken. I said, this time, it really is it. That if, the, if, if you sneak in any roommate that I think shouldn't be there, that I can't approve of, you can do what you want, but I will give 0.0 help. You will get absolutely no help from me if this goes wrong in any way. I will never interfere in anything. I don't care what's happening there. I will be completely out of it. And even if you're going to lose the apartment, even if other bad consequences happen, I will get, I'll be completely out of it. The amount of help you get from me will be... Zero point zero. And, and by the way, Basta, they, they were great. And they did exactly what they said they would do. And they were very effective. But I still was very much involved the whole way with, with advising Ken about... You know, there's a lot of stuff I'm skipping here in the whole process. The, the building was still trying to pull fast ones or they'd agree to things and then go back on them. And there were terrible settlements that were offered that Ken had to decide for himself whether he was going to take or not. And so the whole way I'm constantly being advised and having to tell Ken what the right thing to do is. And so, but yeah, it's it's over and he won that. But you'll see if he ended up winning the Judge Judy case against that roommate, Eric, tomorrow. And oddly enough, they, they both wore almost an identical shirt. Not intentionally, but you'll see the two of them there. And uh, they're, they're both wearing almost the same outfit, which is kind of weird. And I could see that in the preview. And it wasn't provided by the uh, court? No. Proper attire? No, it was just a coincidence, I think. So that's the story with that. 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. Let's look at some texts we got tonight on that same phone number. Uh, from the uh, 973. Hey, Druff, is Clint from Ohio. Been listening to the long-ass show for about a year now, and I love it. Keep up the great work. I just wanted to let the show know about a situation on Ignition. I attempted a deposit on Ignition in December and was denied a card I always use... So, so, so went to ACR, no big deal. About seven days later, I received an email from Ignition stating my last deposit has been approved and my account has been credited. So they basically charged my account with no permission and they have not responded to emails other than the standard of we will reply in 24-hour emails. I wanted to see if you or anyone from the show has experienced anything like this. Thanks to you guys for all you do for the show. Well, Clint from Ohio, I think this is the first time I ever heard from him, but Clint from Ohio, you need to call them. And be prepared to be frustrated, by the way. But but don't email. It, email to Bovada is useless. They will skim your email and give you a form letter response. And you're going to want to pull your hair out every time you get this type of answer from them. So call them. Uh, they're, I don't have their number memorized, but just you know, get their customer service number that's open 24 hours. Call them up and and bring this up and and if you don't get satisfaction from the first rep you talk to you'll be talking to someone in the philippines most likely uh, ask for a supervisor or manager and tell them and don't take no for an answer you got to be very 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 persistent about this and if they refuse to help you tell them you are going to charge this back that that tends to get their attention when you say i'm going to charge this back so don't email anymore call them and um, if necessary, get a supervisor or manager on the phone. If the supervisor's lousy too, ask them when a manager's there. Ask them what hours a manager's there, or ask for a manager call back, and you'll tend to get someone a little bit more reasonable. 
and uh, yeah, just tell them the whole thing. And, and I've noticed Ignition's actually got a little bit better customer service than Bovada for whatever reason, even though they're kind of the same thing. So good luck with resolving that. Let me know if there's uh, any future updates with this. What was the amount, Truff? I missed that. He didn't say. Okay, because yeah, I mean, because every time, like, I had a situation where I got knocked out of a tournament, or the client stopped working. I was doing the live chat. The guy's like, "No, you're not getting anything." It was like a seventy seventy. It was like eighty two dollars total, I think. I called the eight hundred number. She's like, "Oh, no problem. We credit you another tournament play." Ignition, yeah, they they seem to be better on the phone. No, Bovada, Bovada. Oh, Bovada, really? I, I know it's ignitions, but they they've they I had a issue with them recently, and they. At first denied it, but I got a manager on the phone. He was very nice and was uh, instantly made it right. And it was a situation which I had on Bovada before where, boy, they put me through hell. So they, And he even said, you know, I'd like you to give us a chance here at Ignition. And we're not Bovada, even if you may think we are. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm, you know, thank you for doing right with this one. So, okay, he, I, this is what uh, I got a text from the 702. You may read this on the show. I see we're asking for free roll money tonight. Just wondering if you have an account with unclaimed free roll money. I myself have over $100 in unclaimed prize money. I refuse to jump through your hoops for pocket change. Well, if it's $100 or more, it's not pocket change. I'm guessing that there is plenty of other unclaimed prize money. Is there a time limit to claim it before it gets rolled back into the prize pool? Or do unclaimed prizes turn into due gold? Hmm. Someone's trying to uh, cause a trouble here. Okay, I'll tell you guys the truth here. This is a pain in the ass. This, this is a huge pain in the ass to uh, keep track of all the free roll money. I, I don't enjoy it. It's, it's tedious uh, to, to distribute this money in the various ways people want it. It is a pain for me. I don't enjoy it. I do it for the show so people can have this free roll to play for money. Um, for me to have to keep track of every dollar that's, that's won... And and see which was not claimed, and then distribute it, is uh, it w- would be even more of a burden. So I don't. I, what I do is, if people uh, claim the money, there's no time limit. You you can claim something you won three years ago, five years ago, and I'll send it to you. You show it to me, and I, I see I haven't paid you. I'll send it to you. There's there's no time limit. So it it never turns into Jew gold. I'm just holding it. And uh, when the people come forward for it, I send it. So is there is there money that's accumulated over time that I'm holding? Yes. This is not intentional, but but for me to for this to be avoided, I would have to put in additional work that that's will make me not even want to have to run the free roll at all. Because the, the, let's review here: the show the site runs not for profit. In fact, it loses money every month. Uh, this is something that's provided. This free roll is provided for the listeners to have something for free that they can play and and win real money. And this is work for me every single week to distribute these prizes. I have to make sure the people claiming them are uh, you know, really won them. You know, I have to make sure I haven't paid them already. Uh, I have to pay them in the way they want. I have to make sure with the, the way I'm paying it, that I have the account funded to do it. Uh, 
There, there's a, a lot of things. I mean, I'm not saying it's massive work, but it, it's it's an irritant every week that I have to deal with, and I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just being honest that this is something. This is one part of the show I don't enjoy is having to uh, hassle with with all the free roll money. And uh, in fact, I, I finally, I used to send out these micro checks and, and micro amounts of cash in the mail. I finally stopped doing that. And said, look, I'll just you know, when it accumulates, I'll send it to you. Now, for this person, I don't know who you are. But if you really have accumulated $100 worth of, of unclaimed prize money, and if you really – I saw this person texted me in De- on December 27th. That's the first time I've heard from them. So if you really have qualified for this by the rules of Poker Fraud Alert's uh, free roll, and you really have accumulated over $100 worth of money, then send me a list of the free rolls that you won. Tell me the screen name you were using. And provided that you qualify under those rules, I'll, I'll send it. I'll even send you the cash or check because that's that's kind of my threshold is a hundred dollars. So once you have a hundred dollars, I will send you a check for a hundred, or I'll send you cash or over a hundred in the mail, uh, or I can send it to you in, in Bitcoin. I, I have a number of ways I can send it to you. I can do a bank transfer for you. If you, if you don't want it, then guess what you can also do? You can donate it back. Prove to me the money exists. Prove to me you have that money coming to you, and donate it back. And uh, that will come. That'll be into the prize pool. That'll be reused. So, uh, believe me, even if you want to claim that uh, there's been some unclaimed money that will never be claimed, that is still, that I'm still holding, and it's technically in my bank account at the moment, even if you want to add all that together, I guarantee I'm still losing money on this site. I guarantee that's not putting me over the top. So this isn't some scheme to pretend I'm losing money on the site and I'm really you know, making bank. Look how much this free roll is every week. It's, you know, $50, $87, $73, and then most of that is claimed. Most or all is claimed every week. It's, it's rare like that first place winner of 40 bucks is, gonna, is not going to claim it. If something goes unclaimed, it's usually like, like a $5 prize, $7 prize, and, and usually these are, are, are claimed or, or redonated to the, the free roll. So if, uh, yeah, is there maybe a few hundred dollars that's uh, accumulated over time? Of unclaimed prizes? Probably. But, uh, you know, there's no, li- there's no time limit. Anybody can claim them. I'm not like uh, some of these shady poker sites that gives you six months and there's no, it's too late. So, that that's the situation. Uh, I also sometimes, I don't do very often, but I sometimes will throw money into the prize pool myself, too. But again, I, I lose money on the site every month. I... I run this at a loss so it's not even like like if i was making money here i would probably say okay i feel a little bit guilty that i've probably accumulated a few hundred dollars over the years with this and and some of this may never be claimed and there are people who say hey you know i won this back in 2015 2016 and i won this in 2017 can you see can you send me all three of them now and i, and I send it so like a lot, a lot of times these people come back and claim it anyway but there is some unclaimed money but you know, if, if this site was making money, and I had that as well, then I'd probably say, okay, I'm just going to take a guess of probably what it is and throw it into a free roll. But I'll be honest, I don't feel guilty about this because I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just happening because it's a lot of extra work for it not to happen. And this site uh, loses money every month, so it's not like I'm gaining from this. I think I have a feeling who this is. I think I, I've got a suspicion a strong suspicion of who this is, and they're, they're just trying to cause trouble. But see, I'm not hiding this. See, this person, 
I bet they thought I wasn't going to read this. But I, I have nothing to hide here. You know, I'll be honest about it. And anybody who's listening who thinks you have unclaimed money, you know, message me and uh, you know, tell me when you know, go find when you played. You can search the posts, Bellybuster posts every week. Search them and, and find uh, find your name, and I'll be glad to pay you. I don't care if it's four years ago. I'll pay you. From the 215, hope you bought Bitcoin today. I bought somewhat deep at 9800 today, and I'm about to sell. No, I didn't. Though I was talking about it on the site. Not even from this guy's message. I, actually, I got this message uh, about... 8.30 tonight. I, I had actually posted, I think, yesterday that Bitcoin, once it gets under 10,000, it tends to pop back up because people just think, oh, wow, it's under 10,000. This is the perfect time to buy. So it pops back up to 11 or so, and then it's been slipping back down again. And that's that's what I guessed would happen. That's what seemed logical to happen. So this guy was saying that he just bought a lot today at 9,800. It was down as far as 9,200 today. And then when he messaged me, it was like at 11K, so I guess he sold for uh, a little bit more than the 10% profit. So good for him. I did not do that. I considered it, but I didn't do it. So, uh, 901. Druff, don't forget to mention Bank of America isn't taking cash deposits anymore unless the depositor's name is on the account. I didn't know that, but it kind of sucks. They haven't done that for a while, I don't think. Chase Chase doesn't either. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't know about B of A. Chase, you're right. Except for Chase business accounts, they would not do that. Uh, B of A had done that for a long time. I don't know when they changed this. And Wells Fargo still allows it. Yeah, they do. So I guess that's, uh, that's about it for the text we've gotten so far. 775-372-83. Oh, we got 312 texted me uh, called Neverwin. This person loves to text me about never win. <laughs> and here's another text from 774. Druff, I need to address something with you. Calwatt has been with you for how long now? A year or so? Actually, a little bit more than that. He was kind of rough when he first came on. I don't agree with that. I tried way too hard, it felt like. But he's come a long way since then. He's much more authentic and natural. Not to mention you two have built some good chemistry. I think you need to at least consider putting his name in the show title and giving him the credit he's earned. I doubt that I'm the only member of your audience who feels this way. Pay that man his money, theoretically. Well, what do you mean by pay that man his money? It's the line from Rounders. And he's saying like his money, meaning give him credit on the show. I'm actually going to be, at some point, doing a little intro to the show that I'll play each time instead of just the opening song, which I'll still be playing. But after the opening song, I'll play an intro. And the intro was actually going to contain credit for Calwatt, Traderuski, and Brandon, who have been the co-hosts that I've had over the past year or so. That's pretty much it. If I had a co-host in 2017, that's basically who it was. And same with 2018. So I will be doing that. Calwatt, by the way, has said before he doesn't really want that type of recognition. He's not looking to have the title here or anything like that. He just enjoys participating. This uh, He said he actually likes not having like ownership in the show in any way. That he just likes just coming on and talking and, and that's it and not having to worry about that. He said he already runs enough businesses and has enough responsibilities. This is just something he does for fun. 
That's what he's told me. My sentiments exactly. Okay, so, but I do, I, I do appreciate very much the the time and effort that the co-hosts put in here, and I don't take that for granted at all. So, and I've said that before, and that's very true. So, uh, and and by the way, Trader Risky, thank you for that twenty three dollars tonight. I know I mentioned it before, but uh, thank you for that. Got it. And uh, so let me go to the next topic here. Two men have pled guilty in a a case involving underground gambling, one involving sports betting and one involving poker. And it actually has a connection to a poker player you guys may have heard of, a high-limit poker player named Brandon Steven, though he's not one who pled guilty, but he's involved. So let me get to this uh, somewhat interesting story. And then I, I read more about Brandon Steven, and I was even more interested. So, two men, uh, one is named uh, Danny Chapman, who's 67, from Wichita, and David Flax, who is 46, also from Wichita, uh, they pled guilty for uh, illegal gambling and tax evasion. These were federal charges. Uh, Chapman pled guilty for one count of operating an illegal gambling biz- business and one count of tax evasion. Flax pled guilty to two counts of operating an illegal gambling business and one count of making a false statement on a tax return. So... They got wiretaps on Chapman over a sports betting ring he was running. So he was taking sports bets, and uh, he was having... uh, He had five runners who would collect the bets for him. And then... uh, This is the part I don't completely understand, but he he was betting... He was making these bets online through different offshore sites. Now, I'm not sure if this was just through... Uh, sites that would just be keeping track of it. Because usually these these offshore sites that bookies run, they're actually not collecting any money. There's no money going through these sites. They're just kind of for record keeping purposes. And then the book- yeah, I think a lot of them just pay per player, and they get to use the call center on the website. Right, right. So, so the uh, the money is always handled between the bookie and the player. So I don't know if that's what they mean, or or if they mean that uh, he was actually then taking these bets and really betting them himself on sites uh, on just sport regular sports books that he could access online. But then you have to wonder, well, but then he has to pay you. So how is he making any money? So uh, I, I'm wondering if. This might have to be where he's sometimes betting them on the online sites if they were too big for his liking. If it was, if the action was too high for him, that he would uh, he'd only book part of it himself and then book the rest through uh, an online site. Anyway, it's not that important. Whatever it is that uh, he made a lot of money doing this, and between January tenth or January two thousand thirteen. And February 2017, he ended up clearing more than $1 million. $1.5 million was one, and uh, federal agents seized that $1.5 million from houses and safety deposit boxes that he had in Wichita and Las Vegas. So maybe even... 
made more than that. I don't know if that's also what paid for the houses, but <laughs> that was the they, they actually seized one point five million dollars cash, which he did not declare. So that's where the tax evasion comes in. Now, how does Flax figure into this? Because this is not about poker. The Chapman stuff is all about sports betting. Well, Flax, David Flax, who's younger, he's forty six. He was uh, one of the runners for Chapman. And, and so at some point, federal authorities put on a wiretap on Chapman and were listening to his phone calls. And that's where they found Flax, who was not only an employee of Chapman's and uh, acting as a runner for him, but uh, he was the manager of an underground poker game that operated for a long time in the Wichita area. Flax ran the games. They, they were invitation only. And he also collected rake from the games and uh, made sure the sites were secure so nobody could, could rob them. Uh, and he also was the one who hired the dealers, the waitresses, and security. So after they were, you know, when they were wiretapping Chapman, uh, they got interested in Flax and, and somehow he must have said something about the poker room. They realized about that and then they investigated him as well. So he was also busted. So he also pled guilty. So while Flax was only a runner for this, the sports betting ring, and usually the runners only get in minimal trouble. Usually they go after the ringleaders. Chapman was the one who you know, they went after the sports stuff, but uh, but Flax was the one that uh, you know they, they went after him for both being a runner and for running this illegal poker room. What I found most interesting about this, though, was the involvement of high-stakes poker player Brandon Steven. Now, he's not really a pro poker player, but he's actually Kansas's all-time live tournament winner with $3 million plus in cashes. I don't know if he's actually uh, has profit. I don't know if he's a winner in that sense, but he's cashed more than $3 million, especially because he plays high roller events. And that can add up very quickly, even if you're not a great player, just from uh, you know managing to cash in these high buy-in events, the caches to your name add up very fast. So take a look at his uh, Hendon mob. Uh, which I should have had up here, but I don't. Here we are. Brandon Steven. He uh, he actually cashed, uh, for example, he played the 111k one-drop event in 2016 and finished in 10th for uh, 384,000. He entered the Aria Super High Roller in October 2016 for 50k and won it for 648,000. So you, you see how this can quickly run up your overall uh, totals. He also uh, cashed in the one drop in 2013, the 111k one drop, seventh place for 621k. He was in fifth place in 2013 for the WPT. Championship event, 25K buy-in, 223000 was his cash for finishing fifth. And he has a number of other caches, uh, including one at the PCA high roller. Uh, he actually finished in, uh, in 10th place at the main event of the World Series in 2010, the year I finished 88th. That was probably his most impressive score, uh, not just money-wise, where he's 
had some similar, but this is one where he didn't just buy into something super large and, and then cash something large. But here with a $10,000 buy into the main event with 7,300-something people, he finished 10th for 635000 I didn't realize that until I was just looking at this now. I do not remember playing with him. I see his picture. I don't remember playing with him. A lot, a lot of the people who got to the end there I played with, as you might imagine, since I was 88th. But I think I played with four people at the final table. In fact, I think four of them were actually at my table when I busted. They ended up making the uh, the final table. I know Soy Wynn was with me. Uh, Jason Senti was with me. Uh, Felipe Ocandio was with me. Uh, I think one other, too. But uh, the winner that year was not with me, uh, Duhamel, nor was... Uh, I don't think I ever played with Brandon Steven. But he he bubbled the final table. That's kind of brutal. <laughs> he was tenth. So Brandon Steven, here's here's some other information about him that uh, got my interest. In 2015, he was arrested for public nudity. Now, usually when public nudity is involved, it's either someone who's super drunk who just kind of takes off their clothes and runs around naked, or someone who has sex in public. Well, in this case, it was sex in public. At 2.48 a.m. on September 19th, 2015, he was in Wichita, and he was having uh, some kind of sex with a uh, a 26-year-old girl named uh, Suzanne Carpenter. And they also arrested her and charged her with the same uh, offenses. They were both charged with lewd or lascivious conduct, public nudity related to an actual or simulated sex act, and uh, she was not married to him. It was just his girlfriend... Now, that by itself, you may think, okay, maybe they were just at a lake or something and were having sex and some prude walked by and called the police. No, this was actually much more offensive than that. He actually participated in this uh, public sexual display in the city's hipster restaurant district. At uh, 702 East 2nd Street in Wichita. This was just somewhere like in a a very popular restaurant district. They're just kind of somewhere, I, I don't know, they were in sight somewhere and, and engaging in some kind of sexual activity right out there. And people were so shocked that like a bunch of people called Wichita police and said, you got to get over here. There's just people banging in public here, right, right, uh, right here in this restaurant district. So this wasn't off somewhere, you know, private that someone happened to see them. So this was reported in the Wichita Press at the time. And this was especially reported because he was attempting to get casino gambling going in Kansas. Kansas did not have any casino gambling at the time and still doesn't. I think there is some kind of form of gambling in Kansas, but there's no casino-style gambling there. And he was trying to get that going. And he was invest- He was trying to invest in it, and uh, it ended up not happening. But he and his brother 
were involved in in getting that. They're they're trying to get that legislation passed. They're trying to get uh, the casino started there, and it ended up not happening. So, getting back to the situation with the who felt like he could have sex in public and get away with it is uh, interesting recent history. And if you Google his name, Brandon Stephen, you'll see various stories throughout 2017 about how uh, there were wiretaps on uh, Brandon Stephen and his brother Rodney. And these these arrests came down in, in February of 2017, so it's almost a year ago. Someone said there was a sound issue, but it's back now. That I do not like to hear. I hope it was just that uh, one person. Huh. I'll tell you what's weird here. I'll tell you what's weird. I'll look later to see if there was an interruption in the stream, because when there's an interruption, I actually see, like, two shows in the archives and I have to combine them into one. But right now, we have the lowest ratings I've ever seen for this show. I wonder if it has to do with sound issues. This is just me and you, Jeff? Almost. We have the lowest, <laughs> we have the lowest ratings ever. And in, in previous weeks, I was actually pleasantly surprised by looking like we'd be on at 2.30 a.m. after a super long show. Or 3 a.m. and I'd look. I expected the ratings to be terrible, but no, they, they they were actually pretty good. They were shockingly good for that time of night. And now I look, and the, and the ratings are awful. So it makes me wonder if. Uh, see, now they're going up some. So that, now it does make me think that people are disconnected and slowly reconnecting to the show. Yeah, they're all saying it dropped out for 10 seconds. Okay, so that makes. I, I just couldn't believe our ratings were that low. I thought maybe we lost some people who weren't fans of Ken Scaler, but. I, it, it just was lower than I'd ever seen. So I think we're still having people reconnecting. So if the, presumably I'm going to have to combine two shows in the archives. And for those who are listening to the archives, what you're going to notice is that there will be like a cut where it just, it just jumps. And if you, you heard that before this, that's why it happened. So you probably only lost about 10 seconds, so... Sometimes if there's enough of a, a gap or something, sometimes I'll go back and edit it and, and cut that part out and fix it to where it sounds like there was never a cut. I'm actually pretty good at that. I can, I can, put, I can edit things to where it sounds like there was no edit, but I'm not going to bother here. I don't feel like it. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Eric Benzamokin, an attorney who will take a variety of cases, including, and this is not mentioned in the ad, he will take cases, if you, if you are in California... And if an online poker site screws you in any way, definitely contact him because he will take that in addition to the arbitration and mediation cases that you will hear that I describe in this commercial. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. 
But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. I may need Eric Benzamokin to to defend a class action lawsuit that people are going to file against me for uh, taking free roll money, never redistributing it. Glad I have him here. Okay, so I want to mention one other thing. This is uh, not a sponsor, but it's a group that has been supportive of Poker Fraud Alert, so I figured I'd mention this. Real Grinders, which is a, a Facebook group. It's, it's also a website, but to be honest, the, the website uh, no one seems to care about. But the, the Facebook group gets a lot of action. It's probably the most popular poker-related Facebook group there is. And I actually participate in there sometimes. But uh, Ray Davis managed to finagle a Real Grinders event at the... L.A. Poker Classic, which is currently going on at Commerce Casino. So uh, they're not a sponsor here or anything, but uh, I did just want to mention that they actually have a Real Grinders event at, uh, what's the date here? On February 5th, sorry, February 11th at 5 p.m. So a little way off, but February 11th at 5 p.m., there is a Real Grinders Championship Bracelet event for... Three hundred forty-five dollar buy-in. It's kind of funny—a championship bracelet event. So I guess you get a real grinder's bracelet. I even see a picture of it here. So I may actually go play that. I might. So Real Grinders has been very gracious with allowing me to put up notification about this show every week. Every week I post a notification there. 
that this show is starting. And a link to the show, a link to the agenda. And they don't have to. You know, they could call it spam. They could say, we don't want that here. They, they're very gracious about allowing it. In fact, uh, Ray and the moderators there even like the post. So I appreciate that. And uh, therefore, I thought that I'd just do them a little favor here and mention the event they're having. And there's actually uh, a it's, it's a bounty event, too. It's a $200 bounty event. That's uh, sorry, I got that wrong. The, the bounty event's the day before. The championship event is not bounty. That's that's February 11th. On February 10th, there's a $345 buy-in bounty event where you get $200 for each person you knock out and a $345 buy-in. So you knock out two people, you're already ahead. I think that's the one I'm going to play. I, I don't need that stupid bracelet, but uh, the, the 10th with the $200 bounty, that should be interesting. That's 5 p.m. on February 10th. Which, unless it's a, unless it's a Saturday or Sunday, that's going to be a pain in the ass that time. Let me look at date that is. Oh, good, it's Saturday. Okay, I was going to say to have to be there at five p.m. in Commerce is would be a f- horrible pain in the ass of the traffic. I, I probably was going to pass on it if that was a weekday. Just getting anywhere in Southern California at five, six, or seven, unless it's close to you, is just a real challenge. I I had a situation. In 2016, where my sister was having a birthday dinner with my family and wanted me to come. And it was on a weeknight, so Benjamin's mom was not going to come and Ben was not coming because we were going to get back too late and uh, I was just going to come. So I got in my car and this this was in L.A. And I drove to- toward L.A. and... There was such terrible traffic. The dinner was at 6.30. I mean, there was just horrible traffic. It just wasn't moving. Every side street had horrible traffic. There was just no way around it. And after sitting there for about 25 minutes and going basically nowhere, I just got off the freeway, called on my sister and said, yeah, I'm not making this. <laughs> Sorry about that. And I turned around and went back home. So this year... My mom tells me they're having another dinner, or not this year, last year, October uh, 2017. And I said, ah, well, don't make it at 6.30, or I just, I'm just not coming, because I won't make it. So, I think they made it 7.30 or 8, and it was much better. All right, I want to talk about the Lucky Dragon Casino. Give you an update with that story. The Lucky Dragon Casino opened in late 2016, and it never caught on. It's it's kind of by the Sahara, but it's not in a good area. It's not a terrible area, but it's not, it's not a good area, and it's a, it's kind of far from everything you'd normally want to go to. It's not really it's not on the Strip. It's it was supposed to be a casino that would attract Asian gamblers from Asia, and they were hoping that having like a very Asian-friendly casino would capture that market, but it just never caught on. There was very little foot traffic there. There were just very few people on the floor gambling, and uh, it was described that there were just employees milling around with nothing to do. And it was it was run poorly. Everyone was confused. I'm talking about the employees. Uh, employees were accused of being unfriendly, uh, 
people who weren't Asian apparently weren't treated all that well, and many of the employees didn't speak English, so it had a lot of problems. It was not run very well at all. So it was announced that they were closing their casino, but they were still leaving open the hotel and I think a restaurant in the property, something like that. Well, there's a new update to the Lucky Dragon situation. This is from the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal. The Lucky Dragon is now facing foreclosure. There is going to be a February 6th foreclosure auction, according to Clark County Records. And if it's repossessed or sold at auction, then uh, it could have a new owner and could even reopen. The lead building contractor claims that it's owed millions of dollars for unpaid work. And uh, I guess they closed uh, the restaurants, too. They closed the casino and the restaurants. They claimed the closure was temporary, but people were very skeptical about that. The developer named Andrew Fomfa took out a $90 million loan in the spring of 2016, which was a while after construction had started. And uh, he claimed it was fully financed. It actually has a nine-story hotel and a 27,500-square-foot casino in a separate building. But it, as I said, it doesn't have a good location. It's by the SLS, which is also failing. It's on Sahara Avenue. And uh, a default notice was filed this past September in connection with a loan. And last week, the notice of foreclosure sale was filed with the county. The This FAMFA guy could not be reached for comment. <laughs> and the, what's interesting is the loan that was given to Lucky Dragon, the $90 million loan, was issued by a very obscure company called Snow Covered Capital. And records show that it's linked to a real estate investor named Enrique Landa of Associate Capital in San Francisco. He would not comment either. He's out a lot of money, I think. They also raised $60 million through a program where foreigners can get a visa. I'm talking not about a visa credit card. (laughs) They can get a uh, visa to be in the U.S., if they put through at least uh, $500,000 into a business and if their funding creates at least 10 full-time jobs. So I guess they got 120 people to do this. Uh, I think they were from China. And then these uh, these people are now complaining that they never ended up getting their visas. So there's uh, controversy related to that as well. Now, what's funny is that the Las Vegas Review-Journal claims that the reason the Lucky Dragon failed was not because uh, the food and entertainment offerings were poor, but because their comp policy and their gaming was not very good. But I heard the opposite. I heard that they actually had 
surprisingly generous comps, at least for people who uh, are first-time gamblers there. But that uh, people were taking advantage of this left and right, that people would show up, they'd, they'd initially play a lot of money, then go home, not play much, or not play at all. Then they'd get mailers for a lot of free play, go in and run the free play, and never play again other than the free play, and just rack up a lot of free play winnings that by far was worth more than the expected loss of the money they ran through the casino initially. And that Lucky Dragon was finally catching on to this happening and started to suspend accounts when they started to see that was happening. So if anything, I think the comps were too good. Now, maybe they weren't comping people after that well enough, but like after they had initially played there, but that that's why some people had taken interest in it. Advantage players were all over that place. In fact, I would have done it had I known, but it's gone now. In fact, had I, had I known, I would have done it and not told anyone out here because you know with these advantage play opportunities, you can't you can't broadcast them to the public or they're not going to exist anymore. So it's it's not about being stingy or being selfish. It's about a, if you broadcast this to anybody, then you uh, you don't get. Now, I I see Brandon trying to call in. For some reason, whenever we have Trader Ruski on here, uh, or whenever he's in, for some reason, it never lets me add somebody else. But Do you want me to call back in? Drop no, no, I, 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 back? Yeah, I'll, I'll add you back. Yeah, that's good. All right, cool. Okay, so I'm going to take Brandon's call and we'll re-add Trader Ruski. Brandon, hello. Brandon. Is that fraud show still on? It's still on. Here we are. Jesus. I think we have Trader Ruski back, do we? I'm trying to connect the two of you here. Is well, this... He always hangs up when I call for some yeah, reason. I know. He only, I know, for he some only reason... sees me when he's in Vegas. What's happening, kind of fellas? There we are. Last, Is that la... Trader Ruski? Yeah, last time he I vanished. Here I am, Brandon. I was Jesus. ready to pass out. I heard you were on. So, so listen, am I, am I interrupting something about someone that stole $18 from Czechoslovakia in online poker? No, or is no. This like those? No, Truffle, okay. somebody, uh, he got a fifth place in the 2015 free roll. Truff didn't pay him. Yeah, someone, oh, someone's, someone's, someone's mad so, about that. So listen to this. Today, I go to uh, Rolling Smoke Barbecue for lunch around like 2.30. It's my new... Uh, to-go place. Anyone that likes barbecue, if you're a local, you've probably heard of it. If you, if not, come to Vegas. Where, where is it? it it's uh, There's three locations. The one that I went to, there's one near the Strip, there's one out in Henderson, and the one that I always go to, which is, so, which is somewhat near Summerlin, it's on Flamingo and Grand Canyon, which is kind of by Flamingo and Fort Apache. Basically between Durango and Fort Apache okay. and Flamingo. Very close to Flamingo in 215, but it's amazing. The prices are good. I've eaten there now about maybe seven or eight times. It's just amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing barbecue. Just, it's ridiculous. So anyhow, I'm at the barbecue joint with a friend of mine. We have lunch. We're hanging out. The meal's over, and it's a beautiful day. I mean, you know, this is one of the first years that I'm really appreciative of the weather here in Vegas. You know, you're seeing places like Atlanta and Tallahassee having these frost advisors. I'm wearing a a t-shirt and shorts today and like a, a small light 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 very hood you know light hoodie and it's like 65 during the day and the sun is like shining well I was, gonna, I was i was gonna say vegas has had unusually warm weather this winter it has we had one spurt 
of like 32, 34 for like a couple days, and then it was gone. But I mean, it's 65, 67 even, and the sun is just beaming, man. I mean, you got to be grateful for that. I'm reading today like Duke was closed and University of North Carolina. All these colleges were closed because it was literally too cold for people to go out. They thought it was unsafe. And here I am in like shorts and a T-shirt. So anyhow, we eat lunch, have an amazing uh, – and this is not anyone from poker. This is another normal friend of mine. And we walk outside. We each have a you know cold, refreshing Pepsi in our hand. And we're talking in front of his car. We're in separate cars. We're about to leave. And as we're talking – uh, right in front of me, you know, there's like maybe 10 cars that are on in the left turn lane turn, to turn on to, to turn left on the Flamingo. I, uh, I see this PT Cruiser like going like 30 miles an hour in this left turn lane. It just smashes into the back of this car. Okay. Just, I mean, it's a, it's a loud noise. The car is stationary. This other car is going like probably a good 25, if not 30 miles an hour. Boom. And I can see like the bumpers, you know, falling off. And then I see a woman, looks like, you know, middle-aged woman getting out of the car all frantic. Then I can see that there's little kids in the car. So I'm about maybe 30 yards off, and I just kind of i am standing there. And the guy gets out of the car from the PT Cruiser. The woman gets out of the car that was hit. And then the guy immediately gets back in his car, darts, like, around other cars that are, like, you know, in the other, like, left-hand turn lane and, and goes to a red light and escapes down Flamingo. Just hauls ass and takes off. So then at that point, I walk over there, and there's a woman, a green, you know, and ended up being a grandmother. Her daughter was driving, and the daughter's two young kids. It's like a three-year-old and maybe a five-year-old, a girl and a boy. And they're all just really, really just frantic. And thank, thank God, you know, no one's hurt or anything. But, you know, like, the, the bumper's off. You know, the the older woman is complaining that her neck hurts her a little bit from whiplash, and they're just shocked. Fortunately, when the car sped off, the daughter somehow, like in that fast of a time frame, got the license plate. So they called 911, and, you know, they said that there's a hit and run, there's children involved, you know, I think we're okay, but please, you know, send an officer. Uh, So anyhow, so I I walk over there, and I said, listen, I, I saw what happened, you know, my name i'll wait for the police to come and i can give a statement i literally you know watched him hit you and watched him just speed off and you know i'll validate your story they're all very very nice the woman gets on her phone immediately and she calls her husband and she's like my husband's gonna be here you know in a couple minutes and you know and i'm sitting there i'm trying to calm them down i'm saying listen everyone's okay the kids like at that point had recovered they're playing with their toys in the car you know, traffic's a little blocked now because they're in the left-hand turn lane and everyone's having to merge around. So, I'm, you know, I'm just calming them down. I'm like, you know, it's the important thing. Everyone's okay. You know, don't worry about it. You know, it could have been a lot worse. So the husband shows up. He looks like he's in his early 60s. And he looks like the stereotypical mob guy. He gets out of the car. He has, like, what looks like a perm. Like, his hair is, like, really curly, like, almost to the point where... It, there's no way it's natural. Like, it doesn't even move. He's kind of got, like, that pasta belly, and he gets up, and he's like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. You know, just like the <laughs> stereotypical, like, you know, sons of bitches. <clears throat> so he, he gets out, and then, you know, after making sure his wife's got the first thing, he says, are you okay, honey, and how about my kids? And, you know, literally, it sounds like, you know, something out of, you know, Goodfellas. And, you know, he's cursing, and, like, sweat's coming off his face. So after all that said and done, he comes over and he gives me a hug. He's like, thank you for, you know, staying with my family and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, 
So then he looks at me and he says, I'm Frank Shinta. And I'm like, why does that name sound familiar? Well, it's because he is a legendary performer in Vegas, part of an act called the Shintas. Have you have either one of yes, you ever heard of yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. I, I always thought it was pronounced Shintas, but yeah, I, I know I know what you're talking about. Okay, maybe you know, oh, I so could be pronouncing it. starts with a C, maybe. It's, yeah, yeah, I could I be pronouncing it wrong. Maybe I, maybe I am, but I don't think so because he said it to me. So apparently I knew that name. I'm like, you know, you used to perform at the Rio. <laughs> And, you know, he's like, yeah, we were at the Rio for six or seven years. And then those sons of bitches, they fucked that property up, cocksuckers. <laughs> you know, anyhow, you know, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not bashing the guy because the dude's obviously accomplished way more than I'll ever accomplish in my life. But uh, he's now at the plaza, which is kind of where, like, the old acts kind of go to die, you know. But in his heyday, like, and, you know, and he's a legend. It's not even like a question. But, you know, that's where he's at now. And I immediately, like you know, go on Google. I'm like, holy shit, you know, like, because it was just a weird coincidence. We pull up his picture, and then I see that really now there's only a Shinta because his brother, who was the half part of the act, had a stroke about two months ago. Yeah, like I'm, middle seeing, of that. November I'm, I'm seeing that here. Now, I'll say he has good reviews. He has uh, 4.5 Great stars. Reviews. I saw that. Yep, I read those reviews. On, on TripAdvisor. you say that. Yeah. So, you know, this guy's the nicest guy in the world. And after, you know, he's assured his family's okay. And, you know, the, by the way, I'm there for about 45 minutes. The police don't even come. <laughs> oh, never God. showed up. Never showed up. For a so hit and just, run? No, never showed up. He must Did have been you? irate. So finally he's insistent. He's like, please go about your day. You know, these cocksuckers. I don't, you know, he was insisting I, I just go home and not wait any longer. And I've, I've done enough. And he's giving me a hug, and you know we exchange phone numbers. And I'm like, well, listen, if the if and when the police show up, uh, you know, give them here's my number. If they need me to come back, I live about 15 minutes away. I'll come back and I'll write a statement. Uh, you know, I witnessed everything, and he's like, this is what you have to do. And he pulls out like this really like really pimping looking business card, like just kind of glittery. Has his name and you know cell phone. He's like, uh, and I mentioned him prior. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'd never seen your show, but I. I I'm 99% certain that my dad has seen it, and, you know, and I'm like, I, I believe my dad even ranted and raved how much he liked it, and, you know, so this, he says to me when we're leaving, he's like, this is what I'm going to do, I'm at uh, the uh, the plaza, you know, two nights a week, I guess, you know, they're revamping the show because half the act died, but he's there on Friday and Saturdays, and he's like, you, you and your old man, you call me, this is my personal number, there's... 1A, 1A, he kept saying 1A. He's like, that's the best booth, VIP booth in the house. Oscar Goodman sat there. And, you know, he's saying all these Vegas le legends. The governor sat there. He's like, I'm going to put you and your dad in that seat. And you come anytime you want. And I'm going to call you up on stage and tell everyone, you know, and introduce you. And he, he was just like the nicest guy. And he's like, you know, you friends, you just come down here. And you call me whenever you want to see the show. And, uh, I mean, just a really nice guy. Like, you know, I thought at first he might have been a mobster because he literally, like, you know, I guess when he goes on stage, he has that persona and that act, but that's how he was, like, interacting with his wife and his daughter, but very nice, just totally concerned about his family. Yeah, if, so if, anyone, anyone, if anyone wants to look him up here, it's uh, S-C-I-N-T-A, and that's, that's how you spell his name, and you'll, you'll see immediately if you, do, you Google uh, Frank or Frankie Sinta, S-C-I-N-T-A. And I could have sworn he said the Shintas, but I could be wrong. Maybe that's just how in my head I've always thought it was. No, I, he pro I it, it probably what it is. I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced. I've just always read it, and I think I've just kind of assumed that was yeah. the pronunciation. I, I'll tell you, when I first heard of them, it was a long time ago, I, I used to get uh, 
mailers, I think it was from the Las Vegas Hilton, I mean, a long time ago, late 90s or early 2000s, and it was trying to, you know, like, that that was the offer, like, I could have free rooms and free tickets to the Sintas, or the Shintas, I don't know. It was. It looked like some kind of variety show or something. So I wasn't that interested in it, but uh, I, I kept getting so many mailers about them. That's where I got to know about them. And then I, yeah, I remember seeing that they moved elsewhere. To, I think the Rio and yeah, some other places. So he's he's been at the Sahara back when it was you know like in its prime or semi prime. Uh, he was at the Hilton for a number of years, and that's normal. Like a lot of these acts, you know, they just move around. You know, like even popular ones. Like I remember the Blue Man Group group has been all over the place and. You know, that's just kind of how they are. Like, their contract ends after, like, normally it's, like, three to five years, and then they just, you know, reevaluate. Sometimes they kind, of, they kind of get stale at a certain property. So, but anyhow, nicest guy in the world. I think what I'm going to do is not this weekend because of football, but I think the middle, the, the, the second weekend, you know, the, the lull between the championship games and the Super Bowl. So what is that, like, the 26th, 27th of January? I think I'm going to go with my dad and take him down there. And, you know, my dad was all excited because my dad had seen him before. And my dad said the show was great. He does like impersonations and, um, it's, you know, it's like a variety act. You know, I was, I didn't know. I read about it today. I, I, I knew nothing about him other than like you, I heard the name. So I, I, know, I, I, I this guy and I just thought what a, what a coincidence, what a small world it was for me to meet someone. I actually knew, you know, I knew of him. I knew that name and that show. I have a feeling that the person who did the hit and run is either wanted for something currently, or they, of were course, not, or they were an unlicensed driver. And they well, didn't. it was a middle-aged man. It looked, it was a white male that looked to be. I couldn't. I, I mean, I could see it was a white male from where I was, but the the Frank Shinta's wife said that she described him as being in his early, you know, to mid fifties, um, skinny white male, about like six foot two, and she said he looked like. He was on drugs, so he just looked out of it. So that's what we all surmised, either drunk, drugs, or a warrant, um, because the way he acted was so irrational. Like, yeah, there was damage, but it wasn't, like, you know, it wasn't severe damage. The bumper was, like, you know, half off. It, you know, it was just one small section of the car. I mean, nobody You're was hurt. Nobody was on the floor in blood. It, you, know, it was, you know, it was nothing in the grand scheme of accidents. So we definitely surmised that, you know, something wasn't right. This dude just literally backed out, like backed up and got out of the far left. This was the far left turn lane when there was another turn lane on in the right and just maneuvered out of all that traffic and then went through a red light to get on Flamingo, we assume, 215 and dart out of there because that's, you know, that was the nearest road to escape. Um, so, but thankfully no one was hurt or anything. And, you know, that's obviously the good part. And like I said, it was, it was at least 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and the police never showed didn't even come. No one came. I ended up leaving. He like insisted. He's like, go, you know, do what you got to do. You can't just sit here all day. We'll call you if we need you. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, and this is not like a, you know, this is not like a, a desolate part of the city. This is like it was in a thriving, booming, you know, shopping area where, you know, besides the, the barbecue restaurant, there was a Target and there's like, you know, a bunch of, you know, little cafes and coffee, you know, shops and, you know, we're not like far out. Like there had to be a cop within like a half a mile radius, you know, north, south, east, or west. Like you know what I mean? Like it was in the, you know, the center of the city, basically. It wasn't like a you know isolated part of town. It's very, really weird. Really, really weird. That, that's and then, crazy. And they and specifically, he, the guy at least 
Sorry, Brandon. When he came no, out sorry, of the car, saying, did he at least yeah. check out to see if the people were okay? Or did he just look at the bumper and bail? No, he got out of the car and looked at the bumper. And then the woman, you know, I don't know what she said. I didn't, they conversed for very shortly. He immediately got back in his car. He put the car in reverse so he could maneuver out of being in the far left-hand turn lane. And then got yeah. out. And it was like the perfect storm of like car movement because normally he'd be trapped in there. Like if it was right. like a red light and there's, you know, being in the far left turn lane, you got to get through the, the, you know, the right left turn lane. Then you have to go through the center lane. And he got through all that somehow. And then he just wow. darted right on the Flamingo, probably making a left turn at a red light at maybe like 40 miles an hour. Like it was at that speed where all, you, you thought maybe there's a potential for the car to flip over because he was turning wow. left that fast. Um, you know, and, and again, the thing that was so sick to me is like, the woman said on the phone, there's babies in the car. So you would think that, like, paramedics, somebody would show up. Like, when you say there's That's babies, <laughs> but no one came. Right. Like, it was at least 45 minutes, maybe an hour, you know, and, and no one came. So, yep. but anyhow, like, I'll report a- back. I'll, if, I'm sorry, go ahead, Trader Risky. No, I was just going to say, I want to hear more about that one. But do you guys get a lot of hit and runs? Like, Druff, doesn't it seem like over the past, like, two or three years, it's been like tenfold with hit and runs? I haven't noticed that. What I noticed is in Vegas that uh, I police noticed, chases. No, in LA, I was talking. Okay, about. I, I, I was talking, in in Vegas. I noticed a lot of people drive super cautiously and slowly, which made me believe that a lot of them are like really not wanting to be pulled over, like either for no registration or or no license. I it just seemed like there were a lot of people, especially following like the the crash in two thousand eight when the economy really struggled. I just noticed a lot of people were driving in a manner to where they were just terrified of ever being pulled over. So Yeah. Well, and now with weed being legal there, I mean, I'm sure, you know, 80% of the people are stoned. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably So they right. don't want to get pulled over too, right? You know what? I'm very lucky. I In all my years of living in big cities, I mean, I've been out here now was 18, 17 years, 17 years and change, and I, I haven't had a car accident. Before that, you know, I lived in some small cities while I was in college, like in Tallahassee. But before that, I lived in South Florida, Miami, and, you know, the surrounding counties. Um, and I've never had a hit. I've never had a hit and run. I've never had anyone hit, hit me, you know, and then dart. You know, I've had a couple, like, fender benders where someone would bump into me, like, very slow speeds, and they'd get out, and they were very cooperative. Um but no, I mean, definitely it was just, this was a sketchy individual and, you know, it's not someone who has insurance and did just didn't want to deal with it and just was like, oh, I need to get to work or like there was something he was hiding the way he like darted out of there. Like it was like, you know, it could have had warrants. The car could have been stolen. I mean, well, and he could have had know. a couple of DUIs, knew he had a few drinks and then said, baby, get out of there. Yep. Because, you know, because they hit the runs probably better than your third DUI. Yeah. So on another note, and I, I, I promise you i'm not trying to hijack the show and you could of course say no if you're between segments druff i just sent you a text of, of a phone number i would like for you there's a young man a young boy actually that uh you know who it is but i, I don't want any personal information given out on the air because he's a minor um but it's someone that it's a son of somebody that you know that and he's literally in florida right now and he wanted to be on radio for the first time and believe me this kid's a character this kid is a character. So if if the show isn't running too long, you know, 
trust me, it will be for it will be good good radio entertainment. Okay, if you can call that number I sent you, I will call. I'm going to call it up. The uh, we got a text by the way. In the meantime, uh, from we have a listener in Australia right now, live listener, who says, mm-hmm. and I believe him. He's, he's texted me before. He is in Australia and he just had a cancer operation and he's recovering. Jesus. He's recovering and listening to this show, and he said, "Please make the show long." So now, now I actually have to feel guilty that if I, if I end the sh- if I end the show too soon, then I'm going to be disappointing someone who's trying to recover from cancer. So, uh, yeah. Can you send some Australian Open tips? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I can understand this though. If if you like a you know some kind of show and it's on and and you want to take your mind off of what's going on with, with your health there and or you're recovering that uh, this can be a good thing to have and i can see why especially if, you, if you're just stuck in bed there what else is he going to do of course you want to hear the show so well you know speaking of entertainment and such i the reason why i wasn't on earlier i wasn't but you know i was indifferent to it i actually just got home i went to red rock this evening and i saw a movie and i don't see movies a lot i used to when i was younger but maybe like a couple times a year at the most i can't even tell you the last time i saw a movie Maybe it was six months, a year. Anyhow, I went and I saw Molly's Game tonight at Red Rock, which is right by my house. And I, I really liked it. I, uh, I've i read some people's critique that have claimed... Uh, first of all, have either, have either of you seen it? No, I, I do want to see it, but I have not yet. Not, not yet. I've read some people's critique that have said that it's even better than Rounders. But I think that's not fair to either movie because you can't really compare them. They're two types. They're two different types of movies completely. Like, you know, rounders was more of the player's perspective of playing. And this is, you know, obviously the story of somebody that ran, uh, I guess what's being called the biggest, most lucrative, you know, most powerful, you know, home game ever. But anyhow, I won't give anything away, uh, because there are some things in there that haven't been like reported by the media, you know, some, you know, plot twists and such, but I liked it. You know, okay. I didn't end up getting bored or falling asleep or just my eyes getting heavy. Like, it kind of kept me, you know, and it's not one of those movies where it's, like, so dramatic, like you're waiting for some big twist or turn. It's more of a, just a biography, but it was interesting. You know, it was, it was a good movie. It good. definitely kept me captivated. So whether it, it comes out soon on Blu-ray or you guys can get it off the Internet, watch it. You'll like it. You know, okay. it was a good movie. All right. Well, yeah, I want to see it. it. I saw the direct. Well, we, we talked about it. I think we're in <clears> Vegas. Oh, and uh, then I happened to see that night, like the director being interviewed. Looks good. Mm-hmm. All right, so, let, so I'll call up the number now, Brandon. If you, if you, yes, are ready he's for waiting. It. All right. If you don't mind, uh, yeah, I don't even know who we're calling here, but I guess I'll find out. Well, you, you, you. Um, I have some suspicion. Remember when? Do you remember when hello? we were at? Hello. Hello. Are you there, buddy? Yeah. Hi, my best brother. Hey, buddy. Uh, this is Matthew. Matthew, I want you to meet. Well, you know what? You are, you already actually know one of the one of the individuals on radio. You're on you're on Poker Fraud Alert Radio right now. Trader Ruski is on radio. You remember you met Trader Ruski at dinner in, in downtown when you were in what's Vegas. What's up, Matthew? What's up? Do you remember Trader Ruski, Matt? Matthew? Yes. Yes. And then the other individual who hosts the show is. WSOP Limit Hold'em 2005? Yes. Jesus, that seems like forever. It is Bracelet forever. winner Todd Dandruff would tell us. So, Matthew, say hi to Todd. Hi, Todd. Hi, Matthew. So this is my buddy. I've kind of become like, would you say I've become like a big brother to you like over the last six, eight months or so? Yes. Yes. So uh, 
you're on radio right now. This is an internet radio show, but we do get, uh, I don't know, what's, what's the count these days in listeners? Uh, we get about 1,500 people after people listen in the podcast format. So, is that, Matthew, how old are you? 18. 18. No, you can say the truth. It's hey, okay. Gonna, I already he said doesn't it. sound 18, I was going to say. <laughs> it's okay, Matt. Just don't say your real name. Matthew's an alias. How, Matthew, you can tell him how old you are. 15. 15. Okay. <laughs> that, that's And and tell him Matt, what did you what did you spend the day what did you spend the day sweating on your phone tonight while I was at the movies? 7 770 dollars in basketball games. Really? <laughs> well, which basketball games? Was it, was it college or NBA? Both. Really? So because I I've been betting on the NBA a lot this season. So which which NBA games did you have today? A bunch of them. Okay. Are these? He had. Uh, he had. He liked Utah. And who did Utah play again? No, I, I did not. Um, I did Fre- that. Fresno State. No. Yeah, um, he had a bunch Nevada, of. No, but a bunch you, of different games. But were you betting on the Utah Jazz today? What happened? Was the Utah Jazz one of them, or, or uh, a Utah college team? Jazz. Oh, the jazz. See, I had that one too. I had the Utah minus four, and it won. Yeah, remember what you yep. texted me? You said you won by a mile. That's what you texted me. Yep, and, they, and they, I won the over. <laughs> now, now, how is he doing this? You're, so you're 15 years old. How how I are mean, you making these? There's bets? internet. There's there's ways. You know. Okay. They they have sites in the Caribbean that cater to you know 15 year olds that <laughs> you know know how to use a computer. Now, Matthew, are, are you so. making are you making your own picks here? Yes. And uh, how how long have you been doing this? A few months. Are are you doing well so far? Mm, not so great, but uh, making a little bit. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. where where is this money coming from? If you're 15 years old, how are you getting the money to uh, to bet this much? You said 770 dollars worth. That's uh, he's got a little bit of a bankroll he's built up just from. You know, just he sold some Xboxes and you know, just things like that. He he uh, was at Circus Circus this summer a lot. And how many Xboxes did you end up getting? Four. Four. So at, he won four Xboxes at Circus Circus. So he ended up selling those on I don't know one of the one of those sites or something that you brand new brand new Xboxes. But uh, this is like literally the greatest kid in the world. He keeps me entertained. He also is in the football. And uh, he goes on major tilt. Uh, tell them, like, how, how tilted do you get when they don't cover the spread in football, Matt? Tell, you can tell them. Very. Yes. Yep. Do you very. Start, you, start, you start cursing and getting very angry, don't you? Yep. Well, you know, I think, I think Matt, he would have he loved having bet on the two games I had yesterday in the NBA where I had this, uh, this, this Portland game uh, was minus 11, and they were ahead by 25, and in the final minute they didn't cover. And then even worse... I had Denver minus six, and they were up by twenty-three. And the final minute, they didn't cover. Those were my only two bets yesterday. Both of them looked like they were they're winning for sure, and both of them lost in the final minute. Yeah. Blowout Damn. game. Just so you don't, just so you don't think he's a one-trick pony. He's also very skilled, and I, I mean, I, I don't even know how long he's been playing. How long have you been playing online poker for? Years. Really? Like, well, how old, how old would you guess you were the first time you played online poker? I don't even know. 
tens. Okay, so I'm talking like real money, like sitting, nothing like insane, but you know, what are like five dollar, ten dollar, twenty five dollar sit and goes and uh, multi table tournaments that he's like competed in and like yeah. The most so, I've won is the most I've won is a thousand. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Would you guys say? Yep. Yes. So. Yep. Yeah. Now, what what uh, sites do you play on? I play on America's Card Room, Black Chip Poker, <laughs> all, all different websites. Do you ever play on Bovada? Yep, I played on there. Let, but let's keep the He had a little bit of a problem. A, a, a guard, his his a parental guardian had left some money on their Bovada account, and he ended up logging in and. Uh, Kind of went nuts, I believe. Was it Pie Gal Poker, Matthew? Uh-oh. Um, Pie Gal and Blackjack. <laughs> yeah, you got to stay so away we, from those those casino games online. That's that's not not good yeah. news. Matt Matthew, now, so after some experience and learning the hard way, have you come to the realization, or do you believe that those internet card games on their the casino games? Do you think they're rigged? Yes. I mean, have you seen some, like, really crazy stuff happen that you don't believe should happen, like playing blackjack and pie gal? Yes. Yeah, they easily yeah. could be. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, as, as impressed as I am about him playing uh, poker as a 10-year-old online, I have to tell you, Matthew, that uh, there's actually a kid, not a kid anymore, but a, a one-time kid who outdid you, uh, when... In 2006, when I was on the party poker cruise, I actually played poker with a 12-year-old who was playing 400-800 limit hold'em. And uh, wow! And not only that, but uh, years later, in 2017, 11 years later, I was at a World Series of Poker event, and there was a young Asian guy at the table. And then I saw a guy approach him, an older Asian man who I knew from poker a long time ago. And I realized that was his dad. And that was the same dad of the 12-year-old. And I said, wait a minute, did you go on the party poker cruise back in 2006 and play as a 12-year-old? And he said, yes. And that was him. He was He's still playing poker, except now he's he's in his 20s. But, uh, but yeah, he played again. He played, I think, he even cashed in this event, the $1,500 uh, limit hold'em event mm-hmm. this year. So he, so this 12-year-old, uh, he wasn't just a one-trick po- pony. His name is uh, Brandon G. I think he's 23 now, 24. But... Uh, but yeah, so I know you didn't quite play four hundred, eight hundred, but I'm still impressed that you're playing you know, poker as a ten year old and that you're you're still in the and game. Matthew learned a yep. very valuable Matthew learned a very valuable lesson this past weekend. Uh, Matthew had the Saints plus five, and I also had the Saints plus five. We both liked the same game, and we were texting during the game. And uh, Matthew wasn't even in the United States; he was in a foreign country, sweating the game. <laughs> I think. You're sweating on your phone, right? Because you didn't even have yep. access to it where you were. Yelling, so, yelling at my phone. Yep, you're yelling about those sons of bitches, right? Yep, I was yelling at those sons of bitches at my phone. <laughs> so he sends me a text with 14 seconds left in the game, and New Orleans, which is getting five points, are actually up by one. And he sends me a text message and say, we're going to win, Brother Brandon. We're going to win, Brother Brandon. And I said, there's still 14 seconds left. And he kept saying, we're going to win, we're going to win. And then 14 seconds, that last play, results in a 61-yard touchdown. And fortunately, or for Minnesota, and fortunately, as everyone knows, that followed that or bet they didn't kick the extra point. They just kneeled, and it was a push. 
But he learned the very valuable lesson that as long as there's time still on that clock in most scenarios, it ain't over to the fat lady sings. Am I right, Matthew? Yes. Yes, my best brother. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, and, and anyhow. Well, I, want to, I want to ask another question. Uh, what do your sure. parents know about this whole thing? They they let me do it. <laughs> and and why are they okay with it? Why why do they think this is fine? Because a lot of parents would would object to it. Why why are your parents okay with with this gambling at at, at a young age? Because because I've been winning some good money every day, and they they let me gamble. And are, are yeah. they are are they bothered by your uh, emotional reactions to how the games are going? Nope. Okay, that, I think that would be concerning me the most. I I have a son who's he's younger than you, but you know, soon enough will be getting closer to your age. He's seven years old now, and and I have to say, if if I saw him betting on things and getting really emotional at the age of fifteen, I think you know what I I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Because I, I would think about how if, if he goes on a losing streak, it's going to really crush him emotionally, and I, I just wouldn't feel good about that. So I, I hope, though, at least uh, Matthew, I hope. I hope that you can. I have a call coming in here, but I, I hope that you at least realize that uh, you know this will happen. You will go through losing streaks. You'll be very frustrating games and things like that, and you just have to. Well, what I've tried to tell him though the most is he he told me you know, this was even somewhat recently that he was buying Florida scratch off lottery tickets two, <laughs> three, five hundred dollars at a time, and I told him he had to stay away from that because those are the worst odds in, in the entire gaming industry. And would you guys? back me up on this because i don't want the kid taking his total winnings on the you know wednesday night jazz money and buying florida lottery tickets or any other state lottery tickets well yeah that's the scratch off tickets that that's the other problem and i i think if he can take away anything here from this whole conversation i think he needs mm-hmm. to understand that that the gamblers who go broke are often not the ones who are bad at what they do they're ones who are just not responsible with their money. So whatever you determine that you can do and win at, you got to stick to that. You shouldn't branch off to other things that are either negative expectation or ones that uh, that you just don't know if you have a talent in that. You should try to st- stick to what you're good at, and that's when you'll do the best. Yeah. Ma- Matthew, how much would you say you've spent in your lifetime on even going in, you know, halves with somebody on scratch-off tickets? If you had to guess. Um, about twelve thousand. What? <laughs> it's it's true. Wait a minute. How, how do you, that, ha- you how do you have time? More. How do you have time to scratch off twelve thousand tickets? It, twelve thousand dollars in twenty and twenty five dollar scratch off. I didn't know they had twenty five dollar scratch offs. That exists. I, I thought they were oh, like a dollar. Yeah, they even have. What's the highest denomination they have that you've ever seen, Matthew? Twenty five. Twenty-five. I thought they were. The I thought they were all a dollar. What's the most you've ever scratched off? A thousand. <laughs> you realize these tickets have like very, very bad odds. Like, like about they return like fifty cents on every dollar spent on average. Yeah. So, so it's uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I've taken the kid under my wing. I really have a soft spot. This is like the greatest fifteen-year-old I've ever met. So, I've, have I taken you under my wing? Have I given you good advice? Have I been like a good older brother to you? Yes. For sure. So, so wait a minute. How do you know him, Brandon? Um, I don't want to give out personal information, but do you remember uh, remember a friend of mine that you? Let me see. How can I say this? Uh, do you remember when I saw you 
after New Year's, I told you about a friend of mine that we both knew that was a little upset. Yes. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Without giving, yes. Don't, yes. Okay. I, I know that, who it is. This is yes. his son. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. And I, I'm not using his name just because they're crazy people out there in the world and such. But this is his son, and I met him. You know, through him, and I've become very close with him. He's a great kid. Okay, so, you, you know, know uh, so I, I guess it goes without saying. You know, you know, his father kind of gambles, yeah. so that's it's kind of in the family blood. Okay, well, I, I'll tell you, I, I didn't know that, Matthew. I, I've I've met your father a, a number of times. In fact, he did me a, a favor during the uh, World Series of Poker, which I appreciated, and uh, I actually did him a favor too. And so, yeah, your father's a nice guy. I enjoyed meeting him, and I, I didn't know you two were related. So I, I won't. Yes, thank you for the nice compliment. Okay. Yeah, and Matthew, just to protect your privacy, because you're on radio and people listen, you know, uh, I, I think this was before you came on, but Todd had talked about somebody right now that was in the hospital or just had surgery, and they were listening right now live in Australia. I kid you not. Yeah. They're li- listening in Australia. So you never know who's listening. So, you know, since you're a minor, we have to make sure that no creepy people, you know, you know the world is kind of crazy. So the yeah. other thing that M- Matthew does, and I think this is kind of a little gory, but Matthew texts me, uh, but I know his heart's in the right place. He texts me every day telling me wherever the latest shooting has been in Las Vegas. <laughs> He's addicted <laughs> to telling me about the violent crime in Las Vegas. And I've tried explaining to him that it's no worse here than any other big city. Like, it's just that's what happens in a big city. But I don't think he believes me. Like, he'll send there's a shooting at, you know, he told me about the shooting at the Arizona Charlie's. He told me that Harrison, uh, what was the other casino that got robbed the same day as Harris? Oh, New York, New York. And what? Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And so he knew about all that, and you know, he'll text me another shooting, another shooting, brother Brandon, another shooting. And I tried telling him whether it's Miami or L.A. or Chicago, New York, or maybe not even New York, but you know, any of these big cities, it, it it's always going to be an issue. But Vegas isn't any less dangerous or more dangerous than any of those cities. I mean, would you guys agree? Yeah. Um, it depends, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's, you know, there's of course better areas and worse areas, and, and yes, if there's a large enough population, uh, then there will be murders, and that's just the way it goes. So, yeah. so, but I think this kid has enough experience, and I've seen him play uh, No Limit Hold'em. You know, like I don't know how much how much were you playing No Limit Hold'em, Matthew, when during the summer when you're playing on uh, WSOP dot com? Well, like what stakes were you playing? Do you remember? One, two, two, four. Yeah, I mean it's pretty strong. <laughs> it's it's pretty strong for the a young kid. I've, I mean, the most I've played is two four two hundred four hundred seven card stud high low. Jesus, <laughs> I didn't even know that. Now, now we're, we're, I, I didn't know that. Now, Matthew, I've, I've got an unrelated question. Since since you seem to be uh, pretty advanced for your age in, in the gambling, very sense, advanced. Uh, have you started dating yet, or are you just a gambler? Brother Brandon, you could tell him. Um, well, you know what? Just for legal re- legal reasons, we won't get into that too much. But he he's definitely into women. I mean, you could tell him, Zach. I mean, the, 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 you know, be honest. You you know you you you're at that age where you're very attracted to women, aren't you? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I mean, uh, well, yeah, he doesn't you- have a girlfriend right now, but he's definitely not. Uh, you know asexual or not at that age yet like he he likes the women he uh 
he watches a lot of what are your favorite porn sites and listen i'm not quizzing the kid like this kid now, now i feel strange discussing this i didn't want to bring up sexual stuff with a 15 year old i just don't well i but it's a boy isn't it okay well whatever but he he's told me about porn sites and i'm like i've never even heard of this stuff so like you know yeah it's it's help but it's healthy i mean when you're I, I still feel if, if weird I, access I, 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 if I we all had access this. to the internet when we were 15 as, as men or boys at the time would we not all be watching porn when we were 15 because yeah but, but yeah I, I still i feel weird about it i, I understand like I, right. I remember when i was i remember what i was like when i was 15 and you know when i was 15 i was very very interested in girls too and i was you know i, I was yeah. awaiting the day when that whenever that would come which i didn't know when it would be and uh, that was also kind of stressful but I was waiting for the day that it would come that I'd finally actually get to have sex, and it happened yeah. when I was seventeen. But uh, you know, but I, I can relate to, to being fifteen and all that. That's why you know some fifteen-year-olds they kind of start early. They're already you know taking action with that and managing to find girls who are who are interested. And, and other times you have to wait a little bit longer, like yeah. like I did. So Matthew, what's what's your favorite restaurant in Las Vegas? Mastriani's and Sushi Samba. Very very good choices, and. Uh, but you're, you've stayed in how many casinos would you guess or hotels would you guess you've stayed in? Mostly all of them. Yeah. What's your favorite one to stay? Palazzo. Okay. Yeah, you like the one. Palazzo. Very. And Matthew, if you're playing a hand of Baccarat, <laughs> what is the best hand that you want to have? Mm. Do, you, I, do you know the answer or no? I don't know if you know Baccarat no. at all. Okay, I, I didn't. I, I'm, I'm a little familiar with it, but not completely. Okay, very, very. So anyhow, this is a great kid. I'm trying to, and I'm serious. I'm not just saying this like I'm trying to, you know, mentor him. And I'm not talking about gambling. I'm not trying to make him like the next two longer, but just about life and, you know, just, you know, be there for him in other aspects of just everything. And, you know, I've been trying hard to, to you know, show him the right way and just, with relationships, you know what I mean, just everything, like sports, teaching him, like, you know, how, you know, he didn't know much about football until, you know, six months ago, but just teaching him about the teams and just teaching him, I don't know, kind of just being like a big brother to him. Well, so that's good. this is a good, this is a good kid. And I wouldn't be surprised if in three years or two and a half years, he's going to be 16 soon. So in two years, he turns 18 and, you know, kind of crazy to think he could be gambling in, you know, the Caribbean or in Europe or basically almost every country except for the United States in, in, you know, a little over two years. Yep. You know, maybe he'll go with me to the PCA. Do you want to go with me to the PCA in the Bahamas? That's a poker tournament. In two years when you turn 18? Yes. What happens sure. if they put us in a detention center and they force us to eat mashed potatoes and uh, anchovies? Because they do that sometimes. We'll would you... Would you what, what? We'll have to eat it and and live with it. We can't starve to death. You'll have to also you'll have to also drink from a warm garden hose. That'll be your your drink will be a warm garden hose and then uh, mashed potatoes with with anchovy juice. It's not very good. He's he, he's the best kid. You're 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 awesome, Matthew. So anyhow, um, yeah. Thank you for letting me have him on. And oh, Matthew. Okay, so real fast. Uh, this weekend, tell everybody what the games are for those that don't know in, in football. What are the two games that will determine who makes it to the Super Bowl? Patriots and Vikings. Those, those are the two picks he likes. Who are the Patriots playing? Patriots are playing Jaguars. Okay, and who is who's who are the Vikings playing? Eagles. Okay, and you like, as you said, the Patriots, and you like the Vikings. Yes. So you think that's going to be the Super Bowl? Yep. 
And who do you think is going to win if, if it's a Patriot Viking Super Bowl? Who wins in the Patriots. Super Bowl? Okay. Patriots. So, and again, you're not just, are you, are you talking about just who's going to win this week or are you talking about the point spread? The point spread. Okay, so you huh. think New England is going to cover the eight or eight and a half, and you think that Minnesota is going to cover the three points. Is that I, your I, advice to all the listeners? I could see it. Yes. Okay. And who's who's your – out of all the games you've watched this year, can you remember one that was the most tilting, that just really got you angry out of all the football games? The, Steel, the Steelers and the Jaguars. Oh, that game? That game really tilted you when they beat them? Yes. <laughs> what, what what kind of stuff were you screaming? With, 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 with stupid O'Shancy and, and Leon, whatever, that Fournette idiot. <laughs> yeah, Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette. He hates Leonard Fournette, the running back for the Jackals. And I and I hate O'Shancy. And what about what about the quarterback for Pittsburgh? Ben Rolfsberger. I hate him also. <laughs> I hope they fire his ass. Is it? <laughs> this kid's great. Not to mention, it's like. What is it? It's four o'clock in the morning where he's at right now. Pretty. Yeah, that's pretty right. And he's still awake. Yeah, four, four o'clock on, on a weeknight. Don't you have to? Yeah. Now, now, do you have school in a few hours? Nope. I'm homeschooled, and I and I'm more into gambling than school. I see. Well, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank yeah. you for thank you for coming on here, Matthew. And uh, nice meeting you. Can we and, have him on again, maybe yeah, one day. Yeah, you can come on again sometime. I mean, this could kind of be the Monaco minute, but we could add pornography and more gambling. Well, we'll, we'll drop the pornography part, but the uh, well, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, more yeah. gambling. Yeah, okay. So, so thank you, thank you, Matthew. I don't mean like you know. I just yeah, that came out wrong. But you know what I mean. I don't I mean it in a you know. The show's going to get a bad rep here. It's going to be a scandal. Yeah. Okay. Well, Matthew, just tell them all that I've been very good to you and and I've treated you like you're my own yeah. son. Be honest. I don't want people getting yeah, the wrong for idea. Sure. That I'm corrupting you, or I'm, you know, I've, I've been a good influence. No, on you. you're not. You're, you're the best brother on the earth. Oh, very good. Isn't that sweet. Uh, yes, it is sweet. That makes me want to have a kid. Like that's just the nicest thing to hear. And you know what? If I adopt this kid, he's already potty trained. He knows how to take care of himself. He he's good with math. He's good with other people's credit cards. A deposit on Bovada. I mean, it's it's almost like I'd have a built-in like. You know, kid, without having to do all the hard work. Not only that, if if something goes wrong and yeah. and and you regret it, you only have two years to support him, and then you can yeah. you can drop him at that yeah. point. Well, Matthew wants to once he builds up a bankroll, he kind of wants to get out on his own. What is what is the thing you wanted to do once you get enough money saved up? Remember um, that, that you were telling me about? Do you remember it or no? No. Okay, we're like remember we're like you go and you kind of can be your own adult. And you don't you can live on your own even if you're a minor. Emancipation. Uh -oh. yeah. <laughs> He's ready to get the ball rolling. Does his dad know that discussion's happening? Uh, I don't know. Yes. Oh, I, I, I better watch. I better not let uh, Benjamin talk to Brandon too much. He'll want to get emancipated too. <laughs> uh, Benjamin's only what? He's only seven. Five. He's seven. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Yeah, that's kind of hard. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, Matthew. Thank you for coming on and. Uh, we'll we'll have you on again. And are you are you going to go to sleep soon? Or are you going to keep studying? He studies these lines every every day. College basketball, the NBA. He just sits there and he reads the stats and tries to figure out who he likes, and then he fires. So, are, are you going to be awake? Or are you going to be studying your sports? Or what are you going to be doing? 
I'll be studying my sports and and staying awake. Okay, and has there been any violent crime in Las Vegas today that you know of? Not that I know of. I'll be searching. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on, and, and I'll talk with you really soon. Okay, buddy? All right, brother. Okay, right. make sure you thank Todd because he runs this site at a small loss. You want to thank him for running this site at a small loss? Thank you, Todd and Trader Ruski. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Oh, okay, pal. Look forward to seeing you. All right. All right, buddy. All I'll talk righty. to you soon, okay? Talk- thank you for coming on. All right. Talk to you later, Matthew. All righty. No. Okay, so we have we have somebody else. Yeah. We have two people that that called in during this call that want to come on here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add the first one. I may actually add them together, but but let me. Uh, what I'm gonna do here is add the first one. It's a person who's been on before, but we thought we may not hear from again. And uh, this yeah, the kid did pretty good. You think like the first time anyone's ever on radio, especially if you're 15, you'd be nervous. Yeah, he was like, relaxed. The kid was pretty good. Hello, brother Todd. Yes, yeah, so, so Team MLG is back oh after, after, swear, up, after swearing he was leaving Poker Fraudler forever. So, so Team MLG, why why are you returning now? What what brought you back? Well, one of the reasons why I'm coming on air tonight is because Brandon's on the show. Aww. Okay, now Team MLG, would you like to be here when we call Ken Scaler? Are, are you going to watch Ken Scaler on Judge Judy tomorrow? Yes. Okay. I've recorded every night. Okay. Believe it or not, I have, I have not set up the recording yet. I got to remember to do that you know, when the show's over. But uh, and and I'm I've got to figure out how to get this onto YouTube, and it's not a trivial thing because uh, the problem is it's it's not easy to get shows from a DVR over you know onto a computer. And I had a way to do it with an older laptop I have that doesn't work anymore. But the connection I had, the wire that I could connect from the from the computer to the DVR, that has no connection to the current computer. So I don't know. I've, I've got to figure out what to do. But uh, maybe there's a stream online I can get. I don't know what I can do. But uh, I'm going to try to get that online. But yeah. So I'm going to call up Master Scaler himself. He also wanted to call, and I know TMLK enjoys talking to him. So TMLK, how long have you been on the line for? Did you hear the? Prior segment. I was yeah. I just I just um, logged on the Poker Fraud Alert site mm-hmm, and I site. saw mm-hmm. that um, that Todd was on air and he's. I, I want Todd to take me under his wing like my brother. He's my new uh-huh. brother, brother Todd. Now, so. Ballin. TMLK. Matthew just gave his football predictions for the conference championship and then of course the Super Bowl. And I know, and I'm not being sarcastic. You've actually proven your weight. And your worth in gold with some of your picks early in the season before you felt alienated and fled the site. <laughs> but how do you see it now? Uh, who is going to be in the Super Bowl? And tell us who covers the eight and then who covers the three in this weekend's well, games. I mean, th- there's been a report on NFL.com that uh, Brady has a hand injury, and um, I'm a little upset about that. And um, I don't know how that's going to pan out, so we'll have to wait for. Uh, to see. Mm-hmm. It's funny, un- unrelated to this, Ken Scaler, I heard, has a hand injury. <laughs> <laughs> now, TMLK, in the earlier game, the great Vikings of Minnesota versus the Eagles of Philadelphia, how do you see that one? Well, that's the later game, sir. Or the later game, okay. Yes, sir. Okay, how do you how do you see the end result? Um, 
I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. The over-under looks pretty interesting at 38, I believe it is. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't bet totals for the most part in football. I mean, I guess that sounds right. It sounds yeah, you know, it, it, it seems a pretty, pounding it, running game. I think it's very it's hard to bet any low. of this. In, in this. These super high-profile NFL games to, to come out with a way to beat the line, I think you're just coin well, flipping. Well, look at, look, at, look at Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. Okay, you know, you think you look at Jacksonville. They run it. You know they're going to run it. The quarterback can't pass it. And then you look at, you know, Pittsburgh, although they have the offensive weapons, you know, they're going to run it too with, with, with Bell. And the total goes over eighty something points. It's like eighty seven points. That's crazy. No, I know I know crazy. this is unexpected, but but I'm saying that as far as like the analysis that has been done by the books on these games is, mm-hmm. is probably superior to the analysis that anybody can do. So even if you happen to luck out to getting on the right side, I just don't think there's much of an edge here as far as uh you know getting making a bet that's positive expectation after the Jews. I just think in these Super well, high-profile NFL games. True. It's too hard. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to put on Master Scaler here, and we're going to hear from him. I, I already told his story out here, so we're not going to retell that. But, well, I have a couple questions to ask him because I um, I listened on YouTube in regards to Judge Judy actually not being a real judge, and she's actually um, I forget the name of it, but um, well, it's a TV show, so she doesn't have to be a real judge. I don't know what her history is. She, prior to- but uh, apparently, she pays. Yeah. Pays off the uh, amount. Like no, if you get sued for five thousand, yes. Judge Judy. Yeah, yeah explain pays that. For that's what I hear. But that, that's the way. That's the way it. Uh, it always works in these court shows. Master Scaler, hello. I, I already since you took so long to call, I already told your whole story on the air. And you uh, tell the whole story. No, I I told. Well, I told the the only part I really skipped. How long was your version? I don't know. It went on for a while. I just the only thing I really skipped was all the different. Things that went on in the eviction case itself, I, I skipped past all that and just said, "Do you want it?" Wait, is he getting evicted again? No, no, no. This is this is uh, he, he's on Judge Judy tomorrow, and his he was suing his roommate for unpaid rent that his roommate refused to pay while Aww. the two were being evicted. So I, I, I have. What time re- is that on in Vegas? Well, you, you'll Ken, have so to DVR. He won't know this. You got to you got to go to judgejudy.com, Brandon. I'm not in Vegas. I'm, I'm, yeah. I just know you have to DVR. Yeah, you got to look at judgejudy.com, and 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 yeah. on the top right, you can find it in Vegas. And can I be honest though about something? I've always found her to be a smug cunt. She is. No, I agree. But 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 <laughs> you'll you'll see tomorrow. I can't say that word. You, you'll, you'll I can't s- say what happened. No, 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 no. We're not going to say what happened. I haven't. Are you under you- liberty of that uh, master, or is it? Um- I'm not. I don't. I I'm, I'm not allowed to say until it airs. He's not allowed to say, and I won't say. So you guys are going to have to watch it. And- well, hold on a second. Have- if it, wait, if you if you're not allowed to say, then ta- then master scalers told you the outcome. So therefore, we have. We are not These allowed are to be on any media or broadcasting yeah. or social media because. Yeah, he can't, told he, me not to. he can't. It's, yeah, he you know, can't. It's, it's it's a shame. Anything you get on social media, so it, it, I can't. That's why. Well, what it's would happen? Would they charge you? Or it doesn't matter. What, what, well, I don't I mean, want people to know anyway. Want, they just don't want on social media until it airs. No, L- you listen. won't be on Judge Joe Brown if it happens. It's a shame that they don't have an interactive chat. <laughs> For PFA to take over during the judge yeah, show, like they did in Todd's 100, 200 game in Northern California. Yeah, I love when PFA really? takes over these things. Yeah, we we take over. Oh, they took it over. I don't they know what that is. Again. Ken, you actually, what is? Oh, oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ken, I remember about his trip up there? Yeah, yeah. When I was there, there was a chat room during the poker game, mm-hmm. and, and Poker Fraudler completely took it over. Well, they How thought many people that were normally was... in that room. 
I don't know, but but whatever it was, Poker Fraudler took over the the chat room for that broadcast, and then uh, the the hosts of it came to me afterwards and said, "Wow, you you really have some uh, some dedicated fans over there." So, Rabbit as a fan. master, master, are you able to um, discuss um, whether or not the, the fees are paid by Judge Judy herself? Yeah, I or? already explained it. She, Wait, she, well, she paid by what? He, forget the question. It's a dumb question. I've already explained the no, whole it's thing. Not a dumb question. There's no such fee. thing as a dumb question. Didn't they teach us that? I already, I already, I already explained it. There is such thing as dumb questions. Yes, there is. I, I already explained this earlier in the show. I didn't listen to it. Well, it's your fault. F- f- <laughs> I thought the co-host wasn't there. No, this is this is a. I wouldn't even call hey, him a co-host. He's, hey, he's a Ken, guest. I know host. you're into politics a lot. What's that girl <laughs> yeah. that works for Trump? It's like his, like his secretary or communications director. Is it Hope Hicks? Is that how you say it? Hope Hicks. Is that her name? Like twenty-seven-year-old girl. She's making like a ton of money. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, it's like Trump's right-hand woman. I mean, I know who it is. I would is think that the Ken would know one? Is. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a little bit heavy. Yeah. I think she's, you don't think she's hot? Judge that's Judy. the one that answers all the, uh, the the media questions? I don't know if that's the, the PR. She's a communications You director. know what? She actually isn't heavy. I, it's funny. I saw one picture oh, of her. Wait, Never mind. I, she she isn't happened? heavy. I, asked, like, who was the girl that worked for Trump, and then everybody disappeared? I, I don't know what happened. We're here. He's talking she about he, Hope okay. Hicks. Yeah, he's talking about Hope Hicks. She, I'm sure he knows. I said Hope Hicks. Yeah. Okay. Is the master still on Obamacare phone, or what's going on with that? Yes. That's yeah, this is an Obama. There's no Obamacare. It's, it's Obama phone and Obamacare. They're, you can't, they're apples and oranges. Well, this guy. So what, yeah, what about the Trump phone? What happened to that? Okay, this guy is from Canada. Uh, Trump phone, a Trump phone would be an Obama phone that's disconnected. Okay, so Ken, this, this, guy, this guy asking you questions is from Canada. He doesn't know this stuff. So. Oh, uh, by the way, I, 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 I listen to the news. By the way, in Vegas, if you happen to be in Vegas, Judge Judy is airing tomorrow uh, on ABC, which is, uh, I don't know what channel it is. It's on channel 13 or 1013 um, at 4.30 p.m. on ABC. And it just gives oh, a they generic only air description. Once. Because, it, because in L.A., they air two new episodes a day at 4 and at 4.30 on channel 2. But I believe my wow. episode is going to be at 4 p.m., the first one. How long is he on case. for? I thought well, the master was second case. Uh, no, I think it's the first the one. TV guide online descriptions on the first case, but but you know, I I don't know. But, but how long did it actually take you to like for the ten minutes? Like t- they're showing ten it, minutes. It, it, did it, it take it, like it an aired, hour? It's, aired, it's, fil- it's 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 filmed straight through. There's no breaks. It's filmed but, straight but how through. How long were you there for? Yeah, like well, I was there for an hour day. and a half because I had to get I had to get prepped. And, no, I was out of there by like eleven thirty. Did they serve you a hot lunch or breakfast? Even I could have <laughs> had breakfast, but I didn't want to like mess up what I was trying to say, so I didn't want to have like extra food and and just. Here's here's, here's a better TV question. Or, Hang on. Here, here's a better yeah. question. Did you jerk off in any bathrooms there on the set? <laughs> no. Jesus. Were you intimidated by the the, the judge uh, master? No. Well, I don't like her that much, but I never, I never was fond of her personality. She kind of reminds me of somebody that gave birth to me. <laughs> was she, was she being uh, snarky but, but, towards but, but, you? But, more, but, more, but much more educated. Was she being hostile towards you? And, you'll have to uh, watch. You'll have to watch. I, I don't want to give away what happened. You'll have to watch. 
All I'm going to say is she's a terse woman. Okay. Uh, by the way, well, let me ask you. that, sir? Who has, who has a gentler person? Define who has a better, that. I'm sorry. Who, who has a worse temper? Judge Judy Schlein, or however you pronounce it, or... I think it's Schlein, or that's her second Shineland. husband's last name. Judge Judy or Colleen, who has the worst <laughs> temper? I don't, I, don't, I don't know who that is. Okay. Oh, wow. Ken, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Ken, oh, Colleen's the one that had the, the, the oven incident, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah, Jews in the oven. I, yes. I, don't, I don't know who that is. Yeah, that was, that was her. That was her. Hey, uh, so... Yeah, I still got the photos on there, I think. So, so uh, by the way, Brandon, this uh, this Hope Hicks, I, I'm looking at more pictures of her. She, she looks way older than... She's, she's what? She looks way older than her age. She's 29, but she looks like she's, she's like late 30s. Looks, I think she's very attractive. Really? No, I'm I not. I, sounds like a girl. It sounds like some girls I met through personal ads back in the day that looked way older than their actual age. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not into what I'm seeing here. I, I think she. You don't think she's old. pretty? Really? Eh, she's okay. I think she looks old for her age. And uh, no, there, there, there's better looking girls out there. Yeah. So, master, are, are you into older girls now that you turned down no. one of my Asian girls on uh, Blind Date episode? Wait, wait, you didn't know her. I didn't know her, but like being of an Asian, I'll see your Asian girl if you never met her. Well, Team no, uh, okay is saying that he's an Asian um, ethnicity. I so. didn't turn her down because of her ethnicity. I well, I wasn't attracted to her anyway, but I, tur- I, older, I would not date I mean. someone so her asking, age. No, but now that you are older, are you interested in me? Would you be interested in her now? But now she's like over sixty. No, no, because she'd be 15 years age. older than me. That's crazy. No, not 16. I'm always going to be X, and she's always going to be X plus 15. <laughs> I don't date X plus 15. What, what's your limit? My limit? Um, is this yeah. like poker talks? I don't know how to play poker. Well, listen, no, like, no, I mean, like, what difference in age no, no, do you I, I can understand this. I can understand this. It's especially... As far as dating older women, once you're a guy like in your 40s... I don't 40, date older women. When, that's, once you're that's a guy... A in, topic to me. No, listen, if you're a guy in your 40s, then it's much worse to date older women because they're almost always like pretty old by that point. Like, like I, I was never yeah, into old, that's, that's I was never nasty. into older women myself, but like at least it's somewhat understandable if a guy who's like twenty five wants to date someone who's thirty seven who still looks good for her age. Uh, I wasn't into that when I was twenty five, but I can understand it. But like that same guy when he's forty five, that same woman would now be fifty seven, and it's it's very unlikely yeah. to find a fifty seven year old who, who's who's attractive. Now, if you're fifty seven yourself, it's a different story. Then then it's your own age. Then that's, that's the only fifty seven uh, I like is Heinz. <laughs> so, but there's no way. Like like if I were single and if I were dating, there's no way I could date a fifty seven year old. When I'm fifty seven myself, oh, that'd be a different no story. But, oh, but no now, way. Now it would Absolutely just seem. Not. Now it would well, just seem gross to me. Hold on, is how old is the master? The master is almost forty eight. So the master wouldn't date somebody who's fifty? Like master, come on. No. Okay. no. Ew. No. <laughs> but you're forty eight years old. I don't think he dates someone who's forty. I don't I want biological children. Hey, Ken, you're not you... gonna have biological children when you're forty eight. Excuse me, that that's not true. You don't know that. Well the statistic well, unless you're with somebody that's like twenty three or twenty five, well, I mean you're not gonna find okay, somebody that's who's fine. No, no, he could he could have biological children with someone in their thirties. Yeah, but not somebody. I'm not. Else. I'm not, not going to be with someone who can't bear biological children. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm anybody can bear biological children. Wait, well, possible. I also have to like her. I have to have stuff in common with her. I, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't want to just get the first girl pregnant I meet. You know, I want the right girl to be pregnant at the right time, at the right well, place. I'm sure Brother Brandon has some recommendations for you if he's still on on the show. 
I'm here. <laughs> he, he, I'm sure. Uh, what about that old Jenny? Is Jenny still available, Brandon? Or no, Jenny. Old uh, Jenny. I don't want anyone who has the nickname old. No, no she, old. Like like old. She's O-L-D. actually, she's, she's like actually the not oldest twenty-eight-year-old you've ever met. Jenny Anderson is actually living the simple life now in uh, oh, Panama City, her. Florida. Hmm. Would you get she in Florida? Such a ridiculous state. No, that's that's where Brandon's from. You're, you're bashing Florida here. That, oh, that's well, uh, Brandon well, is from I'm Florida. Glad, I'm, glad he got, I'm glad he got out of there. Master, would you date a porn star? No. No. Okay, so Jenny's out of the picture. <laughs> What what about that? Uh, what about that gambling addict that was on a, a few a month ago? Which gambling addict? We've had we've yeah, had a Brandon lot of had on the show. That was into sports betting and the the slot machines and oh, leaping Larry, I think he's talking about. Okay, <laughs> leaping no, that Larry. Girl, but that's but that's no, a guy the girl you wanted to meet later on in the evening, and that she's oh, got Louis Larry, and I know with Dan Hansen from the old AWA wrestling. Yes, Lisa has a terrible gambling problem. Yeah, would you? De- uh, yeah. Lisa would be a good fit for the master. How old's Lisa? Um, I want someone who's a little more stable. I mean, <laughs> master, I yeah. know respect, sir. You you do call from payphones. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not at a pay. I'm not at a payphone. I'm, I'm, I'm on my phone. I know, I, I know, but I mean, I'm not trying to be insulting to you, but you have called Todd from a payphone. So let's like. Well, come yeah, on. that was before I got a. That was before I got a Sally. Okay. Yeah, but you have a Sally now, but that's an Obama Sally. It's not like you're like. It's a Sally. It's a Sally. Like it's it's not, not an iPhone, you, you know, it's not like a, an iPhone X. Well, you know, mo- mo- well, th- uh, Androids outsell iPhones three to one, so not everyone has an iPhone. No, but you don't have an Android. You mean like a smartphone? I have a I have a dumb phone. In yeah. fact, talk and tell you about this text I get over and over every time I turn my phone on and off from the guy well, that you, you, I'm going to be in you, court with. You, you need to call support about that. I keep telling you. I'm up but to like master, 20, like, almost 2,400 mean, messages about that. Yeah, Ken, Ken has a ridiculous situation going on with his phone that for some reason he's not trying to fix. That uh, every time he turns on his phone, there's one text message that just comes over and over and over and over again as if it's being sent repeatedly, but it's not. It's one text from months ago. That just keeps coming back and back and back, and he can't stop it. Well, maybe the master was um, on some different uh, sites to uh, induce his hand uh, motion. No, I don't think this, I don't think this is his fault. The, the problem is these Obama phones oh, are no, crap. Oh no, 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 no! These Obama phones are crap. I don't problem. risk. I don't put. I don't put any liquids near this phone because it will. It's, this is not a waterproof <laughs> phone. It's not an iPhone 17. So. Yeah, but it no, would, but I mean, you might have surfed some sites that, um, uh, you know, have, like... He can't surf anything. It's, provocative, it, it, it's, um, not, it's not a smartphone. He can't surf anything. Well, you can still go on the internet. By, no. the, way, by the way, I'm going to have to try to listen to an earlier as, a, episode of this show. I mean, the same show, because I want to hear how, how Todd described the okay, whole well, story. Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where you can... I'll have to listen to... Um, okay, I'll tell you. Oh, where, I'll tell you where to fast either. forward to in that part. Okay, so uh, we got. I have a lot still to do here tonight. So, uh, Master Scaler, uh, how late does this show go on till? It's probably very late tonight. So, uh, Master Scaler, <laughs> I hope did it start. It started around eight forty-five or so. Can I meet the master? So this, is a mar- this is a marathon show. So you, master, can, I want to meet you. Well, then, then, you're in Toronto. Why don't you come over 
this direction. It doesn't, Todd, Brother Todd, it doesn't matter where I am. I can meet the master. Like, I'm like, well, I'm he's like, not coming to Skype at my house. He's not coming to Toronto. You'll have to come out here. No, I'll meet. I'll meet the master in L.A. No problem. Okay, come, when, to, come to L.A. Yeah, I'll arrange have, it. I don't live in Louisiana, Todd. Come to L.A. and I'll arrange it. I don't live in Louisiana. Well, oh yeah, you said that last time. I was in Las Vegas, and you stubbed me. So. Todd, I don't live. Todd, I don't live in Louisiana. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, L.A. You're saying L.A. I'm not even going to answer LA, this one. Isn't L.A. Stanford, Louisiana? I'm not answering this one. Okay, Castor, I know where okay. you live. Come on, stop okay. it. Okay, we're, we're going to move on here. I live in an apart. I live in a very precious apartment. E- everybody, everybody watch. Just everybody watch Judge Judy tomorrow, and uh, we will talk about it next week. Thank you. I can't, I can't ratings, wait to hear your analysis. I mean, like when I come on air, the ratings go oh, on. Todd, and now Todd, Judge can, you put, can you put the judge? Can can you guys put Judge Judy on YouTube? I'm going to try to do it. Will in you be some able way. to do that? I'm going to try to do it in some way. Okay, th- thank you, Master Scaler. That's okay. copyright infringement. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm dropping TML Gay. Also, I'm just we're going to move on here. You're snapping them off. I, I snapped both off at the same time. I was uh, no prejudice here. I just knocked them both off together. Okay, so let's see what else we have here. Brandon, you're welcome to stay if you like. Uh, this, this is like a, a Vegas segment I'm doing the next two, so you may be interested. Nevada casinos every year have bad debt that they have to try to collect. Uh, people take out markers for, uh, you know, they basically are playing on credit. And sometimes they lose, and they either can't pay or won't pay. And this year, or not actually this year, but the most recent year being reported, which is what's called fiscal year 2017 that runs from July 1st, 2016 through June 30th, 2017. By the way, on July 1st, I'd like to tell people happy fiscal new year, and they never get it. Or I talk about fiscal New Year's Eve on June 30th. They don't get that either. But uh, I always thought fiscal years were stupid. And there's there's also no one definition of a fiscal year. Sometimes it starts on July 1st. Sometimes it starts on October 1st. You never even you never even know when the fiscal year is starting or ending. The most common fiscal date begins on July 1st, but sometimes it's a different date. But anyway. Apparently, they track this by the mid-fiscal year. The one begins July 1st. So July 1st, 2016 through June 30, 2017, there was uh, – they tallied all the bad debts owed to Nevada casinos and have reported it. And apparently, they've been doing this for a long time. So, Brandon, would you care to guess what the total is? Of bad debts in to the casinos in Nevada in two thousand in that fiscal year. Say it's in excess of a hundred million. Well, okay. So if I give you an exact number, I'd say actually no, that may be a little high. Um, let's say eighty-five million. And what, what about tr- Trader Ruski? What's your guess? Oh, he's not awake. No, no. chance he's here. Okay. Well. The answer is okay. So what is it? That, that was, was really me. No, was, yeah, I, was about to, I was about to say that's not him. I was okay. Yeah. Here's the answer: one hundred billion dollars. What's the answer? No, it, the answer is seventy point one. You didn't hear that sound effect? No, I heard God nothing. Damn it! 
the answer is seventy point one million dollars. So you're very close. Okay. I lowered it. I went down to like eighty five. All right. And this is actually it sounds pretty high, but it's actually a lot lower than it's been other recent years. The actual the worst year in recent times was actually in the year two thousand. You would think this would be like maybe following the, the, the real estate crash would be the worst. No, the very worst was in the year two thousand where it was almost $250 million. This was blamed on the dot-com bubble bursting. So all these people who thought they had a whole lot of money because they had shares in a dot-com site they were worth so much when everything crashed and their shares were worth nothing, all of a sudden they couldn't pay their gambling markers anymore. So uh, a lot of people stiffed the casinos and it added up to almost $250 million. So that's uh, three and a half times what it was this past fiscal year. Uh, following the real estate crash of 2008, it was almost $200 million for the fiscal year of 2009. So this uh, $70 million is, uh, is not that bad. It represents 0.6% of gaming revenue in Nevada for that fiscal year. So substantially less than 1% was uncollectible. And it's actually the best bad debt figure they've had since they started tracking this, aside from, uh, I don't know if it's the second best, but it's the, it's the lowest since 2005 when it was only $54.1 million. Now, a good question is this. Can you can, can you hear me? Yeah. A good question is this. A lot of people... I, the reason I was asking is I have a really bad echo. A lot of people that default on markers um, aren't prosecuted. In fact, you can default on a marker, and literally at, at some point it takes two or three years, if not even longer, before it even enters the criminal justice system. So it's not as like, you know, oh, I owed a marker, I didn't pay it, and a week later you're in jail. I mean, the casinos try to work with you. They give you, you know, tons of different options. I mean, the last recourse is basically, you know, them filing a criminal complaint with the state attorney. But anyhow, they have tons of programs that I've read about online where people make arrangements, even long-term ones, where, say, if somebody really overextended themselves and the you know, declared a bankruptcy or lost a business, they'll let people make payment plans as long as like 10 years. So I wonder if that those numbers include people that have defaulted but are still paying, which would be, I would think it'd be a high number, or or if that number is just straight up like people that have been stiffed and then are in the process of being prosecuted. Did I say that right? You get yeah, what yeah, I get what you're asking. It, it, it's mentioning this article that the casinos wrote off this amount, which make it seem like that this is money they're ex- not expecting to get back. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, wow. And the most of this money came from the Strip. So $67.1 million of this $70.1 million actually came from the Strip. So that's, that's part pretty surprising to me, that there's only $3 million in the rest of the state. I'm not sure what is defined as the strip for this study. It could be uh it could be including a, a wide area, but it says the strip was sixty seven point one million of that seventy point one million. So that means places like uh like Reno 
and other places in Nevada with casinos that they give credit, plus non-strip casinos, that all of these added up to only $3 million, which is pretty low. Yeah. Well, the thing is, unless you're living under a rock, most people know that if you don't pay a marker back, it's basically, or not basically, it's the same thing as writing a bad check, you know, yeah. which is a felony everywhere in, in the United States. So everyone knows that there used to be this misconception in the 80s that people didn't know that, or they thought they could declare bankruptcy, or they could just not pay and, and disappear, but it doesn't work that way. Right, and I was, um, was going to mention that to people here, that before you, you hear that figure and think, okay, well, you know, they're writing off uh, $70 million, might as well just add to that figure. Next time I'll just get a credit line and not pay if I lose. Uh, you don't want to do that because they, they will eventually come after you. And you know, as, as Brandon says, it takes time, but they, they don't just let it go. So well, listen. I'll tell you this: uh, in recent time, <clears throat> uh, you know, this was I think last year. Former NFL, and, you know, just to prove that they don't play around, no matter who you are. Former NFL running back uh, Clinton Portis. Uh, he was a first round pick for the Denver Broncos, and then played. Uh, also, he was traded later to the Washington Redskins. Uh, he was arrested um, on a warrant from Vegas. I think it was in Florida, where he's from, or maybe elsewhere. Uh, Antoine Walker, uh, another you know former NBA player, arrested in Nevada. And probably the most famous about five years ago, Charles Barkley yeah, I was, gonna was at a that celebrity one. golf tournament in Reno. And he was basically told, if you don't come and surrender and just, you know, come to the police station and turn yourself in, we're going to arrest you in handcuffs. And, you know, there's going to be a media circus. Um, so it's not as if they're playing favorites. And, again, you know, they give these people plenty of time. And I never really understood this. In the three cases I just mentioned, uh, from my understanding everything I read – it was always the same result, that these casinos made every effort to either collect their money or work out a payment plan or something, and these celebrities just ignored them. Like, they just thought it would go away. Like, they, they would, you know, it was always like the wind sent out, you know, numerous letters and, and, you know, this and that met with no response. Like, they just, what did they think? You could owe millions of dollars, and it just, if you don't respond, it just will go away. You know what I mean? It's just kind of a brazen, crazy attitude. Yeah, and and I remember with with Barkley, you know, this is Barkley is is always working. He has he always has these commentary jobs, and and oh, he's, he's on the TNT. He's been on the TNT, the what was NBA Tonight. Yeah, and and he does commercials still, so he has an income coming in. But the problem is, he has such a gambling problem that he he basically shoots off everything he makes gambling, and he's just lucky that after you know since his NBA career ended a long time ago, that he has the personality. That has allowed him to stay in the spotlight as yeah. uh, a commentator and someone on commercials and and everything else he does. But that's when you see Charles Barkley well, on TV, you have to understand that the money listen, he's making there is going to the casinos. Here's something to think about: when uh, Sun Kim, what was her name, Phil Ivey's edge sorting partner, Sun Kim, uh, something, Chang Yun Sun, when she was on. The 30 for 30 ESPN podcast. Remember now, think back. What was her motivation to beat specifically MGM Casinos, which at the time you know, had a stake in the Borgata, which she hammered? Uh, what was her motivation of doing so? I, 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 I didn't see it. You never know. It wasn't a video. It was a, it was a podcast. Okay. It, it was an audio podcast. Uh, her motivation was that she had 
taking out markers. And she was down like, you know, she had like a trust fund. Her dad was somebody very, very important. And she had lost tens of millions over her young life gambling and MGM properties. And she had and always paid her debts. And she had taken out several markers at MGM properties. I think specifically the MGM Grand. Could be wrong. And she had lost. And whatever the reason that she didn't go into details, she was unable to pay. And eventually, and I'm sure like they didn't say this. She kind of made it seem like it was pretty instant. But I'm sure that's not the case. But for whatever reason... Again, not going into detail. She was unable to, p- to pay. And she spent 11 days in Clark County Jail. Oh. And while she was in jail, and then when she got out, she became so mad that they put her in jail. So mad that she had lost so much money to them, you know. And she felt she was, like, disrespected, dishonored. That all she could think about was revenge on MGM and other casinos. And that, like, this is her own words. Like, this isn't, like, some announcer or somebody saying it. That, in her own words, that that became her motivation to start perfecting edge sorting. To get back at MGM Mirage Casinos for keeping her in jail for 11 days in Clark County. And this is not, you know, this isn't fiction. Go back. Again, it's the 30 for 30 podcast on Phil Ivey. It's the one that deals with the, the edge sorting. There's a thread somewhere in PFA. I listened to the whole thing like twice. Very, very interesting. And other than that, that's the only media that I can recall that I ever, you know, saw, read, listened to, whatever that actually explained that that was her motivation. Everything yeah, else is just I, Phil Ivey's edge sorting partner. Phil Ivey's edge sorting partner. But she went into detail that wow. for months and months and, and you know even longer than that, she wanted to perfect it just to break these guys and beat the shit out of them. And at the end, it even claimed, as of right now, she was still in Las Vegas, you know, destroying these guys as much as she could. <laughs> that she was still undercover, basically, like, I don't know, wearing a wig, wearing glasses, whatever she can do in, di- in disguise, trying to still beat these casinos to exact her revenge. Interesting. So, anyhow, interesting. So, here, here's another uh, casino-related story. This is about... Revenue per square foot for each type of game that uh, that they offer, and uh, this is in various categories. Oh yeah, I saw this. So I saw the topic. I love these Vegas uh, things, Druff. Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, I, these I are my like favorite it. categories to talk about. So people have long figured that poker doesn't bring in that much money to the casino, except that maybe indirectly when, when some of the degenerate poker players go shoot it off in the pits, but that uh, ignoring that, poker doesn't bring that much money, and that they really do mainly run poker as a courtesy to guests who are going to play other games that maybe the poker will get them in there. So that really is the thinking why most places have a poker room at all. So... The problem with poker is that because it's players playing against one another, the house only makes money through the rake, which is never that high. And uh, you know, even though it steadily makes money, it just doesn't quite compare to where they, what they can make elsewhere in the casino. But the question is, how much is it making per square foot? If you ignore the factors of other costs they have, such as staff, if you just look at real estate within the casino... You know, each casino has a finite amount of space, and they've got to see how they're going to dedicate that space. Uh, how much is poker making per square foot compared to other forms of gambling in the casino? So, believe it or not, even though poker has been 
stagnating and even declining for many years, that uh, it is still outmaking per square foot by a good margin sports betting. Even though sports betting, they've been making more and more each year. That is growing. They're doing better and better in sports betting. Overall, it is bringing about double the revenue of poker in Nevada. And I'm talking about sports betting. It's bringing about double the revenue overall than poker. Uh, in 2007, they were about the same. And that's when poker was bigger and sports betting was smaller. But now one's grown and one has shrunk. But per square foot, poker is still doing better. Per square foot, poker rooms are earning about uh, $1,120 uh, $1, per square foot in the same fiscal year I was talking about, 2017. That is July 1st, 16 through June 30th, 17. Now you say 1120 that's nothing. But that's per square foot. So that's, uh, you know, if you look at the... the Amount of the number of square feet in in the area, then they're it's, they're making a lot more. So, sports betting, uh, sports books, are generating only six hundred seventy dollars per square foot <coughs> in in a fiscal year. So, uh, so per square foot, it's actually better to have a poker room. However, that is mainly because if you think about the way most sports books are laid out. There's, There's a lot of space. A lot of space. To accommodate a, everybody. Right. A big area for people to sit there and, and uh, um, you know, little tables for them to write things down. And so this is a, there is a wide area there where no gambling's taking place. The only gambling takes place up at the counter where you place your bets, and then you can sit down in, in a large area and watch watch the bets. But the good thing for the casino there is it requires very little staff for that space. This What's interesting about what you mentioned uh, a number of years ago – Cancer was the first to implement this, where while you're in the sports book, there is a screen attached, which you can watch games you know, from your personal seat where you're sitting, but more so, you can gamble with your choice of, for real money, with the choice of table games, like you could online. Um, you know, online oh, blackjack. I didn't know that. Cantor has this in every sports book. Have you seen this before, Drew? No, no, but that's interesting. I didn't know that. You load you load your money into your wallet on your online account, and you can either bet sports with it, or you can bet everything from Deuces Wild video poker to Let It Ride to blackjack to craps to roulette. And again, these are all video versions of the game. Um, but unfortunately, from the casino's perspective, this never this never took off. I mean, I've been in I've been in Cantor sports books more than any other sports book, probably like time wise in, in, in my time in Vegas, and I've, I've never. I don't see people playing this. Like, it makes know, sense because I think they want to. They want to watch the games. They want to be distracted by, by by these side games of blackjack and all that. So, and I also think. But some that of, was that was obviously put in as a potential, you know, way oh, to course. increase that revenue yeah. that you're speaking of. But it never took off. Yeah. Even the most degenerate gambler doesn't want to sit there during a commercial and bet, you know, a couple hundred dollars a hand at blackjack. They just don't do it. Yeah, and I think it's also because a lot of sports bettors just uh, don't play those games too. They just like to stick to sports betting. And, but but again, this is misleading because a poker room has a lot more staff they have to pay in the in that in those rooms. It's all concentrated with a lot of staff having to work there. With sports books, they really don't have much staff for the space it takes up. So it's just a matter of space. And if they have the space, then you know, it's fine if they want to take up a lot of space with the sports book if they don't feel they need it really for anything else. 
And as far as other games, uh, the pit games, such as Blackjack, Baccarat, Roulette, they generated about $2,700 revenue per square foot, which is about two and a half times poker per square foot and about four times sports betting per square foot. And slot machines, they actually generated less, only 1200 per square foot. And I, I have to wonder if, you know, even though slots, the odds are, are, are the worst on those compared to everything else, I wonder if just the, the problem is a lot of slots just sit there unused for long periods of time. So, I, I Well, that's actually kind of not, that's kind of a little misleading because uh, versus the mainstream games, blackjack, craps, uh, yes, the odds are a lot worse in, in slots than they are in those. But if you go to some of those carnival games like Let It Ride and Caribbean Studs, they're actually worse than many of the slots are. I mean, the hold on those games, especially if you're playing side bets, or it's just it's terrible. Well, I know the side bets like are terrible, the, but the I, big, the big, the big, what is it? The big six, the wheel, like that's you know so awful. But that, but that doesn't matter. Um, you know, another thing, another thing people might not know is the higher the denomination in slots, doesn't matter how bad the game is, but the higher the denomination, the higher the payback, the you know the pay scale is or the payback percentage is. The hold, the hold is less. So if you're playing a hundred dollar game and you're playing a dollar game, the payback percentage for the $100 game is way, way, way going to exceed what the dollar is, even if it's the same game and the same pay, pay scale. A thousand percent. Yeah, well, did you know that, Druff? I, I didn't know on the same machine that if you just switched denominations, it would be a better hold. I didn't know Absolutely. that. Oh, I didn't Absolutely. know that. Uh, so, so, but what I was going to say with slots, though, is this is, again, a staffing issue, though. They really, they can leave a very large bank of slot machines and there's very few people needed to support that. There's very few employees needed to support that compared to table games, which, which each table needs uh, needs a dealer and then each each pit needs a pit boss and for slot machines there can be so many of them and, and yeah, relatively few employees having to support the whole thing. So that's that's still why, even though pit games are generating more revenue per square foot, by a wide margin that uh, I don't know overall which takes in more money, whether it's slots or, or pit games. I have to imagine slots do because there's a lot more of them and uh, uh, yeah, the hold is very high. So they, they really love to push people towards slots. That's in fact where the best comps are by far are slots. That's why if you can find a positive expectation opportunity to play slots where the machine is rated like a slot machine, but yet you're either playing even expectation or somehow positive or or even slightly negative, this can be very good for generating very lucrative comps because they really give the best comps to the and slot it, players. And it's unfortunately getting harder and harder to, f- to find what you it, just it, described. It is, yes. But, but, uh, but that's why the slots are so good for that if you can find one like that. But, of course, it is getting tougher. So uh, this data I was talking about, uh, it, it comes from only the licensed gambling facilities that generate at least $1 million in gaming revenue in that fiscal year. So little things like gas stations or, or little supermarkets that have a few machines in them, it doesn't, that doesn't count. They're not uh, tracking that. So we're just talking about casinos that at least have a $1 million revenue in the fiscal year. So... There's a number of reasons why a casino decides, you know, whether they have the poker room, whether they have a sports book, how much space they dedicated to it. Uh, 
And there's a lot of factors, including if they notice that the clientele that the lesser games attract, as far as the revenue they get derive from them, if they translate to them people playing other games, and also whether they have space as a premium or whether the the real problem that they have is you know the main expense they have is staffing so if if they have a ton of space then they're more willing to take space and use it for things like poker or or sports books and if they don't have much space that's when they're less likely to want to do so because they can the space is very valuable to use for something else so they always have to weigh these factors together deciding what to offer and they don't always make the right decision either sometimes they come up with something and it turns out to be incorrect and they shoot themselves in the foot. So, here, here's another topic we have, a gambling topic, but it's not about Las Vegas. It is about Atlantic City. We have two Atlantic City topics. The Tropicana Atlantic City is allegedly stiffing players on offers in a very unethical way. Now, they're doing this to players that they feel are advantage players, players they don't want. And I'm not talking about people who uh, like are kicked out card counting or something like that to where it's obvious the person shouldn't be coming back in. Like I, I've covered stories on here before about people who get kicked out of casinos, then sneak back in, then get caught, and then cry foul about what happens afterwards. But I only have limited sympathy for these people because they, they know what they're getting into when they actually get 86 from a casino and then sneak back in. Like the guy who got kicked out of the World Series in day three, uh, right before the money, with a big stack from the main event, who was banned from all Caesars properties. Well, uh, okay, he, he had been banned several times from Caesars properties. He just kept coming back and back and back, and they kept catching him. And then he goes and plays the World Series under a fake name, and they catch him again. Well, okay, he keeps taking these chances. I don't even know what he thought he was accomplishing with the World Series main event. Like At some point, it's going to be figured out who he is. So what did he think he was accomplishing? What, he thought he was going to make like the final table and they still wouldn't know who he is? But anyway, I can't have much sympathy then for again, then again, it is Then again, it is Caesars, yeah, so that's you never true. know. Anything's possible with Caesars. They, they always I mean, dip- if you were, listen, if you were going to take a chance at getting away with something with, with, you know, with, with the, any gaming company in Nevada, which one would you choose? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, be honest. Like, which one would you say? Okay, maybe there's no. It would be a Caesar's property. They won't yeah. even figure it out. I, I've I've said before what what's what's bad about Caesars is also what's good about Caesars is that they their cluelessness, which is frustrating, can also be uh, advantageous at times. So, Tropicana Atlantic City is uh, apparently sending people offers. Without ever telling them that they're banned, they're just they send people offers, and then when uh, when people show up to redeem these offers, then you can't redeem them. What happens is you you try to put your your card in, and it doesn't work, and your pin doesn't work. You know you have to do it through a pin. So you go to the the desk for the whatever their rewards program is to reset your pin, and they won't do it. You say why won't you? You ask why won't you do it? They say you're not eligible. What do you mean? I'm sorry. That's what the computer says. You're not eligible. Well, how do I redeem these comps? I'm sorry, you're not eligible uh, eligible anymore. And it's not like they warn these people beforehand. It's not like they get an email. Hey, you're not eligible. Please ignore any emails you get. No, they, they don't know. They just show up. You know, off, they, they play. They play, and uh, they get mail. 
And then before they even get to use their comps, they'll sometimes have this happen. So th- this is what a guy said to me. He, 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 and this is someone who's reliable, by the way. I, I don't think he's making this up. He said, I ran $80,000 worth of coin in, meaning that he played probably on video poker or, or maybe other machines, $80,000 worth. Which you know, He didn't put in $80,000 just you know, every time he played. Like, for example, you're playing $5 a credit video poker for five credits each. That means every hand is $25 coin in. So he ran 80,000 coin in, which is substantial. And then he got a mailer from them with offers. Before he used a single offer, uh, he had used some comps for dinner, but did not play. So he, he ran the 80k coin in, came back, uh, used some comps he had earned for dinner, didn't play at all, just, just earned the, you know, to play the dinner and ate the dinner and left. And then they locked his pin. So when he came to redeem his first offer that he got in the mail, they would not reset his pin. And he said that multiple friends of his had the same issue. It wasn't just him with some fluke. So basically, he, you know, he runs 80,000 of coin in there. And it, it's not like they even were 100% sure he was an advantage player. I guess it's possible they may have figured it out from uh, yeah, other casinos, may have tipped him off. I don't know. But... Uh, Somehow they, they decided that they didn't want him anymore, and uh, they mailed it to him, did not tell him this is not valid anymore. They, they just sent him the mailer, locked his pin without telling him. Before he could redeem even the first offer they made to him, then they, they would not let him redeem it when he came all the way back down there. And as an extra kick in the ass, he said, okay, well, stop sending me mail then. If I can't, if I can't play here, I don't want any more mail from you guys. Okay, they say. Uh, he continues to get mail as an extra kick in the ass. He's he's still getting mailers from them. He sent me a copy of one of them that he got. It says, uh, complimentary rooms. Enjoy a comp room for three nights each week. Uh, February 1st through March 31st. Use ID code blah, blah, blah. Uh, $150 gift card or, or bonus slot dollars. Uh, February blah, blah, blah. Like he, this, th- These are emails he's getting. So they're sending him email telling him all these offers after they've locked his pin and said he's not eligible. And if he were to come down, the same thing would happen. He could not redeem these. So that's especially crappy if they're going to accept his business to play machines and then lock his pin and not allow him to collect offers. It's legal, but it's it's unethical. If they if they don't like if they find him in a database and say, "Oh, he's a known advantage player. We don't want him here." Okay, they, they don't let him even sign up for a players' club card. And if you are going to invalidate his offers, at least email him and say, I'm sorry, these offers are no longer valid for you. Don't come back. Instead, they let him come down and uh, run into this, and then they still send him offers. I don't think this is necessarily malicious, the part that they're still sending the offers. That just It's kind of like two different systems. They don't feel like correcting it. So I would watch out with a TROP Atlantic City. Because that apparently they they're getting notorious for doing this. Other Atlantic City story I have here. By the way, anybody wants to call, we're getting towards the end of the show. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five seven seven five fraud fifty five is the phone number. Anyway. The other topic I have about Atlantic City is the Ultimate Texas Hold'em 
game, which they're not calling it that. They're calling it online poker, which is totally a misnomer. They're going to be having a live dealer version of it online, where a dealer deals it online, and then you bet... Or a dealer deals it live, you watch it on camera, and then you bet online. And, as I said, they're calling it online poker, but that's inaccurate. It's an Ultimate Texas Hold'em game, which has like a two-point-something house edge. Two-point-something percent house edge. And... This is going to be the first one of its kind on a legal online gambling site in the U.S. The Golden Nugget in New Jersey is doing this in Atlantic City. And it's only going to be available between 3 p.m. and 3 a.m., though it will be seven days a week. So you can't play 24 hours, only 12 hours a day. And that's because they will only be hiring a human dealer to do this during those uh, 12 hours. And it can be played on a computer or a smartphone. So, apparently the software comes from a different company called Izugi NJ. And they actually have used their technology elsewhere on other sites in Europe. Actually, I'm not even sure of that. It's... It, 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 uh, it says it was used first in 2016, but it doesn't say where. But but uh, it's been around in Europe, and a company called Evolution Gaming has its version. And in fact, online you can watch it. If you type in Live Casino Hold'em from Evolution, again, this is Ultimate Texas Hold'em. This isn't real. Uh, you can watch a video of that. But here's I have a video also of this uh, Golden Nugget by Izugi. You can type that NJ Studio Golden Nugget by Izugi. That's E-Z-U-G-I. And you won't be able to watch here, but this is what it sounds like, the video. Uh, Brandon, you still there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Okay, I'm going to play this. i see if it's... Uh, there's some music here, but this is... They're, they're showing how it's working here. So they're showing these hot young female dealers who are like shuffling cards and getting ready and putting on makeup. It kind of sounds like porn music. This is very creepy watching this. I feel like I'm. This is like some peep show. The girls are kind of just sitting around and posing. So now it says GoldenNuggetCasino.com. Boom, 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 boom. Golden Nugget Casino, live dealer, blackjack, roulette, baccarat, says on the screen. Boom, 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 boom. So now it's showing blackjack. Yeah, I'm going to stop this. This is that stupid music. It's useless for radio. This is when I wish we had a video show. But what it's showing is these dealers. It's showing blackjack and then roulette and baccarat. But they're basically showing it's a live dealer. Nobody at a real table dealing real cards. There's nobody at the table. And it actually draws your bet on the screen. So like if you bet $25, it'll draw a $25 chip in the circle, on which appears to be as if it's really there on the table. But it's not. It's just drawing it onto the video of the table. And then it works normally as blackjack would would work. So I guess they're gonna they're gonna have uh, 
I guess they're going to have uh, blackjack and poker. Sorry, blackjack, roulette, baccarat, and, and now this uh, ultimate Texas Hold'em thing. Now I'm not sure if this is the first. No, you know what? I guess this has existed. This is a confusing article. I guess this has existed since 2016 for the Golden Nugget, but this is the first edition of Ultimate Texas Hold'em running, which is not even called that. It's just called Live Casino Hold'em, which is is very, very uh, misleading. I don't like that they're calling it that, Live Casino Hold'em. No, it's not. It's 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 like Ultimate Texas Hold'em. This is the, it's a casino game. It's not. It's not the Texas Hold'em you guys know when you're playing against a computer. People can be led at first to believing like they're playing the dealer heads up or something, but that's not what's happening. So they're they're trying to bring these variations to make playing you know, the gambling online more exciting and almost making it more like the real casino experiences if you're there. And from the looks of these videos, unless this is just for the promotional video, it looks like they're hiring pretty girls to do it. Have you ever been on any of these uh, New Jersey legalized online sites, Brandon? I have not. I've, I've, uh, I think I've only been to Atlantic City one time since they implemented all this, and I didn't think it was worth my time to go and register and do all that. Yeah, that's that's what I felt too. I I didn't think it was. Yeah, there's too much of a hassle getting started, which I think is what really holds these sites back to some degree from succeeding, especially uh, on the poker side. That just It's so hard for the person who never had an account there before to start up and just get funded and play. It's not impossible, but there's a, enough of an effort that one has to go through where you feel like, why should I bother? The convenience factor they're going for isn't there. Because that's the only reason someone's going to play online when they're visiting a state like Nevada or, or uh, Atlantic City is because it's more convenient than playing live. You can do it from your hotel room. But, like, who's going to want to do that if it's tough? So then you really only have locals playing. I will say, though, in essence, I oh, I like... Blacko, can, can you hear me? I, I'm going to call you back. We seem to be having some connection problems tonight. I'm going to call you back. Okay. A lot of connection issues tonight. I may even have to go back and fix the show because I think Eric Benzamokin's ad got... Okay, hello? Yeah, I think Eric Benzamokin's ad even got somewhat cut. I have to go back and listen. <laughs> I would say that I do like the idea, or at least I, I, I understand their attempt of why they're doing this live because if I was going to play something online, which I never would because I would just play in a casino, uh, I would rather play with a live dealer where you can actually, you know, even if it's simulcast from a licensed, you know, casino in the United States versus playing it versus the software. You know what I mean? So I could see a true deck. It would make me more comfortable. I don't know if, if people in general feel that way, but uh, if I was to play it and there was a choice between, you know, let's just say a video blackjack, uh, you know, game or a live dealer, you know, being simulcast from inside the, you know, Golden Nugget or the Tropicana, I would choose you know, I would choose the latter. Yeah, that's a good you? point. That's a good point. I would too. That's a good point. A lot of people just have distrust for these computerized systems that they're rigged. Oh, so we lost Brandon again. I I have to think this is probably on my side. I don't know why we're having such connection issues tonight, but 
Brandon's having these echoes tonight, and we we have the show cut off a few times. So that's kind of annoying. I hope it's not a trend here. I hope I'm not having internet issues. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently on... Now I'm thinking it might be his fault. Not his fault personally, but when Skype can't even reach him, I don't know. Well, that's about it. We're done with the agenda. We had a few things that were off agenda, such as the Ken Scaler call and backstory to his Judge Judy appearance and the call to young Matthew. So, thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Let me just throw Brandon back on here one more time. Yeah, we're, we're having real trouble tonight. I'm about to end the um, show. Yeah, right? I'm back. I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, just knock me right I, off. I, I don't either. I'm about to end the show pretty soon anyway. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or talk about? No, I'm actually exhausted. I just want to get in for a little while, and thank you for allowing me to come on and have uh, my little uh, my little buddy in uh, – on the East Coast, come on. But no, I'm good. I, I, I it was very enjoyable. I love the Vegas segments. And you know that uh, we, got, we got a compliment for this show, and I have to think that some of this is, is aimed at, at you here. Let's uh, bring this up here. Nice. 314, greatest show in quite a long time. Oh, good. So someone really enjoyed the show. So, And that's a different person than the Australian who's recovering from cancer. This isn't the rich Australian that I met, is it? No, this is a different Australian. Okay. He says, and in fact, he usually listens in the archives, but he he listened live for the first time about a year ago. Or no, not a year ago, about uh, a month ago. And now he's listening, I think, live again while he's recovering from a cancer outbreak. That's that's pretty... uh, it's, it's pretty. You know, you know what? Just something that would really be hard for me, and I hope I'm never in that situation. Though I'll be in some situation at some point, but uh, the situation where you know you're going into surgery to cor- you know, correct some sort of life-threatening situation where you may never wake up, where there's a good chance you're not going to survive it. Like you know, they're putting you under. Much like Skype is putting Brandon under. Brandon, are you still there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. But they, they put you under, and they're putting you under to correct something very, very serious where there's a good chance you're going to die on the table. And I, it'd be kind of hard for me to know they're putting me under, and that may be the last thing I ever see. Which is better than just outright dying, because you have a chance, but... Still, that would be a tough thing to to do. Or, yeah. Personally, any, I just try not to even think of it because it's just not a pleasant thought. No, <laughs> and in fact, any any kind of major surgery can be very tough there to think about that you're going under for. There's so many different things that could happen, complications, and I, I just hate the idea of being put under. Like this year, I've got to do a colonoscopy. And that's a simple thing. There they just put you under for a short time, for 10 minutes. And uh, it's a simple procedure. But even that, I go, I hate the fact that I'm going under. Is that the first one you've had? I've never had one. Yeah, I haven't had one either. Yikes. Well, are you going to give a trip report? 
<laughs> I, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I'll be getting one soon, and not super soon, but you know, sometime in the first half of the year, I believe. So, I I hope it's okay. There, there's some family history of it. So now, do they do like do you do like they did with the president when he has his colonoscopy that they transfer the power over? Am I going to have the keys to the fraud site, the numbers or whatever? Yeah, the passwords, I, the well, codes. Yeah, I, I guess I, I should get some contingency plan for the for poker fraud alert. Well, that's what they do every time the president has one. They give the vice president the power for the twenty three minutes or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, otherwise, if uh, well, that won't be needed during the colonoscopy. But if just something were to happen and I were to die when I'm put under, the, the chance is very small uh, with yeah. this as now, short as they're putting me under, but. I will say, though, speaking of just the sites that you own in general, I never thought I'd come – I never thought the day would come where I could say – I mean, a lot of people don't even know that the PFA has a sister site now, the, the VegasCasino.com. Uh, VegasCasinoTalk.com, yeah. Yeah, that one. And I, I, uh, I'm much more of a lurker on there than anything else, but I, I do read it. And I never thought the day would come where I could literally say with a stray face – that poker fraud alert right now is the more stabler site of the two. <laughs> I mean, it is now, now, now the Vegas casino talk.com. It's having some growing pains and there's been some fighting and some vicious trolling and the APs hate the non APs and non APs hate the APs. And yes, people are registering from cell phones in the greater Tucson area. <laughs> it, 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 what the hell's going on out there? I see Rand is really keeping up on it. So I tell you, I'm not lying to you. No, I, uh, I lie. So, so listen, so here, here, explain, here, explain a little bit about yeah, here, here's, here's what's going on. Headed, yeah, yeah you ahead. guys, you guys can take a look. It's crazy. And none of this has to do with me either. Like I just kind of inherited it, but Vegas. Well, is, you put your foot down, though. I've seen, I've seen harsher words out of your mouth on the sister site that I've seen on Poker Fraud Alert since the Iraqi ski team scandal. Yeah, yeah. I, right? I, I've had, I've had to put my foot down. I'm getting tired I've of it. I've seen it. And then, okay, so Vegas Casino Talk. I took over the forum from uh, from somebody else named Alan Mendelson, who was running Alan Best Buys. I've talked about this before. And uh, it, it was a, a forum which was mainly discussing uh, casino gambling. Alan, about two years ago, didn't want to run it anymore. He was about to shut the whole thing down, and I took it over from him. Okay, and then, so he he basically gave me the whole thing, and I and and the domain changed to VegasCasinoTalk.com. I am the sole owner of it, just like I am of Poker Fraud Alert, and uh, there's no mods there, just like Poker Fraud Alert. So I'm, I'm fully in control there. Now, the problem is that. And I didn't even realize this before getting involved with that site. There, are, if you think there's a lot of trolling and fighting on Poker Fraud Alert, you should see these these uh, casino discussion sites. There are so many people who are enemies with one another, so many people who hate one another, and fight constantly and bash each other, and and just, uh, I mean, and the sad thing is these aren't even kids. These are a lot of these people are over sixty, and they're trolling all day, and. And then there's these rivalries, you know, like Randy was saying, the the advantage players known as the APs versus the non-advantage players who think that the APs are full of crap, and and, and they, they fight with each other. And there's just so many different people who are enemies with one another, and, and rivalries and hatreds there. And a lot of this, it, there wasn't that. There was some of this already on on the site that I took over. But then I kind of put an end to it by banning certain people and by saying I'm not going to allow this to go on anymore. 
But then we've gotten some new users recently, which is good because the site isn't that big, so it's it's growing some. But what's bad is that the new users we're getting are ones who came from another site called Wizard of Vegas, which is associated with WizardOfOdds.com. And apparently, so so I guess all the fighting and drama from Wizard of Vegas, a lot of that has moved over here to Vegas Casino Talk. And there's people who are constantly fighting with each other and trolling each other. And then there's also like obsessed people who aren't really interested in joining Vegas Casino Talk, but just want to make troll accounts to harass those that are on Vegas Casino Talk now. So, like, someone who moved over from Wizard of Vegas to Vegas Casino Talk. Shout out to Ro- uh, to Singer. <laughs> Rob Singer? Well, yeah, but he's not even directly involved in it. He, he's a whole different story. So, I think he's that girl Friday. I think he is, too. But, but, uh, but, but that's a separate... believe I know about all this? <laughs> but that's a separate matter. But the thing is, like... So Sam, we, are, you a little, are you a little surprised I know uh, that much? A little bit. But so, so, there's, so there's these trolls that, like are mad that some of these people are, have moved over to my site and are trying to like get a fresh start and, and get away from all the trolling and fighting. And so these people are following them over and harassing them and making like troll accounts to constantly post uh, um, just really, really nasty troll messages, you know, anti-Semitic stuff, and, and all this other crap. So I, I, I've... So then... There even is a... Uh there even is a Canadian Filipino. We have our own version of TMLK over there. <laughs> Fab is Monty. <laughs> so then we also. So then also, I, I have these along those lines. There's someone who's basically committing an act of forum extortion. Someone from England who may even have some accomplices helping him, who hates one newer user on Vegas Casino Talk so much. This guy named Larry S. I guess some people hate this Larry S. so much, who I guess did cause some trouble and was kind of an asshole to people on other sites, but but still, I don't care about that. I shouldn't follow him over here. That they have decided that Larry S. is not going to remain on Vegas Casino Talk, and if I allow him to remain, that they're going to keep spamming and harassing the forum until I relent and ban Larry. So I said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how I work. No outside third party. No one's going to come to the site and tell me how to run it. No one's going to tell me you have to ban such and such person or I'm going to harass your forum. That doesn't work with me. I don't ever allow that to happen. No third party will ever tell me how to run it. And they're never going to do it through threats or through harassment of the forum. The thing is, they don't know who they're dealing with here. I've been dealing with the worst of the worst trolls and hackers and malcontents online going back to the 80s. So I know how to handle all this stuff. And they don't realize it. They, they, they were dealing with novices before. So... I, I can handle this in several ways. I can handle this by, by tracking the people down who are doing this uh, and making life difficult for them. I, I can handle this by uh, uh, b- through technical means of making it difficult for them. I can handle this by, you know, once I unmask who it is, if they're in the country, or especially in the state, that I, c- I can even commence legal proceedings against them. And I will do these things if they don't leave it alone. So, anyway... Uh, I already had to write some things into Vegas Casino Talk that I never thought I would have to do. If they knew about the great six toe Pete wars of 2013, no, they don't even know. They wouldn't even yeah. mess with right, you. Right, right. So, so, so what I what I went and did is I uh, I had to write something in there to where they can't. Uh, it now detects when someone is coming in through a proxy, and uh, if it does, it will not let them register new. So this this one guy from England, he must have tried to register like 70 times and kept failing over and over. Like he had to go through the whole registration process and then it would fail at the end. And so he, he did now this. Now tell like, me something. This is, this is a word on the street. Are all 
cell phone users on VegasCasinoTalk.com blocked from registering or making new accounts in the greater Tucson area? It's sort that of. So that, that's, that's, a fact diff- or fiction? That, that's a different problem. That is that there's a guy I banned who is a longtime member of the Allen Best Buys forum named Rob Singer, who was a troll, too. And this is an older guy. He's like 68 years old. But anyway, I, I got rid of Rob Singer because he would just pretty much troll each thread and, and with negativity, and he didn't co- contribute anything of value. So I, I, I got tired of him, and I, I, I realized if I didn't get rid of him that the whole forum would pretty much be the Rob Singer show, and it would just be him trolling everyone. So I, I finally got rid of him. So anyway, there is a he, he lives in the Phoenix area, and a new user, which I think is separate from all this other stuff I was just talking about with the people from England trolling this Larry guy. A new user made an account named Girl Friday, and at first the posts seemed kind of harmless, but then the person clearly was a duplicate account and knew everybody and mentioned Rob Singer and, 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 and seemed to admire Rob Singer. And, and then I look, and it's a cell phone from right where Rob Singer lives. So, you know, that's not proof, but it, it, it seemed pretty... The- seemed pretty likely to me that, yeah. that that it was Rob Singer. And then what's even worse is I said, okay, well, look, I, I don't believe this girl, whoever this is, I don't believe this girl Friday is actually a real new user. It's supposed to be a female, too. I said, and I don't. Girl Friday knew a lot of the backstories. Yeah, knew everything. I said, and they claimed to have been a lurker for years that just never posted. I, I didn't believe any of it. So I said, okay, so I, I said, Girl Friday is going to have to prove that she's real if she wants to remain. Otherwise, I'll have to remove her. So she, Girl Friday then sends me PMs. With some stupid backstory, as if that's supposed to prove anything, you know, like, like, oh, here's my story, but you know, didn't give any proof, just gave a backstory, which there's no way to verify. So I said, no, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm going to need you either let me call you, or you can call me. And I even told her you can call me and block your number. Now I didn't give her a number yet, but what I was going to do is I was going to give her the radio radio number and just forward it to my to my home or cell phone, and then. I was going to let her call, and then what I was going to guess do, her husband wasn't going for that one. Yeah, so 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 when when she called, I, what she when she called, I was going to ask her questions to make sure it wasn't just someone asking their female friend to do it. I was going to ask her questions about Rob Singer and all the stuff that she supposedly posted about. So uh, anyway, that that was my plan. So, uh, but I didn't tell. I just said to call me, and I said you can block your number if you want, and I, I just want to verify that you're really who you say you are. So of course, I got answers back. Not only was she refusing to do this. But uh, that her husband is really offended that I would request such a call. Not that he's jealous like that I'm, I'm another man. Just like He was offended that I would even ask her to do this. And for that reason, they've hired a private investigator to investigate me. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be kidding me. So I ask a suspicious new user there, hey, please verify yourself. Instead of, the, instead of them either verifying or saying, no thanks, I'm not doing it, you can ban me, they actually said they hired a private investigator to investigate me and then gave me a small piece of personal information that I knew Rob Singer already had about me that, uh, that was supposed to be like scare me or intimidate me. And they were just saying, well, we're doing you a favor. That private investigator wanted to call what you. What do you mean I, small piece, like something they found out about you on the internet or something? I don't want to go into it. It's a small piece something of information. Something they thought would scare you and you'd it, be it, like, oh, my God, please don't. Like they, they, kind of like, they're kind of like, oh, how would they have found this sort of thing? But oh. it is, it's something that wasn't that hard to find, and I think I know how they got well, it. And- I want to reemphasize something real, real fast again. And I've been reading this forum for about a year and a half. These people, in most cases, for those that are listening here, a lot of these people are old enough to be your parents. Yeah. Like my parents. Even my dad right now at the age that I'm at. These are old people, and basically everything is like this. Somebody will write, 
well, I won $800 playing video poker at, you know, Caesars Atlantic City. And then there's 20 other posts following. No, you didn't. Prove it. Pictures, tax returns, show, you know, show <laughs> proof. Go to the casino and get your win lot. Like, and it's all just a lot of like whose dick is bigger contest kind of thing. Yeah. And then, like you have Alan Mendelssohn in the middle of all that who hit the only thing this dude wants is to find a girlfriend and he wants to play craps. Those are like his only two things in life he cares about. I mean, You'd have to agree, right? Mendelssohn is pretty much obsessed with craps. Yes, well, he is, but that—that's that, a whole different matter. What, what's yeah? So what's anyway? It, there's so but much the stuff petty, going on. The pettiness on their arguing it makes PFA literally seem like we're this public service, you know, like charitable type of forum. It's unbelievable. It yeah. really is. So, so what I've and again, this is this all has nothing to do with me. Uh, none of this is aimed at me. And and I'm just kind of in the middle of all this because it's all these different people fighting with each other. But but the thing is that I, I end up getting involved because these people want to just they're ruining the forum with this crap. And other ones are actually telling me they're gonna you know that they're gonna harass the forum unless I ban who they tell me to ban. I will say that they all de- they all definitely respect you. Like you don't ever see anyone calling you out for the most part or being disrespectful to you. It really is more like you are the the principal or you're just like. The babysitter. I mean, it really does feel that. Way. Yeah, it is, and that's what's so weird is that that I'm again. These people are are are, are much older than me, and yet I'm like the babysitter of them. It really is, and, and so and then I'm I'm having to tell them, and I keep trying to say I'm just the one running this site here. I you know I, I just want the site to exist in peace. I, I don't yeah, want trolling here. Harsh lately, you're like I have more skills than you. I'll track yeah. you down, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll find you. I'll sue you. Like you've gotten really well. Yeah, I, I have. Be all out of here, motherfucker. No, I've had to. Say, I, I actually I'm not used the profanity there, but I, I have said to people that if people think they're going to influence the situation by harassing the forum or threatening me, then they don't know who they're doing this to. They don't realize no. that I've dealt with much worse than this. And that 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 they're going to lose in the type of situation. They they don't want to go this route. I keep saying if if this if this is the way you think you're going to handle this, then you need to just leave and uh, and take this elsewhere yep. because it's not going to work with me. So that's you'll that's spend all day just to find a way to turn off their internet. Like I know they don't know who they're messing with. <laughs> but I, they don't. And and I. But in the meantime, I'm just I, I'm I'm employing like defensive measures, preventing people from. Uh, Registering fake accounts and things like this, and that's the other thing they don't realize. Like I can do all these little things because I'm a programmer also, so I'm not just limited to what the forum software can do. So that's that's the story. It's it's kind of a weird thing. You guys can take a look at VegasCasinoTalk.com if if you want. But I, I've I've gotten more hardline recently with clamping down on this. I'm hoping the site can actually yeah be something where there's yeah there's a real discussion about the things in Vegas casinos and and about. Uh, Rewards programs and all that—that's what it's really well, for. Well, that's the other thing. If you can, if you can sift through the crap, which has taken me a while now to learn who's who on that site, there really is some good stuff in there. But you really have to sift through the shit to, to get to it. You really do. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm trying to cut down on. That's why I'm trying to, you know, stop all that. And and I, you know, I I can't be too harsh. If it's a small site, if if I ban anyone who slightly steps out of line, there'll be nobody left. But. At the same time, I, I look, and if I say most posts from such and such person are garbage and they're never posting anything useful, then I just get rid of them. That, that, that I've gotten much more hard line about that because I realize there are just some people who are just there to troll, and then the site will never grow. And, and it's, it's, it's not even like – the point is like this site is even different than Poker Fraud Alert, which like the Flying Stupidity Forum of Poker Fraud Alert has kind of some of this 
it's always it's an extension of, of other communities that were kind of in this general talk, uh, somewhat trolling uh, type of vein where, where that sort of thing is allowed and accepted. But this is supposed to be a site where, where it's really like serious discussion about uh, about casinos and, and rewards programs and all that. It's not supposed to have this going on. So, and I keep trying to tell people that. And yeah, so. That's that I've had to deal with that, but yeah, I, I remember I was thinking that over the last few days of like it's funny it's poker fraud alert. I've had I haven't had to do much recently as far as banning or suspending people, no. and yet, yet like I'm sitting here having to write special routines into Vegas Casino Talk to stop people from harassing it. I'm like this is the reverse of what I, I mean, was expecting. A lot of members on the 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 fraud site they don't even know about the the Carter. They don't even know the history. Remember the Carter? Yes. Well, you, of course you remember the Carter. <laughs> it was one of the greatest. Uh, Divisions in the history of all these poker forums. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of divisions over the years. But that that was that was a big one, and yeah. Yeah, it, it's 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 funny though because like even when none of the drama involves me, then, then still sometimes I end up in it. Just it's running. A, you'd think running a forum for casino type discussions among sixty something year olds it would be pretty peaceful, but nope, not at all. Yeah. So all right, thank you, thank you for. But coming you know, on. you should promote it more because. If you did get, if you were able to get a couple of these guys that are, because there's some guys on PFA like uh, JSTAT, like he's someone that could contribute. And I know like even beer and poker, there are a lot of guys that are, you know, that can contribute in a serious, conducive manner that could provide good content and information on there. Well, Jay, so maybe Jay you Stat should po- mention it because a lot of people knows, don't even know Jay, about Jay it. JSTAT knows and posts there occasionally. He, in fact, what's interesting, JSTAT is one of those people <clears throat> who happened to be on both sites unrelated to me. He was on the Alan Best Buys forum before I was there. Right. And Like I was talking to C Money today and he's like, well, I want to donate some money to the sister site. I just found out about it. <laughs> How can I do that? And I'm like, well, is there any, anything to even donate to yet? No, though, though it's funny you mentioned that. I... I'm going to be less concerned with with as far as keeping the site ad free and everything. I'm thinking of looking into putting up some affiliate type ads, not, not for anything shady or anything I don't trust, but but uh, I, I'm thinking like poker fraudler. I don't like cluttering with ads, and that's why I really have. What's not, your baby? It's always going to be your baby. Yeah, that's why. The other one's a redheaded stepchild. But but that site, I'm I'm a little more willing to. I, I don't. I'm not going to make it terribly cluttered with ads, but that one, I, I'm a little more willing to put more traditional looking ads up there that that other sites will do what and what maybe i enjoy some money. on casino uh the sister site the two things i kind of enjoy the most number one i love the trip reports you know like like there are a couple posters that will go with their spouses or alone and and post literally like an hour by hour recap of everything interesting while they were like gambling like fab is monte i think he's the greatest like his trip reports i'll sit there and i'll read throughout the day when I'm, you know, waiting for something or just, you know, relaxing. And then the other thing I really do enjoy is I do like the banter between you and Mendelssohn because there's always a certain amount of tension between the two of you, but there's also, like, this common mutual respect. Like, he'll troll you, but not really in the essence of trolling you. Like, he'll just basically disagree with you on almost everything you say. I don't know if you've noticed yes. that. He loves to disagree <laughs> with you. And all you say is, if I had literally a dollar for every set time you said, why do you say that, Alan? Or, Alan, can you please explain that? Like, it's, that's all you say to him. Because it's just, you know, I don't know. It took a while to get into it, but I, I, I enjoy it. You know, he, Mendelsohn, it's not a site. It's not a site. You know, for anyone that's listening, now that we've given it this much airtime, it's not a site that you can go on there 
four or five times a day and refresh it and refresh it because you're not going to see much new content. For me, it's a site that maybe once a day, usually even like every two, three days, is enough that it will generate enough posts and content that you can spend an hour or so and catch up. It's not like Poker Fraud Alert where if you're gone for a few hours and refresh it, you're always going to see it a new post, a new topic. Uh, you, you sometimes go days and you see the same topics being discussed and nothing new. I mean, would you agree with that? Assessment? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll, I'll try to bring content there sometimes to, to liven things up. But yes, that, that's, uh, that's basically accurate. And, you know, like two years ago when it was going to go down, that's, I, I thought it was worth saving and it was something that I was enjoying being part of and I didn't want to see it shut down. And I was already running it on my server anyway. I was like the, the admin. I was a tech admin, but I wasn't actually running it. But, uh, uh oh. I, I spoke too soon. I'm just looking on it now and, Says the newest member of uh, of the sister site, LOL Wow. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? And he wrote, Hi, Todger. Jesus. No, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so you guys can check this out if you like. And if you, ha- especially if you have, if you have some useful content to post about uh, any of your cons- casino experiences, that, that's really what that site is, is about. So now, if you really want to shut that site down, what you do is you message Brittany Grinder's clit one day when he's off his medicine. Tell him to create an account over there and go crazy, and then he'll they, they won't know what to think with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Have him start posting his conspiracies and his seventeen, eighteen multiple posts in a row, and, and yeah. they'll yeah. You know. All right, so make Anyhow, sure make sure to watch got, make sure to watch Kent Scaler tomorrow with Judge Judy. You'll be entertained. You hearing the music, Brandon? I can't hear. Is the music on? Yes. All right, listen, I'm going to say my farewell now, then. It's kind of anticlimactic if I can't even hear nothing. So, well, I can hear it now. Well, that's good. So, anyway, we'll I be back. I can't hear you, but I can hear the music. Okay, we'll be back a week from today, Wednesday, January 24th, at around the same Shalom. time. Shalom. Good night. Good night, Brandon. Thank you to Brandon for coming on near the end of the show here. Thank you, Traderuski, for being with us the whole time. Sadly, we did not have Calwatt this week, but I think we did pretty well without him. Though I would like to have him back. It's it's always not quite the same when we don't have Calwatt. And I was actually looking forward to having his takes on some of these topics. But you know, if you think about it, we've really had three co-hosts that join... Usually not for the entire show, sometimes the entire show, but uh, usually for parts or large parts of the show with Cal Watt, Traderuski, and Brandon. And they all bring kind of a different thing to the table. So it's been pretty stable if you think about it, that we've had those three co-hosting the show. Almost like taking turns, sometimes being on together. Through all of 2017 and now the beginning of 2018. So, we'll have a whole new set of stories and stuff. Uh, I still have NBA picks that I post on Poker Fraud Alert and Vegas Casino Talk. Vegas Casino Talk is in the Sports Betting Forum. On Poker Fraud Alert, it's in the Flying Stupidity Forum and the Wagering Thread there. They haven't done all that great recently, but I did go 3-1 and one tonight, and I went 3-0 oh two days ago. I still have faith in my process. I think it's still a winning process. I think I've just had some bad luck recently. 
Uh, you can follow them and bet what you like. That is all for tonight. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Watch Judge Judy. Shalom.